Greetings, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Taran Rama's uh, Saturday afternoon program, The True History, Hershey, and the Sarah and Our Galactic Origins. Usually Cheryl's here, and she was having a problem. Her voice didn't show up, so I'm here to, yeah, do this beginning. So let's take a few gentle breaths to get into that heart space. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, or out through your nose, however you want to do that. Your own protocol, breathing protocol. Let's just go into that heart space. Breathe slowly and gently. Let go of that drop of the day. And as we go into our heart space, we gather with our guides and guardians. Our spirit teams, our healing teams, our ancestors, and there's a there's a fire, a virtual fire in in the center. So let's gather around that council fire and come in close. Make that perfect circle. As we call in the sacred directions in the Cherokee tradition, a little bit of Navajo mixed in. (laughs) The toning is Navajo. So what I'd like for you to do is tone with me um, for the five major directions. So um, we'll call in the east first, and we'll tone off. Let me start that drum and get it going here. Call in the spirit keepers of the east. Let us come ah, for purification. Please join with me. Starting anew. 
me invite divine masculinity, that solar energy, that power of protection. Be with us as we begin this journey. Wado. Now we turn to the north and we turn low for innocence. of the north come look this way. You give gratitude for all the ceremonies and teachings that sustain us. And for all you white-haired ones, thank you white bird ones, snowy owl, the hare, the polar bear, those who live in that place of the cold heart truth, teaching us to embrace, be grateful for the truth. We give thanks to Buffalo people for your medicine of abundance and gratitude. We give thanks to the tall standing nation for your teachings of longevity, endurance, how to stand in our power without breaking. We are grateful to you, Wings of Change, for empowering us to resist complacency. Now let's turn to the west. And here we will tone E for awareness. Please join me. Keepers of the West, come, look this way. We give thanks to bear with that medicine of going within and for healing and discernment. And thank you, big cat, Pashat, Jaguar, Panther, Uber, for showing us how to live in two worlds, the intangible world, the existing world. And in the physical world, we give thanks to divine feminine energy for your gifts of life, death, and rebirth. And we give thanks for this twilight, that crack between the worlds, that sacred time place in between. Be with us on our journey. Give us strength to look deeply within our hearts. Welcoming our hurts and our fears to come sit with us in order to be transformed. 
few things to honor for your playfulness in women's medicine. Well done. Now let's turn to the south. Oral tone S for relationship. Spirit Keepers of the South, come join us here as we gather. We give gratitude for the medicine plants that keep us strong in body and mind. We're grateful to Coyote and Babbitt, you tricksters, who remind us to laugh at ourselves, to not take our ego so seriously, and for the balance of the irreverence with the sacredness. Give thanks to Porcupine. Thank you for your gifts of innocence, trust, faith in ourselves and in every being. We're so grateful. Stone people carry the library of creation. And your gem people, all the healing that you provide. And we're thankful for our physical fitness and each body. Now let us reach out and look at the sky and invite the sky nation. All these spirit keepers of the sky nation, come look this way. We give gratitude to you, Star Medicine Board, for the campfires of our ancestors lighting the dark sky. And thank you, Sister Sun and Brother Moon, you cloud beings and rain beings, for our lives and for keeping us company on our earth Thank you, Dreamtime, for that ability to travel on our spirit body to experience our true nature so that we don't forget who we are. Many gratitudes to swans, dolphins, lizards, dragonflies, you beautiful guardians and messengers of the train time. Welcome all you fighters. Now let's reach down and put our hands on the earth. Look below the action. All you spirit keepers of the earth, come look this way. Pachamama, Gaia, Mother Earth, thank you for our lives. Thank you, all you children of the earth blanket, kitty crawlers, and the winged ones, dead ones, all the four legged ones, and you pollinators and regenerators. Keep us alive. Many gratitude for the diversity of life, for the interconnectedness of life, to the web of life and the equality of each member of the planetary family. 
Thank you, Mother Earth, for teaching him how to take care of you, to honor all life and to walk gently upon you. Now we hold our hands on our hearts. We look within for the within direction and we're going to turn for carrying. Spirit keepers of the within direction, inner sacred space, come look this way. All you medicine ancestors and personal ancestors, we thank you for your life, your life choices that you made in your lifetime to sustain and nurture us, to pass down the wisdom and knowledge so that we can better live our lives as sacred human beings. And we give thanks to the next seven generations reminding us to make wise choices with intention and respect to pass down the wisdom gained and to create beauty and balance upon you. Wado. Oh, Matakriya. Thursdays, 
is a night at the round table with the panel, and on Fridays, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. Any one of those icons will, as you click on it, will take you to our account. So again, thank you for taking that action. We're so grateful for your participation and for all the ways that you show up. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week is is pretty pretty good. They just have a Geico bill, a gas bill, and um, their own living expenses, which includes car registration and such. So that totals four hundred dollars is what they're asking for for this week, and uh, I think that's doable. <laughs> the birthday present for Tara. <laughs> So we're celebrating Tara's birthday today, and we're grateful to share that with everybody. So lots of gratitude for Tara and Rama and for all that they do for us and what they bring us and bringing the galactic good news and all those contacts with the White Knights. So lots of gratitude for both of them and what they do. So we're grateful that and honored to take care of it in this way. So here's how we make a donation to Tara and Rama. Uh, you want to access the PayPal account, you do that by going to the website, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, if you click on the menu grid, you'll see a donate link near the bottom of the list that you get, that drops down. It's a long list. It's a big site. So... Click on that donate link. It takes you to Rama's PayPal account or the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. And then also um, you can access the friends option by putting in the email that's there and do a personal gift that way and that eliminates the commercial charges. So that email is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, Nine 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 at hotmail dot com, and that should uh, eliminate the commercial charges, which is great because we are for all friends and family here. Uh, so lots of gratitude. Either way is perfect. We're so grateful for all the all the gifts. So uh, everything's perfect. <laughs> and what else? Oh yeah, as you're sending something. Let, let Robin know by giving him an email and tell him when, what you sent and when you sent it using this email address, Koran, K-O-R-E-N, 999 at Comcast.net. Let him know what you sent when you sent it so he knows. And then um, as you need it, the mailing address is as follows. Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M D. Berkowitz. B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280, Box 280, and it's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567, I'll say it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567, zip. So there you have it, all the information and so, so much gratitude for all of you. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. And I gotta send this talking stick over to Tara and Rama. 
and it's got lots of fairies and feathers and all the little people and the gnomes and the elves and the dwarves and the manahoonies. <laughs> and, oh, look at that. Everybody's carrying a pie. Oh, my gosh. They got the word. You want a pie. So here comes the pie <laughs> brigade. <laughs> it's on the talking stick. That clock is with us, and so is the unicorns and a few dragons that light the candles. Greetings, Tar and Rolly. Here comes the talking stick. Where are you? Here we are. Greetings, everyone. <laughs> Greetings, thanks to Redbird. Happy Thank you birthday. for being there for every little thing. Can you hear us well now? Yes, Redbird? you sound really good. Oh, fantastic. All things are well in the home front. Um. So, Rama, <laughs> yes. you didn't give me your updates, so you got to do it. Pass the talking stick. Uh, <laughs> uh, what Tom and Sweet Angelique told me today, they just sent me a text message talking about a very extreme, uh, extremely strong geomagnetic storm. With the KP index of seven, and I'm not sure what that means, but it's huge. And I heard that there's going to be aurora borealis from Edmonton and Yellowknife in Canada, all the way down to Seattle and below into Oregon. But this is a big storm. And, um, Edmonton and Yellowknife in Canada down to where? Seattle and Oregon. You oh. can see the Aurora Borealis after, you know, sunset. And um, just the energies are way up there. I saw six deer and four crows today. They were very hungry. And they just said, keep working with the energies and. Well, you feed them every time they don't, they don't mind you coming in there. No, I guess very I got patient, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's raw or cooked, it, it, it'll do. <laughs> Better than nothing to eat. Amen. A whole. Um. This heat wave is Steady as she goes. And El Nino. 95 right now. And El Nino is supposed to be coming in. And I read somewhere or heard that winter's going to be a bear. Like a big. Oh, it's going to get extremely cold, you mean? Yeah. Well, that's the balance place. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no. all kinds of. Lions Wild Titans. things going on on the planet with the old timeline, and I'm just leaving it alone. <sighs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, we got to figure out something in terms of that little heater extremely raises the cost of our heat bill in the winter. No, the cat heater. Uh-uh, I'm talking about the little one. That's the one that raises the cost. Oh, the sink. Heater. Yeah, we got to put it on the end. Maybe we can go shop for some kind of a really economical thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm just talking. What else did you learn today? Uh, I talked with a horse today, and <laughs> the horse was um, very happy to see me, and um, he was prancing around his pasture, very excited, and I had an apple that I was given to give to him. And uh, all is right with the world. I passed the talking stick. Well, we're going to start. And we're going to start with uh, an Aurora Ray. Which, yeah, what's what's me, it called, Rama? Let me get there. It's taking a bit of time. Because... Um, Hopefully this won't start. Um, this Aurora Ray came out yesterday and it's talking about what it feels like when you are, or what she's talk, talking about there we go. The elevate, elevation equation, decoding the qualities of ascended person. Uh. Ascended aura. does an ascended person look like? The first thing is that they don't look like anything. They are not a special type of person. They are just ordinary people. The second thing is that they are very simple. They are not show-offs. They don't go around showing off their enlightenment or their spirituality. They are not trying to impress others with their knowledge, experiences, or anything else. They simply enjoy life as it unfolds moment by moment. Their minds are totally relaxed because there is no tension left in them anymore. No anxiety or fear or anger or frustration or any kind of negativity whatsoever. They are not serious about anything. They are just playing. They enjoy the whole play of life, this beautiful world in which we live. They are not uptight. They are calm and quiet inside themselves. This inner silence gives you the capacity to hear your inner voice. And then, also, it gives you the capacity to listen to other people's voices without getting influenced by them in any way whatsoever, because you have learned how to be silent within yourself, so there is no interference from outside anymore. Nothing can interfere with your inner silence at all anymore, because it has become indestructible now. It has become invulnerable now. It has become impregnable now. 
it cannot be touched by anything anymore because there is no need for anything anymore. There is no need to react or respond because there is nothing left that could disturb your peace or disturb your silence. An ascended person has many beautiful qualities. They are very playful. They can have fun anywhere. In the middle of a crowd or in their home, wherever it may be, they can have fun. They're not serious. Life is not serious for them. They know that whatever happens is just a part of the play that we are all playing, and therefore there is no need to be serious about anything. They are not tense at all because they know that there is nothing to worry about. The whole universe is a play. Everything is going on according to plan, and nothing can go wrong because everything has been predestined. Everything has been planned out, and nothing can go wrong because it will happen anyway. There is nothing left but peace and joy and blissfulness in every moment of existence, this moment now. There's no need to wait until some future time when everything will be perfect and wonderful. It's already perfect now. It's already wonderful now. Let go of the past. Let go of the future. There is only this moment and you are alive in it. You are breathing right now. You are here right now. You are loved right now. There are no mistakes, only lessons learned, which can be used to make what comes next even better than what came before it. You deserve everything that is coming your way, all good things, all blessings, because you are enough right now. You are worthy of love, acceptance, abundance, all the things that make life worth living. So you have to have this quality of being playful. This is one of the important qualities of an ascended person. Otherwise, you cannot ascend. An ascended person really enjoys life and knows how to enjoy it fully and completely without any kind of worries, anxieties, or tensions. Because he or she knows that whatever happens here is just a part of the game and there is no need to get tense over anything. An ascended person is very creative, productive, inventive, and innovative. They are also very patient with everything around them, whether it is good or bad, whether it brings benefits or losses, whether it brings success or failure, he or she always remains calm and collected, no matter what happens around him or her, because he or she knows that everything happens according to God's will and nothing happens outside his will, so there is no need to worry about anything. This is the truth. This is reality. This is what you are experiencing right now. It's not just a concept or an idea. It's your life. And there is nothing that needs to change in your life because it is already perfect. We only have to wake up to the fact that this is true. We only need to realize that every single moment is filled with all of these things. And then we can live our lives from that place of understanding. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Our, this is going to be very good, everybody. 
We're starting with our brother, Greg, Bra- Greg Braden. Um, full disclosure, we re- where we really come from. New evidence from ETs, Atlantis, and pyramids. All right. And, um, I just wanted to say what Aurora Ray was saying, that when I interact with the deer in the crows, I got to be in the now moment, and they only know this now moment. And as you come with no fear and just the curiosity of play, they will play with you. <laughs> Rama had a few little challenges from the deer when we were up there in uh, North Dakota. Yeah, I challenged them, and they challenged me, and they knocked me down. Uh, they're a lot bigger. Yes. They and got... there's a few horns on those heads, deer. <laughs> I stand down. Oh, yeah, you were lucky. But anyway, we're all here now. Yes. All right, so this is says It's rare and Inspire Nation show with Michael Sandler. It's rare. This was premiered on July 27th. It's rare an interview comes along that completely shatters our perception of reality, why we are here, and where we came from. Yet with Greg Braden... You'll learn the real truth about pyramids, Atlantis, and Antarctica, ET interventions, the true story behind our DNA, the climate, and what's really happening to the Earth, the hidden cycles of civilization, and whether we'll make it through, and even what the powers that be want to do to remove our humanity as they insert artificial parts and chips in our bodies, Mm. and through AI. Greg Braden is a five-time New York Times best-selling author, scientist, international educator, and renowned as a pioneer in the emerging paradigm based in science, social policy, and human potential. There we go. Let's start. Hour and 33 minutes, everybody. The real battle unfolding in the world today, Greg. There's a battle for our beliefs. What do we believe about who we are, where we come from, the origin of human, the origin of our planet, the origin of the universe, and they're all important. The movement to replace our bodies with synthetic materials falls under the umbrella. We've all heard of this, the the transhuman movement. Literally, if we are replacing our biology with the technology, we lose access to our divinity. When we give our humanness away to technology, our natural biological systems begin to atrophy, and once that happens, we never get them back. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm Michael Sandler, your host on Inspire Nation. If you've ever wondered about where we come from, what's been hidden, and what's the real human story, then do we have the Wisdom Code show for you. Today I'll be talking with world-renowned scientist and best-selling author of books such as The Wisdom Codes, Greg Braden, as we look at what's really going on with our hidden history, humanity, and the world. So welcome back to the show, Greg. Are you ready to shine? 
I am ready to shine. Michael, I am so excited to be with you today. Sorry, it's our first time together today. I'm coming to you from our studio just outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, this is completely unscripted. We have no idea where this is going to go. And it's a dance. My brother, I'm going to follow your lead. And I, I know we're going to have a great time. Uh, we are. And, and I can't resist saying, and driving from Santa Fe to Taos to who knows where up north was one of the few times that I saw some uh, maybe not extraterrestrial vehicles uh, zipping up over the desert sky. But we'll get there in a little bit. Before we go there, what's the real battle unfolding in the world today, Greg? You know, there are, there are battles within battles. And I think we all know that. There's a battle for our thoughts playing out through mainstream legacy media. That's no secret. We all know that. There's there's a battle for our beliefs. What do we believe about who we are, where we come from, the origin of human, the origin of our planet, the origin of the universe? We all know that that's playing out in the classrooms and the textbooks. There's a battle for our bodies. We have just witnessed that over the last few years, and it's it's an ongoing battle. And they're all important, Michael, every one of them. For me, they are masking an even deeper battle that is not so obvious uh, to some people. And that is literally a battle for our, our very humanness and aspects of our humanness that give us the extraordinary potentials that are given to no other form of life that we know of today in this world. I have no doubt that these potentials exist in other forms of life and in other realms. But what we as, uh, as scientists, I'm a scientist, and what I can say to you as a scientist is that there's no other form of life on Earth that we know of right now that has been blessed with the extraordinary potentials that we have today. And it is those potentials, Michael, I'm going to be really clear on this, it's those potentials that lead to an even deeper battle for something that is called our divinity. And I, I want to be clear on what I mean by this, because many people associate divinity with religion, and I can see why that would happen. But if you look up the, the dictionary definition, divinity simply means the ability to transcend perceived human limitations. That's it, to transcend, to become more than perceived. It doesn't even mean they're real. It, they are limitations we place upon ourselves. And there is a part of us. A, a biological aspect linked directly to the DNA that was fused and mutated 200,000 years ago that gives us the abilities that we have today, the movement to replace our bodies with synthetic materials, uh, chips in the brain, chemicals in the blood, wires under the skin, sensors on the body, uh, falls under the umbrella. We, we've all heard of this, the, the transhuman movement, literally, literally, if we are replacing our biology with the technology, we lose access to our divinity. And there is a lot of controversy around this. Uh, you know, the, why would we want to do that? Who's driving it? But you ask the question, the, the ultimate battle, all the other things, Ukraine is important. The collapsing banking system is important. Climate is important, and there is a level at which they become diversions, Michael, because when we're, fight, when we're focused there, what we're not looking at is what's happening to us. And I'll just say this, the reason it's so vital is because it's happening in a single generation, and when we give our humanness away to technology, what happens is our natural biological systems begin to atrophy, and once that happens, we never get them back. 
So we are literally in the process of giving away elements of our humanness before we even know what they are. We don't understand ourselves well enough to to make that choice. And there's the, the arrogance of people in the scientific community that believe that they know better and are trying to engineer, re-engineer uh, our, our biology. And I believe that is the, the greatest the greatest threat that we face as a species right now. Thank you. And I'm, I'm going to bring us back around. I'm going to bring us full circle right back to here because I want to go back to ancient technologies or ancient civilizations and where we really came from. And, and this, this idea of us being fused and mutated and our chromosomes being fused and mutated and all these changes taking place. I believe that we are the ultimate that we know of. Of an ascendant being, meaning we are constantly changing, constantly growing, constantly evolving, constantly changing, constantly growing. But actually, it is cyclical. We may have actually been more evolved at one point, and then we disappeared. What's happening, Greg? The, the word evolution, yeah, evolution is, is the key word here. So uh, I am going to come at this. I have my personal perspective, and and then I have my scientific knowledge, and and I'll delineate when I. When I walk either one of those as a scientist, uh, and I'm a degreed geologist by primary degree of a very strong background, math, physics, computer science, archaeology, uh, and, and cosmology. And I say that because it is that multidisciplinary background that allows me to stay current with new discoveries that are published in very obscure scientific journals. They're not secret. They're out there. It's just nobody reads these very technical, obscure scientific journals, this information is not trickling down into the mainstream. You won't find this in mainstream classrooms, mainstream textbooks, certainly not in mainstream legacy media and pop scientists. So what I mean by a pop scientist, these are these are the so-called experts that the media will bring on to comment on what it means when the core of the earth stops rotating, which happened in, in March, for example, or what it means when we find uh, evidence of a civilization 20,000 years before present underneath ice in Antarctica, when we're led to believe that civilization's only 5,000 years old. You, and so they, we're going to have to go there. This. Yeah, we, well, we, we will. So, so what I will say to you as a scientist is this. What the science shows that the DNA evidence is now removed much of the speculation about who we are. It's opened the door to a, a whole lot more questions. But for the viewers that may not be aware of this, we now can do what used to be science fiction just a few years ago. When the, the, the first Jurassic Park movie came out, the really good one, the very first one, when it came out, that was based in what was science fiction at the time. And it is no longer uh, 100% science fiction. We now have the ability to isolate and remove the DNA from fossilized remains of ancient forms of life, including those that we believed we descended from. And when we can remove that DNA, what we can do is build a genome. Now, it's it's not in a test tube. It's, it's on a computer printout. We can look at the genome of those forms of life, and we can compare it to ours, and it tells us who we are and who we are not. We know that we are not the descendant of Neanderthal, for example, and that is very well accepted. We we walk the earth with them. We share the earth. They say we probably had Neanderthal boyfriends and girlfriends, uh, and that's why you will see Neanderthal DNA show up in 
you know, uh, 23andMe or, or some of the, you know, the DNA tests that you can do. There are remnants of that. But we, we shared the earth with them. We didn't descend from them. What the DNA also shows, and this is, this is where it gets really controversial, Michael, and, and from my perspective, really beautiful is that we, okay, we are now called anatomically modern humans. It's abbreviated AMH is the acronym. And scientists are in total agreement with the first part of what I'm going to say to you. Anatomically modern humans showed up on this planet about 200,000 years ago. Scientists are, are pretty much in agreement with that. The question is, how do we get here? Where do we come from? What the DNA is showing is that there are mutations in our genome now that we can look and compare our genome today to those of our ancestors. They have been there from the very beginning. So there are mutations in our genome that that showed up 200,000 years ago that give us the extraordinary capabilities that no other form of life has. So, for example, I think that for me, one of the smoking guns is human chromosome number two. It's the product of the fusion of two pre-existing chromosomes, but it didn't stop there. Because after the fusion occurred, there were genes that were added. There were genes that were silenced. There were genes that were deleted to stabilize that fusion. And it is that fusion that gave us uh, a brain 50% larger than our nearest primate. It gave us a neo, uh, it accounts for about 80% of the neocortex that we have today. And here's why that's important. Very, very simply, it is what gives us our uniquely human abilities of sympathy, empathy, compassion, the ability to self-regulate on demand when we choose to self-regulate our own biology, to create a strong immune system when we choose to awaken longevity enzymes when we choose and to, to, to keep those longevity enzymes going, uh, to create resilience, to change. I mean, who doesn't want that? The world's changing faster than we know how to document it. It gives us access to super cognition, super memory, super learning, and so much more, all from, from chromosome two. And that's not the only one. If that was the only one, you could say maybe it's a fluke. Chromosome number seven is a mystery. And there is a gene called FOXP2, which is very controversial. But uh, I mentioned before we went on camera, when I'm not doing what I'm doing now, I was a musician long before I was ever an author or a scientist. And it's probably one of the most stable things in my life and, and probably one of the saving graces in, in my life. And as a musician and a scientist, I've always wondered, we share 98% of our genome with a chimpanzee. I mean, that's almost all of it. That 2% is what sets us apart. 98% of our DNA we share with a chimpanzee. As a musician, I know I'm never going to hear a chimpanzee sing Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven. And, and I don't think anybody else will either. And the question is why? And the answer, this is a mind blower, is there is, there's, a, there are a series of genes in chromosome number seven that have been stable in all primates, all the forms of, of primate life for 175 million years. They didn't budge. All of a sudden there was this little, mm, this little shift, this little twist in DNA. It was, it was the rearrangement of two DNA letters. In, in the genome, we're all familiar with CTAG, the letters that make up the genome, that connected our tongue and our, our jaw and, uh, and a part of our brain that links those things together that gives us the ability for complex speech and the ability to sing.
And you say, well, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, maybe that's just a fluke. Well, both of these things happened. They didn't happen slowly, gradually over a long period of time, as Darwin's theory of evolution would lead us to believe. They happened very quickly. They happened exactly 200,000 years ago when we showed up on the planet. Here's the kicker. We haven't changed. The genome is the same today as it was when we showed up. It violates a fundamental law of evolution that says nature never over-endows. It says that we never have more than we need until we need it. And what this says, Michael, is that we're, and I'm happy to be the first maybe to, to share this with your audience. Audience, we are over-endowed. <laughs> we're all over-endowed as, as humans because we showed up with capabilities light years beyond what was needed just to survive 200,000 years ago. And we're only beginning to access many of those capabilities today. So that's a long answer to a short question. I, I wanted to lay this out. Who or what is responsible for this as a scientist? What I have to say is that we are the product of some kind of an intelligent intervention. And I think that's a fair word, intervention. Now, there are all kinds of of theories and stories and interpretations. The truth is that no one knows for certain. We see archaeological representations of what may have happened. We have cultural representations, oral traditions from the indigenous people that I go to. Those aren't facts. So until, I mean, they support a story, certainly they support a narrative that we are part of something much greater than we've been led to believe conventionally. I mean, you and I are our audience. I think we all know that. You've got, you have a very sophisticated audience, uh, Michael, and that's why I'm really excited to be with you because I know we can get to the core of, of this conversation. So I have to say as a scientist that it appears we're the product of some kind of, of intervention up until 2012. That intervention was a mystery. In the year 2012, a new technology was announced to the world that I know everybody's heard of now. It's called CRISPR gene editing. And it was the first time that we realized a technology uh, that would allow us efficiently to do in a genome what we see evidence of that happened in ours. And the question is, who had CRISPR technology 200,000 years ago? And and look where we are today. What The amazing things we can do today, it's only been since 2012. What would it mean to a civilization that has had this for hundreds of thousands of years? And that opens the door to the rest of the conversation, I think. Thank you. And, and you, you you covered a wide breadth, and I'm, I'm going to blow it out of the water even more. We're going to we're going to go weird here. We're going to go uh, we're going to go Atlantis. We're going to go Antarctica. We're going to go pyramids around the world. We're going to go maybe pyramids on Mars. And we're going to go to the question as. Would you support that the new story is we did not start here? Oh, yeah, I think so. There is a new human story that's emerging. So there's there's a bigger picture happening here because none of this conversation is happening in a vacuum. We're living in a world that is changing faster than we can document it. There are multiple visions of what the world and our lives should look like based upon multiple agendas of what the world and our lives should look like. And it's within the context of that that information is uh, and narratives are being structured to lead us to believe 
very specific narratives so that we will follow paths of of other people's ideas of of life and and the world. I mean, we've got, you know, obviously the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. We've got the United Nations now complicit in that through an agreement that was signed in 2019. You know, we've we've got the, the push towards centralization in the world and and centralized power and centralized control at a time when it makes more sense to localize, not centralize, to to live locally, to grow our food locally, not have it shipped in a supply chain from halfway around the world, localized economies, localized finances. But those all, Michael, those all imply a sense of sovereignty and personal power that is lost in a story that says we're the product of random mutations. We are an accident of biology. Lucky biology is what it's called. And if we're just the product of random mutations, it leads us to feel powerless and victims in a world that's changing quickly. And if we're powerless victims, we need a savior. And that savior is being touted as technology. And that is where the technology in the world around us and the technology within our bodies is coming in. The movement to replace so much of our biology with artificial gadgets. Uh, when we do that, we lose the very essence of what sets us apart from other forms of life. We lose our divinity. We lose our sovereignty. We lose our ability to self-regulate our own biology. I just want to say this really quickly because I, I was in an audience, a live audience two weeks ago. Uh, which uh, which I, I love being with my live audiences. We were with them for four days in northern Arizona. And we had some young people. And this is the beauty. We've, we've got a new generation of young people that are just waking up to this conversation that, you know, you and I have been having for years and others have been having, you know, since the early 20th century. And it's very cool that they're they're waking up to this. And they've been led to believe that computers and computer chips are the God, that that is the savior of all. And when I said to them, what I'm going to say to you and, and your audience, your audience is my family. So I'm going to say what I'm about to say to your audience and, and my family, my community is this. I'm a scientist and I'm a tech guy. And I, I, uh, I, I worked in high tech during the cold war years on a project called SDI, Star Wars Defense. So I say that because uh, Star Wars Defense Initiative, SDI. Because I've seen the most advanced laser systems, radar systems, communication systems, and I respect them tremendously. And uh, and they are powerful. But here's the deal. A computer chip in the brain, a computer chip will never be able to process faster than the physics of the stuff it's made from allows it to process. The information between the atoms and the silicon, for example, if we're, if we're using silicon. That there's a limit to that. There's there's a high end to that. It's not scalable beyond that limit. So when we talk about computer chips in the brain, are they fast? Absolutely. Are they efficient? Totally. But look at this. The human neuron and the cells in the human body, we do not know the top end of the performance for our own biology. And here's the reason, because every time we reach what we call a limit or a wall or a plateau, we adapt and our cells shift to accommodate that new environment. And all of a sudden we are outperforming what it was that we thought was the high end before. This is 
true brain. We used to think that 40, 40 hertz was the, the high end of the brain state. And now Tibetan monks have shown us we had to bump it to 80 hertz and then 100 hertz and new brain states called uh, the gamma brain state, and the hyper gamma brain state and the epsilon brain. Now we're over 200 cycles per second. When I was in school back in 1950s and 1960s, we were taught 40 hertz was was the top end. It couldn't the human brain couldn't possibly do any more than that. Now we're being taught that 200 hertz is the top end. We don't know how scalable we are. We are this highly advanced, technologically sophisticated, soft technology. We were given the gift of this form and this technology 200,000 years ago by who or whatever is responsible for those mutations. And and, and there are more. I just gave you two examples for those mutations or those fusions. And that mystery has driven civilization to to try to find a way to accommodate the, the depth of that mystery by building religions and by building spiritual traditions and principles and stories to explain this deep mystery, Michael, of, of who we are. And you, I, I'm privileged now to know that you've just brought a new life with your with your partner in into this world. And it is one of the deepest mysteries in terms of how, I mean, it's so common we see it, but how does that really happen? And what what actually happened in the moment that the cells in your wife's womb became animated and a new life emerged? We still don't have the answer to that, yet we're willing to give that away and compromise it. Uh, the uncertainty of what that life holds for the certainty of artificial intelligence, computer chips, wires, chemicals in the body. And this is happening in this lifetime. And it's part of this big context that we're talking about. We're not, we're not exploring our past within a vacuum. Our past informs us and says that we are extraordinary beings. And, and I know we're going to talk about what that past is, but if we take that memory away, then we are vulnerable to the ideas of other people and we're vulnerable to the social engineering that we're seeing uh, that threatens our, our way of life and our very existence today. So I think it's important. We have to keep, there's a context here. We have to keep that context in mind. Thank you. And I think based on what you were saying, there's about to be a, a very beautiful cameo appearance here in a moment. Ah, okay. <laughs> she's, uh, well, she's, I, I hope I did not. I hope I didn't overstep any bounds. Oh, God, I, I no. have no children, no children of my own, and I'm in awe of the, the mystery, and I'm thrilled when I get to see her. Oh no, she she is the miracle of miracle. The the thing is, when you when you talk about uh, evolution in this other context, uh, and this this is Hannah Bear, this is the love of our lives. Um, hey, Hannah Bear. They've how, so how did Hannah Bear? Hannah Bear just appeared on the screen. Did she just walk to you, or well, was she handed off? Uh, both. She she was she was she was dropped off off by the table, and she came over because she she knows exactly what I'm doing. She's 14 months of age. She knows exactly what I'm doing, and she would be very displeased if she did not get to say hi, if she did not get to meet you, if she did not get to reach out to everybody who's watching her. And and she had just woken up from her nap, but she wouldn't have. I know, I know. She's looking at the mouse, which is very exciting to her. She wouldn't have it anywhere. They come in, Greg, wired differently. 
I know they do. I know they do. I, I have none of my own. I get to be around others that do. And, um, and I'm, I'm still in awe. I'm still in awe. And, you know, we were talking about this off, off, uh, off camera. There are many people locked in an old idea that there are too many people on the earth. And what, what the, the new data is showing is just the opposite is happening right now that our fertility rates globally are, have dropped like a rock. They, they already have. And that it's becoming more difficult to conceive. It takes more, uh, more times to conceive. And there are, uh, she, she's a miracle baby. Three, three miscarriages and lost her twin sister in utero. I, I was just going to say the, the misca- the number of miscarriages to arrive at a successful conception is increasing. So she is a miracle and I'm, Hello. I am loving that she's here with us today. Hey, beautiful. Hello. Hey, beautiful. Trying to say hi. Hello. <laughs> Congratulations to you and your wife. I don't know how you find time to do what you're doing now. I would spend all my time with her. Oh, it's, oh, oh, you're, are you, are you really trying to flip upside down right now? Is that what you're trying to do? No? Okay. We don't have to. Um, it, it's, she's the greatest teacher. And so when we look at this, okay, here you go. When we look at this. So you gotta ask, you gotta ask her all the questions you're asking me. She's well, gonna have good answers. She's gonna have good answers. And, and more than that, um, I think she's able to point out the bullshit. Even at 14 months of age, I think she's able to see through things. And so if we look, and I want to, I want to bring it back to the pyramids. I want to bring it to, to Atlantis and Antarctica. And, and, and I know it precedes that and precedes that and precedes that and precedes that because we have such collective amnesia, whether that's deliberate or otherwise. But I'm sure she could see this story just like she's looking at a little hardcover book. I go, that's a story that's made up. What you're telling me is made up. That's not the truth. So. What do we know about past civilizations and what are you convinced is not made up? Well, that's, uh, I mean, we could do the whole program based on, I'm actually speaking at a conference in two weeks, uh, ancient civilizations conference in, in Gaia as, as a geologist, I'm speaking. So what we know is when I was in school, again, back in the 1950s and 60s, early 70s, and interestingly, they're teaching the same thing today. Michael, exactly the same thing. We're taught that civilization is about 5,000 years old, that it began in the Tigris-Euphrates Valley around 5,500 years ago, Sumeria, Mesopotamia, and and things like that. And that is pretty much, that's the story that's pretty much dialed in. And that's what everyone is mainstream. They're teaching our kids this stuff today. The problem is there have always been archaeological discoveries that didn't fit into that 5,000 years, and so those are called anomalies. And so what happens is that the scientists, historians, will say, okay, these are anomalies. We'll come back and, and we'll, we'll figure these out later. Well, what has happened now is there's so many anomalies. The anomalies are telling a, a, a new story unto themselves. And what they're showing is that that 5,000 years from Sumeria forward, that's the history, you know, Rome and Greece and, uh, you know, India and, you know, so much of the things that we, um, the Mayan, the Aztec, you know, uh, Inca, all of that stuff fits into that 5,500 years. What we now know is that that 5,000 years is only the most recent 5,000-year cycle, and there was a 5,000-year cycle before that. And another one before that, and another one, at least five of these 5,000 year cycles. Going back a procession. So it, it's linked to cosmological processes, but it's also linked to geological processes. So 
For example, uh, as a geologist, we I know that what what history now is showing is that something happened on Earth between 12 and 13,000 years ago, the BP before present. Uh, there was a catastrophe on Earth, and it's called the Younger Dryas. And that the, the climate changed abruptly. We went from a warming into a deep freeze that happened so quickly. People seen this. The woolly mammoths were frozen in the middle of a, a mouthful of food. The food is still in their mouths. They were frozen in the middle of a step. This isn't a gradual change. This happened very, very quickly. Well, what's interesting is that if we look back another 13,000 years, we see something similar happening again. These are 12 and 13,000 year cycles that appear to be driven by processes underneath our feet. It's the relationship between the core of our planet, the mantle of our planet, volcanic activity, how it influences climate and weather, magnetic fields, all of that. The point is, it is cyclic, and the cycles appear to be driven by something beyond our Earth in the cosmos. So we are living rhythms that are not commonly acknowledged because our society doesn't think in terms of of cycles like that. So when you talk about civilization, the most recent cycle of 5,000 years is the one that we're most familiar with. Unfortunately, Michael, what happens is through the catastrophic events, when the climate changes, when the ice melts and the sea levels rise and the volcanic ash falls and the floods happen, Evidence of previous civilizations is hidden. And unless we know where to look, uh, we only find them occasionally and by accident. And that's what has happened in the past. So we've got Gobekli Tepe. Yes. Uh, in Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. That now goes back over in the last ice age. Uh, so it falls into this, the not 5,000, but now 10,000 years. And, and before that, we've got. Uh, the Gulf of Kambat in India, three miles long, five miles wide. It's under the water, 120 feet underwater. It's an entire city in the place where the, the Hindu traditions and the Vedas say that the gods had their city and everybody thought it was make believe. And, and now it was discovered by, by accident. Uh, but it's there. It doesn't fit the model. Now we're looking climate change is melting the ice on the North and South Poles, including Antarctica. And now the satellites are showing complex uh, structures under the Antarctic ice. These aren't like hunting huts. Uh, these are vast, complex structures. They're under the ice. The ice peaked 20,000 years ago. So the question is, who was building vast, complex structures before the ice was there 20,000 years ago? And now you're looking back in, into even deeper cycles. So this is the the problem that scientists have is that the evidence doesn't fit the story that they're telling. And I have friends in academia and I asked them, I said, you know, why, why won't you share this stuff with your students? And they don't want to, they just say, Greg, you don't understand. You know, they say, if, if we share the new information, it invalidates a 40 year career as a historian. And I, I said, no, just the opposite. What it does is it shows that science is valid uh, because science is not static. It's not a static way of knowing. It's dynamic. It, it needs to be constantly updated as we discover new things to, to update. And, and then there are the political issues and there's the power and the control issues. Uh, it's, there are issue, religious issues. For example, I'll just give you a, a perfect example. 
my first trip to Egypt was uh, 1986. And it was at that time that seismic work was being done underneath the Sphinx, um, identifying the chambers that are in a vast complex underneath the, the Giza Plateau. And it was all being kept under wraps. And I asked my dear Egyptian brother, who, who no longer is in this world, I asked him, I said, why can't you share this with the world? And he, he said, Greg, you don't understand. He said, we're a Muslim country. And I said, well, I, you know, I know that. He said, well, in our tradition, Earth is only 6,000 years old. What would it mean if the evidence to show that we're looking at civilizations 15 and 20,000 years old appears in a Muslim country? What would that mean for us? He said, we will at some point have to reveal it. But he said, we have so many problems now. We don't need to add to the problems with this one. And so so we don't talk about it. And unfortunately, that's one example. Something similar is happening in, in the, the Christian traditions. Uh, we have disclosure going on right now about our relationship to intelligence from beyond this world. The, the Jesuits, who are the the scientific arm of the Catholic Church, uh, had to come out. They had a conference, and they came out with a statement. Now, I didn't know we were going to do this, so I'm going to do this from memory, it's, but it's pretty close. Uh, what they said was, in the, from the Catholic perspective, uh, it is not in opposition of Catholic doctrine for life to exist beyond the earth. So they're kind of covering themselves. They're not saying it does, but if it does, the church is okay with it. And uh, because they say God could have, have placed his creations in many different places. So, you know, there's just different uh, different perspectives of why we don't want this information to come to light. The problem is it is coming to light. And that we don't know how old civilization is because, because we have evidence that keeps pushing it back further and further and further. Uh, in, and if you look at a map, superimposed on the map, they fit into these cycles uh, that are driven by geologic processes. So, so let's go there. Thank you so much, Greg. Let's go there for a minute. And you were talking about uh, uh, the Earth's core coming to a halt uh, a few months back. What are the processes going on? And it, the, the question that everybody is asking right now, we're going to take it from a different angle from science right now. Uh, is this civilization, if there's been civilization going, collapsing, going, collapsing, going, collapsing, and we don't know where that even started, we can say, OK, 200K, we can't appeared here from somewhere. So it probably wasn't before that. But are we doomed? I, I believe we're not. And I, uh, I'll preface what I'm going to say by saying I'm an optimist. Uh, and I'm also a realist. I'm also a realist, Michael. And I believe that in this, this iteration of our humanness, we have, we have things that those before us did not have. We have, uh, we now have a, a technology and we have a knowledge that gives us an evolutionary edge that our ancestors may not have had. And I'm not saying that those civilizations weren't advanced. I think they were tremendously advanced in different ways. Technology means different things to different civilizations. And uh, uh, I believe that we, we have the knowledge and we have the technology. The two questions that remain is from that knowledge, will we develop the wisdom to apply what we know in a meaningful way. And, and the second question is, do we love ourselves enough to embrace the deep truth 
of the beautiful history that is ours. Do we love ourselves enough to be honest with ourselves about who we are and where we've come from so that we don't make the mistakes and that we don't succumb to the cataclysms that have uh, taken entire civilizations in, in the past? And, and we, and we, I'm just gonna say, we won't have to wait long to find the answer. Oh, that's, that's, that's so, so true. And, and that's my whole, my whole job, my, my raison d'etre right now, my, my reason for being is to set ourselves free from all of these, um, we can call it the matrix, we can label it whatever we want, but to remember who and what we truly are. Because when we understand that, then we link arms hand in hand as brothers and sisters and step forward rather than saying leaders to somebody up there or in Washington or who knows where, please save us because that ain't going to happen. Well, what's what's happening right now? And again, this is why I, I prefaced what I said earlier. This conversation isn't happening in a vacuum. There's a context. And the context is that we are living a time unlike any time in recorded our 5000 years of recorded human history. We're living the convergence of a number of cycles. Some of them we know about and some we don't. Obviously, we're living a, a, a climate cycle right now. That is enough to turn everything upside down if it were happening alone, but it's not. We're also living a cycle of human conflict. Human conflict appears to be driven uh, largely, and you can map this out. Uh, the magnetic fields of our planet, when they are low, we are more aggressive and we have, that's when we have the big wars. When they are high, we are more willing to cooperate and we are, uh, is when, when peace happens and we are living right now, 20, the year 2020 was the peak of a, a week cycle, actually the, 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 the trough of a week cycle. However, 2020, we were in lockdown. And so I think it was delayed. We're now living what could have happened two years ago. Obviously, there's a lot of conflict in the world right now. But the the beauty of knowing that is that we're also living the greatest opportunity for peace. And when we we look at at the way conflict is plotted on uh, against the the cycles of magnetics for our planet that are driven by solar uh, solar processes and cosmic processes as well. We see that the beginnings and the ends of the great wars have always come at the top, at the, the peaks and the, and the bottoms of, of these cycles. So, so does that mean, just to interrupt for a brief second, there were supposed to be peaks and solar cycles or solar flares around 2025 that we're now told may be coming toward the end of 2023. Is that related to this? Well, it's, it's, it's all related. We are living, we're moving into, uh, we are coming out of a solar minimum. And uh, a very quiet solar cycle. And the sun is becoming more active sooner than it was predicted to have become. What they thought was going to happen uh, in like 2027, 20, they think they're saying now, the, the number of sunspots and the number of flares that we have right now are preceding where the predictions were. And they said that it's not going to last until that long. We're 24, 25. I think we're going to see a lot of activity around that. So, so that's another cycle. We're also living the convergence of an economic cycle. We're also living, we are at the 13,000 year mark from the last 13,000 year, uh, cataclysm that typically is driven 
by geophysical processes under our feet, and we can talk about those specifically, but, but what they do is they create an uptick in volcanic activity and supervolcanoes, and that is what changes the climate on the planet. Uh, for years and years and years, that's what's led to the decline and the loss of many civilizations in the past. When the climate changes, for example, the volcanic activity spews sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere. It blocks, effectively blocks sunlight for years. When Mount Pinatubo erupted, uh, the estimates are about uh, 170 million metric tons of sulfur dioxide were thrown up into the atmosphere and the Earth's temperature dropped one degree Celsius for, for about a year just from that. So uh, so these are the things that uh, when that happens, when the that means there's more ice uh, that forms, the ice takes over forests that we use to produce the oxygen that we need to absorb the carbon dioxide. It's a whole. So well, let me just say it this way. We live in a holistic system that is rarely acknowledged in mainstream science. We talk about the atmosphere as if it were an isolated system. We have the atmosphere, certainly, and we have what's called the cryosphere, and that's the ice on the planet. We have the hydrosphere, those are the oceans on the planet. We have the lithosphere, and that is the, the, the rock under our feet. And these, these are all interrelated, and we cannot have something happen in one that doesn't affect all of the others. That's a problem because we're now, we've got the arrogance of scientists who are geoengineering this planet Without understanding, we have the arrogance of knowing just enough technology to have an effect, but not understanding the the deep truth of the interrelated nature of those systems, just the way the arrogance of the scientist wants to engineer the human body without fully understanding the interconnected nature of the human body and the field around us and the role of DNA. It, it all comes down to we know just enough to mess things up. And in my opinion, there are some things we shouldn't be messing with. And those are two of them, the human body and, and the, the, the atmosphere of our planet. Yeah, the atmosphere of the planet when they talk about geoengineering, that, that one, that one is uh, whoo. Uh, but bring, bring it and all of what you say is that way. But but that one gets me like the the recent discussions and the quote unquote discussions in the White House. And you're going, oh, my gosh. Going full circle, though, you said something fascinating. No, you said everything fascinating, Greg. But well, one, I'm, happy, I'm happy to know something was fascinating. Your daughter looks interested. So oh, yeah. I've got an audience. And, 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 and she just keeps on saying, just feed me. I'm listening. I'm taking this all in. Um, in there's an intelligence here that gets to be addressed. And, and I'm, I'm not talking about God. We could call it the field. But, but it was interesting that you said the, these wars take place at a magnetic minimum. But we're coming out of that. So it was suppressed and now it's coming out now. But that, that solar activity that wasn't going to be around till maybe 2027 seems to be coming earlier. And to me, what I hear is there's an intelligence behind this. The universe is alive and she's bringing things about at a specific time for a specific reason. And so if things go off balance here, there's a natural tendency to try to bring them back to balance. 
You could you could think of it that way. That you know, it's layers upon layers, Michael, and it depends on how deep people really want to go. Uh, as a scientist, I'm a systems thinker, so I I tend to go after, and I always have all my life. I tend to go after the big picture first to understand the mechanism, and and then I let that go and zero in on the nanosecond of my life to figure out where I fit into that big picture. So the 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 big picture is that we live in a dynamic system. We've been taught that it's a static system. We've been taught that the climate should always be what it was 20 years ago, and if it's not, that something is broken. And that simply is is not true. And as a geologist, you know, I can go back into the geologic record. We appeared 200,000 years ago. I can go back 400,000 years ago, and I can show you the same cycles and where we are in those cycles uh, and there were no humans that were, were causing it, you know, no industry during that time. Do we know, I want to be really clear, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. We need to go clean. We need to go green. And we're not causing the climate to change. If we had no fossil fuels, the climate would still be, we're adding to it. We're definitely, we have to say we're adding to it because we're kicking stuff into the air, but we're we're not what's making it. And this is a problem because when we eliminate all the fossil fuels and the climate change continues, a narrative is in trouble. And what do you do with that narrative? And I, I think that's one of the problems with disclosure right now. Disclosure is going to reveal sources of energy that make fossil fuels obsolete. When we stop burning them and the climate does not change, what do you do with that narrative? And that's that's a whole conversation unto itself. Well, it brings up the pyramids and maybe what the pyramids were originally intended for, because they don't look like they do today. And my assumption is they had everything to do with energy. They do, and probably not the way that we expect today. And I'll, I'll say something that I, I don't want to upset your audience, and I also want to be honest, truthful, and factual. Uh, because I, I have recently been at conferences where people were clamoring for Tesla energy. Why, if only we had Tesla energy. I, I believe there's a, a beautiful balance and a symmetry in the universe, and that there is an intelligence that that guides and directs us, whether we're aware of it or not. Michael, we actually dodged a bullet by not having Tesla successfully implement his technology early in the 1900s. And I'll I'll tell you exactly why. Tesla's technology was based on what's called broadcast energy. And many of the pyramids were uh, assumed to be that as well. Broadcast energy is where you transmit tremendous amounts of, of energy into the atmosphere uh, for other people to pick up with an antenna and download into, into their home. Well, if you think that cell phone <laughs> microwaves are bad, and microwave energy and 5G is bad, and I'll just give you an example. If we had Tesla technology today, we could not have high-rise buildings made of steel girder construction because the steel girders would be the antenna that would, would resonate with that energy uh, we couldn't have expansion bridges like the Golden Gate Bridge. We couldn't do that. Tesla proved a very powerful point. I, I have his lab notes from 1899 in Colorado Springs. Uh, I used to belong to the Tesla Society when I was working in, in the defense industry. I was also in, in the Tesla Society. And how long were you in Colorado Springs? I, I lived in Springs till 2000. Well, I, I didn't live there. I, I was working in Denver during the Cold War years on the Star Wars defense SDI was a crazy program, uh, but I would go down to the Springs because that's where the Tesla Society would meet every year. 
and we had, you know, working replicas of his of his devices and his lab notes. Uh, the, his, the big experiments that he did where you see the sparks flying off of the coils, those were done in 1899 and 1900 right there in, in Colorado Springs. And, and what he did in those, he's an amazing man. I mean, I, I have deep reverence and tremendous respect for him is that he proved that Earth is a resonant body, and he found Earth, when those sparks happen, is when resonance was achieved. And so he he proved that, and all the electricity we have today is from his technology, the transformers that he built using his coils to hold us over until another form of energy was developed. That He never intended his technology to be in place and last for 100, over 100 years, and that's where we are right now. However... If we had had broad, what's called broadcast energy, we couldn't wear some of the jewelry that we have. We couldn't have a, a society based in the way and by the biological consequences of having that kind of an electrical charge in the atmosphere constantly. Uh, a lot of studies have been done around it. So I'll just say that I don't think it's an accident that we didn't implement that form of, of wireless energy. What will happen from disclosure is not that kind of energy. It's the kind of energy that literally taps the little vibrations in the Planck field. The field that surrounds us is made of, of little tiny, you know, micro beyond. It's below the Planck scale. So little elements of, of vibration tapping into those and then amping them into a, a useful range where everyone will have a little device. You'll have one in your home somewhere, and your that energy will be what's driving everything in your home. You have a little one in your car, you know, in, in place of a, an internal combustion engine. That's what will come from the disclosure. And a lot of people think it will destroy entire industries. We will still need oil because there are over 6,000 applications in our everyday lives that cannot be – oil – out of the ground is one of the, the most beautiful elements. It's a compound that cannot be replicated in the laboratory. We cannot make true synthetic oil. You can, you can fake it to some degree. And we use uh, over 6,000 applications in our daily lives. It's so precious. We need to stop burning it. That's the whole point. We need to stop burning it. And, uh, and we will. And, and it will change industry and there will be new industries that emerge around these new, new technologies. But I just, I want to come back to, to the, the whole context for this conversation, Michael. There, none of it is in a vacuum. There is a movement going on. There's a battle for our humanness. Ultimately, I think it boils down to a battle of good and evil, light and dark. If, if you want to reduce it down to, to that level, not religious. Not even spiritual necessarily. There, there are, are forces out there. Uh, and we are the prize. We are the prize. And all the stuff that we're talking about, they're all facets, but ultimately it's all about us, our divinity, uh, and whether or not we give our humanness away to the machines, which means we no longer have our divinity. What is divinity? Divinity my wife's a musician as well, and she was at the Grammy, uh, Grammys earlier this year in, in Los Angeles. And every musician that you speak to, whether it's at the Grammys or anywhere else, they'll all tell you the same story. When they create something that is 
is so powerful and beautiful. And you ask them, where did that music come from? Or where did that song come from? To a T, every one of them will say, it's not from me. They'll say it came through me. I had to be healthy enough and I had to keep my life together enough and my relationships and my body together enough to be able to access this beautiful thing that came through me. That's our divinity. It is our imagination, our creativity. It is the the ability to sense beauty and to have compassion for other forms of life. And this is something that AI cannot have. And I don't think it will be able. AI is smart. It is efficient. It is logical. Absolutely. It doesn't have these human qualities. But I don't think it will be able to for this reason. AI is only possible because humans have built the algorithms that run the AI. Humans have yet to come to terms with their own humanness. Humans have yet to truly understand who we are and our relationship to the world around us. There is a thinking in the transhuman movement, Michael, that consciousness can be reduced to to ones and zeros and stored on a computer chip, and that when you die, you can take that chip and download it into another form of life and you come back to life as you. What they're missing is that the, the consciousness is not in the brain It's not in the neurons. The consciousness is in the field. And the neurons are the antenna that access that consciousness like the antenna of a TV set used to access that that station broadcast in the field. And until we come to terms with those kinds of relationships, uh, Brian Green, I, I have tremendous respect for Brian Green, the physicist. I just saw an interview with him. And he, he believes, and he stated that he believes that consciousness, we will ultimately discover that consciousness is simply a phenomenon that happens when electrons move in a certain way. And, and that's what consciousness is. So this is, this is where we are. I think the technology is pushing us. The only way it will be successful is if we understand who we are. And once we understand who we are, will no longer need that technology. That's that's the irony. And there is a battle playing out because there are forces that would prefer that we never come to terms with our true heritage and with our true potential. Because when we have that, when we know who we are and what our potential is, we are sovereign, free, beautiful, creative, imaginative beings that cannot be controlled And everything right now is pushing toward centralization, digitalization, and the loss of freedom and more control. That's where we are right now. Thank you. What can we learn then? You've spent a lot of time with the pyramids. You've spent a lot of time with uh, indigenous peoples around the globe. Spent a lot of time in Peru. What can we learn both from ancient civilizations and which is a strange term, modern indigenous people, um, which at the end of the day, we're all indigenous people. We're just lost, <laughs> a little lost right now. But what can we learn about going even maybe beyond the science, who and what we really are? What does it mean to be human? Well, I think the I think that's the question. You know, when we talk about those civilizations, and I, I mentioned this offline, uh, 
I have been blessed for over almost 46 years to be to travel into those remote and beautiful and isolated places when travel was easier and when we had more freedom. And uh, and when I became an, an adult, I was able to do that. I couldn't do it as a child. Many of those places are no longer accessible. Michael, we can we can no longer go on to the Tibetan plateau mm-hmm. and the monasteries, the nunneries over, you know, 18,000 feet above sea level with the freedom that we were. Some, some of them no longer exist. They've been destroyed. So so I've been blessed uh, to to have the opportunity to know myself in the presence, not only of the archaeology, but of the people who live in these places and, and preserve that wisdom. And they're all different from one another, but there are common themes that bring them all together. One of those themes, a 100%, no exception, is that we are part of a greater uh, a greater cosmic community, that uh, not one of those indigenous traditions say that we are the product of a slow, gradual, evolutionary process of random mutations, not one of them. Now, is that science? No, it is. It's culture, but it's culture that is so pervasive and uh, across the board, whether they've spoken with one another or not. The 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 uh, the Quechua in Peru and the Quechuan people have the same stories that the Tibetans have, you know, in the Himalayas. And have they ever spoken with one another? I, you know, I don't know. Not in recent times. So. So I think this is one thing we can learn is that we are part of something greater. Number two is that, uh, and because of that, we are no accident. We are not an accident of lucky biology. There is an intentionality underlying our existence. And there are all kinds of stories about why and who and what. That's not the science. And the science is telling us that the, the genetic mutations underlying our existence cannot happen under natural conditions. That is stated in the scientific literature. And then the scientists have to stop because to go beyond that is a roadblock for them because science doesn't allow for what that means. Science is reluctant to follow the evidence to the story that it tells. Science is trying to fit the evidence into a pre-existing story, even though it's not a good fit. So that, that's one thing. The other thing is the power of the human heart. Uh, when I was in school, I was taught the brain is a master organ in the body. And we all know the brain is important. It must be because we only have one. You know, a lot of things in our bodies, we have redundant systems, and the brain is not one of those. So the brain's important. However, what we now know is that the brain receives the instructions that tell it what to do from the heart. And the heart creates those instructions in a neural network that is informed through our interpretation, our perception of the world. So when we feel a sense of well-being, we feel that through the neural network in the heart, and the heart sends a signal to the brain and says, okay, everything's cool. You know, we don't have to run. We don't have to. There's a song in there, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. We, you know, everything's good. So, so if we're not running and we're not hiding, that means we're not producing stress hormones and lots of cortisol and adrenaline, which means we are producing regeneration, rejuvenation, longevity, healing, immune response, 
because it's safe to do so. If we feel that we are threatened, and this is a problem, because we are fed 24-7 news feeds that give us problems in our lives and no way to resolve the problem. So we live, not you and me and maybe this audience, but a lot of a lot of the, the general population does, constantly threatened with no resolution. And what that does, it makes us sick. What that does is it puts us in fight or flight, high levels of cortisol, high levels of adrenaline, obesity, uh, diabetic conditions, cardiovascular conditions. It shuts down longevity enzymes. It shuts down the immune response, and it keeps us in that constant state. Uh, and this is why the heart is so important. So uh, the indigenous people, that's why they tell us that the healing begins in the heart. Because it begins with how we feel about our relationship with the world. And the science bears that out a million percent. So since the early 90s, I've worked with the Institute of Heart Math based in, they, they set up in Northern California in, I think, 1991. 91 is, is when I, I met them. I'm not their employee, but we, we work together. We travel together. We do webinar, webinars, fundraising. We become dear friends and they are really, really good people. They're, doing amazing work and they have i've had howard on many many times oh okay well good my brother howard yeah they well they have pushed the they are a pioneering research organization exploring the power of the human heart in unconventional ways so we all know the heart pumps blood but you can build a machine to do that there's so many things the heart does that you can't build a machine to do and we're talking about those it's the way the heart informs the brain the pressure wave of the blood from the way the heart beats, the quality of that pressure wave moving through our arteries and veins and capillaries is a language, and it will inform the body uh, of, of what it needs to be doing. Heart rate variability and the electromagnetic field, all of these are, are being created through the way we feel about our relationship to the world. When we are kept in fear, then it shuts down those responses that give us our power and when, and that's our divinity. And when we embrace our divinity, it doesn't change what happens in the world, Michael. It changes our response to it. We, when we are no longer in fear, we are no longer vulnerable and susceptible to the agendas and the vision that other people have for our own lives and, and the world around us. But that's not what's happening. And, and, the technology now is is what makes this possible. The technology is being used to engineer our perceptions, to engineer the way we think about ourselves through social media, and and that is uh, is something that we all have to recognize and face right now. So how do we let's let's use this terminology? How do we bring ourselves into something of a global coherence so that there is a shift that takes place? Supra, above and beyond the technology story that is really trying to drive us, well, drive us towards the edge, so to speak. Yeah, so it's a good question, Michael, and I appreciate the, the, um, your questions are very concise, and I appreciate that. Uh, my personal feeling is we can only be responsible for ourselves. And it is, it is impossible to convince or persuade anyone of anything that they do not want to look at. And many of our brothers and sisters on this planet are so frightened 
by the changes that create so much uncertainty in their lives that it's more comforting to stay in the fear of the unknown than it is to face the potential uh, and the responsibility that comes with knowing who they really are. So you cannot convince or persuade anyone of that. Now, having said that, um, ultimately, I think we are all responsible for our, our own our, our own lives, our own perceptions, our own healing, and it means different things to different people. But the science tells us that it doesn't take 8 billion people that live on the planet to create the kind of a shift that you're talking about because we are all linked in an underlying field that scientific community, it's no longer controversial. It, it was. It used to be called New Age Thinking until 2012 when the scientists at the CERN Superconducting Super Collider announced in 2012 that uh, the existence of a field that underlies all, all the reality that we know. It's the container for everything that we know. And what that means, Michael, if if we are all in the same container, what that says to us is that we don't have to work on changing the container out there. And the reason is because we are the container. And here's what I mean by that. And even after 2012, the scientists, so they, they make this big announcement. There's a, a field. It's called the Higgs field. Uh, is the term that's being used right now. It's been called the matrix. The divine matrix is a book that I wrote. Lynn McTaggart calls it the field, you know, all kinds of names for it, but it's there. But even today I've gone to, to conferences and here are the physicists on the stage. And here, here's what they're doing. They're saying there's a field and then their hands do this. There's a field out there that connects all things. Here's what they're missing. The average, the average human body has about 50 trillion cells is what we're told. And every cell, every cell is about a hundred trillion atoms. So if you want to know how many atoms you are, you can multiply 50 trillion times a hundred trillion. Every one of those atoms is emerging from the field that they're talking about and collapsing back into that field in this dance of photons emerging and collapsing in the field. The field's not out there. Literally, we are the field. And what that means, this is, is so simple and it's so powerful. It means the change that we want to see in the world is the change that we must, we must become in our lives, the change that we want to see in the world. And I know that sounds for some people to say, okay, yeah, but what we really do. The answer to that is all the things you do to create that change in your life, whatever that means for you. But what the science now is also showing is a relatively few number of people can achieve an optimum state and influence that field for everyone in a positive way because you don't have to to export the change to another location. What we become is what that field reflects back into our lives. If we want we want to be loved, and if we want people to be compassionate to us in our lives, and if we want to be heard and understood, we must hear and understand those around us. We must accept and love ourselves, which is a whole, that's a lifetime of workshop right there is loving ourselves because we've been taught not to for so very, very long, for so many generations. But it makes perfect sense, Michael, that as as we become in our lives, what we choose to see in the world 
all of a sudden, there's this real interesting thing that happens is we feel less of a need to go out and change the world. We become uh, a, a little bit more accepting. Doesn't mean that we tolerate the horrors of child trafficking or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is when we accept our role and our responsibility in the field that connects all things, then our focus shifts because we got our hands full with our own personal workshop. My, my Greg workshop of becoming in my life, what I want to see for my brothers and sisters and for your daughter in her lifetime, what I want to see there, I've, I have to become that. My hands are full with that right now. I'm a student. I know it, but I still have to learn it and I still have to, to live it. And believe me, I get plenty of opportunities in this line of business every day with interactions with producers and attorneys and publishers uh, and people who are angry. I get a lot of opportunity to live in my life what it is that I, I want to, to see in the world. Well, it's interesting because anger is disempowering. You're giving your power away. You must be a victim and somebody else must be an oppressor for you to be anger. And that does nothing to serve you. I, I've looked a lot at uh, when the riots were happening wholesale in America uh, just a couple of years ago. And then I was in Europe. I was in Europe earlier this this year and American media is not picking this stuff up. And so I went into Europe not knowing that every European city I would go into, there were protests, there were riots, they would shut down public transportation. People could not get to our events because they had no way to travel across the city. They don't have, not everybody's got their own cars. They were relying on on cabs and buses and trains and they shut all that down. I went to London and shut down, you know, I think we had 1,500 people in the conference, 400 people. They, they couldn't show up for their tickets because because of that. And then I thought, well, that's London. Then I went to Paris uh, with Bruce Lipton. We were teaching in Paris. Same thing was happening. I took a weekend and went to Prague over the weekend. And when I was in Prague, Czech Republic, they shut the country down for these these protests and these riots. So it's it's not just uh, in, in the U.S. And I looked at all of this, Michael, and there was a lot of anger and a lot of hate. And I, I, there are always exceptions. And what I see largely is there's a lot of fear in the world because the world has changed and people's lives are uncertain. We cannot plan with certainty. And that uncertainty translates to fear. And we often express fear as hate. So when you see hate in the streets, what you know is you're looking at people that are frightened. And when I look at it from that perspective, uh, it helps me to have uh, a little bit more empathy with my brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that I condone the violence because I don't think the violence is the way to go. And the science shows us the violence isn't the way to go for this reason. And I, I'll invite our, our viewers to think about this. That field that we were talking about, it knows two states. It knows coherence or it knows chaos. And you can go out and angrily protest as much as you want for a good cause, you have to ask yourself, what am I feeding the field? And in the anger of that protest, are you feeding the field coherence or are you feeding the field chaos? And if it's chaos, then you're contributing to the very conditions you'd like to change. And this is an exercise that I do every, every day. What am I feeding the field today? What am I feeding the field in my response to my wife? 
and the conversation that we're having or to my producer, what am I feeding the field? And it helps to inform me. It's not about control or manipulation, but it informs me that I have a choice and where I might want to go with that choice. You said it helps to inform me. Yeah. So when I, when I ask myself, what am I feeding the field? Again, it's, it's not about control or manipulation for me. It, it informs me, uh, in terms of how I may respond in a, a certain circumstance or certain situation, because every day is a workshop. Every day is the workshop of life. And that's the opportunity we get to live in our lives what we claim to be true in our hearts. It's very easy. And I have a lot of friends. I have to tell you during the lockdowns, I had a lot of friends, fellow authors, speakers who I've known for years that claim to be one way in their lives and their hearts. And the moment that they were up against tough decisions and the moment that they were up against things they'd never seen before, they reverted. Uh, I was surprised to see how many reverted to a way of being that was so counter to what they had claimed and what they'd portrayed in, in their lives previously. And it told me that they were just literally scared shitless. And that's what was happening. They, they, they ran up against something, but this is important because they had a story, Michael, a story about themselves and their relationship to the world that they believed worked for them. And when they tried to apply that story to a condition in real world, that story failed them. And when that happened, it happens to all of us. Our stories will fail at some point. And then we have to choose, do we cling to a story that no longer serves us? Or do we bless that story and let it go? Because it worked well enough to get us to where we are. So we bless it and let it go and then allow the new story uh, in, in our lives. And this is where every one of us is in the world right now. There's a new human story emerging a beautiful story of hope, possibility, of empowerment, personal empowerment, and the world out there that we know is possible in here. We know in our hearts what's possible. Now, because everything is up for grabs, this is the opportunity, the rare opportunity. When everything's buttoned up, it's tough to make a change. Everything's falling apart at the seams because it's unsustainable. The unsustainable ways of thinking and living are falling apart that's the doorway to the new human story. The thing is, you don't want to wait till it breaks to have the new story. You want to have uh, a, a parallel way of living. You don't want to wait till the banks break to figure out a parallel financial system. And we have that with blockchain technology. You don't want to wait until the medical system collapses to find a way to take personal responsibility for your own health and healing. And we have those things. Michael Beckwith was on, he's a dear brother. It was on not long ago. And, you know, Michael and I have had these conversations. He's got a powerful green drink that, uh, That's that he's, right. he's formulated. And he's, he's rolling back the years as well. He is. He's, you know, he's, I've known Michael for many, many years. He always looks good and he's always vibrant. And I have to say he looks better and he's more vibrant now than, than I've seen him you know, probably 20, 25 years. And I'm really happy to see him living that in, in his life. He, he is such a, he's a dear man and he's a, he's a good brother. So a couple key points and then we'll, then we'll, uh, we'll wind this down here. Do I go there? I go there. Uh, I can't believe I go there. 
I'm looking at a table before me. It's got flowers on it. It's got two uh, stuffed animal chickens. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with my best buddy, Roo, Roo um, uh, Roo the rooster, um, who is is my wingman, my uh, my, uh, my uh, rooster in arms. Uh, he passed away less than three days ago. And he passed away uh, suddenly. We're assuming it's, it's, it's a heart attack that he had. And um, while I'm challenged and I'm still I'm, – I'm in the infancy of the grieving process, um, we can play with our energy. We can understand um, that – well, my whole paradigm and world get to be changed. As, as silly as it is just for a rooster, he was – as much of a part of my life as anyone. No, it's it's not silly at all. It's it's a living being that you have formed a deep emotional bond with, and I'm the same way with an, animals. I there was a time in my life I was going to be a vet because I wanted to care for animals, and then I I recognize there's a better way to do it. But it's not silly at all, Michael. And I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. And so when we get to our whole world crumbling. And allowing for something greater. That's where I, where I am today. Hannah, do you want to come back up here? That's exactly where I am. And, but that's where we all are. We all are having something crumbling in our lives right now. And we all are given, uh, uh, dear friend, Dr. Irvin Laszlo, he says that, that there is a bifurcation of humanity right now. We get to choose which direction we want to go. We can either bring it home on the inside, as you're saying, or we can let the whole thing blow up. And, and you said something so powerful um, before that I want to bring up here today, which has to do both with Rue and what's going on, with the uh, authors falling apart and what's going on, with everyone. Consciousness informs itself through its creations. Well, you just covered two two very important things here. Uh, I'm going to go back to grief. Uh, I lost my mom during COVID uh, unexpectedly, and because of the conditions in place, uh, I was not allowed to be with her for a year before she passed while she had COVID or even after she died. Michael, they wouldn't let me be with her. It was, it was, in my opinion, it was wrong. It was crazy. It made no sense. But I had to come to terms with it, and, and that's loss. And whether we have lost a loved one or a friend uh, and hopefully some of our viewers have not, but we're all losing something because we've all lost a way of life. All of us have lost freedoms and we've all lost a way of life. So we're all grieving something. We're all in mourning. This is where the science really kicks in for me. And, uh, and I had to embrace this. When we experience our loss in our minds, uh, the brain is a polarity organ, left and right brain, and you're always going to have right and wrong, good and bad, before and after, uh, you know, true and false, all of the success, failure, all of that stuff. And that serves us sometimes. When it comes to grieving, this is why the heart is so important. We can drop from our mind into our heart, and simply touching the heart center is one way to bring our attention in, into our hearts, as, as I talk about in a lot of our, our videos and books the the neural network in the heart is not a polarity network. Uh, part of my blood heritage is, is Cherokee, southeastern Cherokee. My father was Cherokee. My mother was a Jewish woman. So I'm this interesting combination of uh, of Jew and he- Hebrew blood and Cherokee blood. 
And and I grew up I, I I grew up Jewish with Jewish blood, and then lived on and off the Navajo reservation for six and a half seven years. Well, we've got we have we have par- parallel uh, parallel experiences. Then in Cherokee, there is a word for what I'm talking about, uh, and it is called Shante Ishta. Shante Ishta means the single eye of the heart that sees what is, rather than the brain and the mind that will always see in polarity. So when I go to my heart to process my mom's passing, for example, or the loss of freedoms in, in our lives, it doesn't change what happens. It changes how I think about and how I feel about what happens. And I have a book that was uh, written that came out just before the, the pandemic called The Wisdom Codes. And it was a book where I pulled together the mantras and the prayers uh, and the chants uh, from many indigenous traditions and categorize them as they apply to life challenges. And, and one of those challenges was about loss. And I, I think one of the most powerful things for me, if, well, if you were with the Navajo, you know, the Navajo have something called the beauty prayer. The, the Navajo call themselves Dine. So it, they yes, don't call themselves you. Navajo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because Navajo means thief in I know. Spanish. I, I know. Well, there's a whole the story Dine about is, yeah where where that comes from. So the Dine people they have a, a people a, of the earth. People of the earth have a prayer that is called the beauty prayer. Uh, that is actually a lengthy prayer in its entirety and ceremony. I had the opportunity a few years ago. There's a, a Navajo artist. His name is Shanto Bigay, who abbreviated the prayer in a way that can be applied every day in our lives. Maybe this is a good way to to wrap our program today. Uh, it is three very simple phrases, and it simply says, the beauty that I live with, the beauty that I live by, the beauty upon which I base my life. The beauty that I live with reminds us that beauty is already present in our lives everywhere. Our job is to find it. Our job is to seek out the beauty, even in the most horrible situations, because it, it has to be there. The beauty I live with, the beauty I live by is an invitation for that beauty uh, to become a guide stone in terms of how we see the world, how we choose. We get to choose how we see the world. If we interpret the world through the lens of hate and fear, then we will always see the world in hate and fear. So the beauty that I live by, the third phrase, the beauty upon which I base my life, is an invitation to allow for beauty to become a foundation, a cornerstone of every every moment, every choice, everything we do in our lives, base, base that upon the principle of beauty. Now, you may have encountered this. I don't know. The Navajo are fascinating people, Dine people, because they view beauty as more than an emotional aesthetic. They literally say that beauty is a force of nature. It's the fifth force. Physicists acknowledge four, the electromagnetism, uh, the, the gravity field, and the strong and the weak nuclear force. The Navajo say that, that the fifth force is beauty. And I, I believe there's a lot of truth in that, Michael, because we are changed in the presence of beauty. When we are in the presence of beauty, uh, the chemistry of our body shifts. And as we allow ourselves to interpret that beauty uniquely, we actually begin healing ourselves 
in the presence of what we perceive. So in the presence of loss, your loss and my loss. In my mind, it was horrible. I was angry because of the rules and the restrictions and because I I missed my mom. Uh, her birthday was just last week, so this is very present with me right now. And and when I go into my heart, my mom's still gone. But the beauty I live with, the beauty I live by, the beauty upon which I base my life, there is a beauty and a symmetry to the life that she led in this world. Uh, her passing is a part of that symmetry. When I was conceived, my father didn't want me. And he wanted my mom to get rid of me at a time when it was dangerous. She would have risked her life to to end her pregnancy with me. That's where the world was in those days. And my mom fought for my life so that I could be here today. In my early life, she fought for me. And in her later life, I got to advocate and fight for her as she lost her health and as she lost her memory. She was in late stage dementia. So... I got to fight for my mom as she fought for me. And there's a symmetry in that that I could only grasp through my heart. My mind had a hard time seeing beyond the right and the wrong of what had happened. So what I'm saying, I'm giving some examples here, is that when we experience the good things as well as, as the tough things, if we can find a way to experience them from our heart, and it can simply be touching the heart center. So the our awareness always goes to where we feel the physical touch, number one. Slowing the breathing, number two, so that we're exhaling for a period of time longer than we're inhaling. And what that does is it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, and it means that we're safe. And when we feel safe, the chemistry in our body changes, and we allow ourselves to be in our heart. And then when we consider the loss from the single eye of the heart rather than the polarity of the mind, that's where the explanation has to stop. It's something you simply have to experience. Uh, I can't, I can't explain it any more than the process of, of how to get there. And I'll just say for me and, and the beauty prayer from my heart has really helped me to embrace you, you use the term full circle a lot. I do as well. And it helps me to come full circle with my mom's passing. She's still gone, but I feel differently about it. And that's the power of, of beauty in our lives and the power of experiencing beauty from the heart. Thank you. You think you'll see her again? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I, I am on the, uh, at least the 200 year plan. <laughs> so uh, in this world, and I've said that since I was a kid, I, I always said I would I would live at least 200 years. I want to see the changes. I want to see the fruit of the labor that we have all gone through and to know that our suffering wasn't in vain. There's something beautiful waiting for us. Uh, we are the generation that it, it takes a generation. There has to be a generation that lives the old and brings in the new and I can't imagine a more exciting time to be here. If we're here now, it has to be for this reason. We wouldn't be here because who who would want to go through the pain and the suffering? But those of our brothers and sisters that are lost and forgotten, sometimes they need a little something. You never know what it's going to be, a little something that lights that spark of memory and says, I'm more 
than I've been led to believe that I'm more than my pain and my suffering. And now let me see what I can do with the life I've been given to find out what that more really is. And I think we do that for you inspire me, Michael, you inspire me with your, your guests, your podcast. Many of them are, are dear friends and colleagues, but you draw from them things that I would never hear from them in a typical conversation. So you inspire me in that way, and I know you you do the same for many of your viewers and listeners. So thank you for dedicating and your your wife. I don't know if it's a wife or it's a partner, but I yeah, know it's, she brought it's wife. She's she's standing behind. She has uh, Hannah Bear has put in one, two, three, four, at least four bows in her hair right now, <laughs> and she was decorating mommy with beauty. <laughs> well, I want to thank you to Michael's wife. I've never met you, but you brought a beautiful child into the world, and I know that you all work together to make these podcasts possible. It, t- it takes a team. So uh, so thank you, brother, uh, for the time we've had together and for trusting me with your audience, because the truth is you didn't know what I was going to say, and you didn't, you didn't know what we were going to do today. So thank you for that no. trust. It means a lot. Most are welcome, and and I am beyond filled with gratitude and love for you, Greg. I love you, I love you, I love you. And I've got to ask, where can people go, Greg, to find out more, to find your books, to find all your beautiful work? Uh, they can't go. It's, it doesn't exist. Nowhere. <laughs> no, no they, vacuum. They, come, come to the come to the mothership where I am right now. <laughs> no, if they just go simply to the website, uh, Greg Braden, G R E G G, two G's. Uh, one G is short for Gregory, and my my mother gave me two G's, so I would never be a Gregory. So it's uh, Greg Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N dot com. Uh, my tours to the Holy Land, to Peru are listed there, through the desert southwest. Uh, uh, books, you know, the books are all available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, wherever you find books. And, and the live events, now that we're able to do those again, uh, those live events are listed there as well. Thank, Thank you for you asking. So, I, I appreciate it. Oh, it, it's so important. And, and I want everybody to check out your work because, um, we, we can label it whatever we want right now. Um, but it is such an important time, uh, to be informed, to think different ways and to uh, reinform. She does, she cannot get enough of you to reinform the field. A new. <laughs> you know, Michael, a lot of the really current material that we're talking about now is on our YouTube channel. And I, I want to say that so much of this work was being bootlegged and I had no control over the, the way it was being used or the quality. So w- it was all taken down except for the official, it's Greg Braden official YouTube channel where we get to talk about things like disclosure and climate change and all those things you know, based on, on the best science of the modern world. So, well, thank you. And thank you for all that you do. And I'm sure Hannah Bear is going to want to check it out as well. Bye, Hannah Bear. Love you. Bye. Bye. You, you want to go? Yay. We just had the most amazing. Yay. <laughs> Interview with Greg Raden. Yay! <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Yay! As much as I did. Uh, to find out, yeah! <laughs> she just wants to keep clapping and celebrating. She had so much fun with Greg, didn't you? Yay! We've got our School of Mystics down below. You've got other videos over here. Love you guys so, so much. There's attunements as well. You can find that down below with our daily woohoo. And how does it get? Any better than this. Right, Hanover? Yay! <laughs>
Love you guys. Here's that next video. Oh my God, that was fantastic, everyone. Mm. And it'll be available to listen to again anytime. Might give a couple of days. I know that they're getting uh, out of Comcast's uh, mess. Uh, and we'll send more good vibrations to that situation. But I know that we know, too, Comcast has been a real mess. And they haven't been serving the people in a good way. So, Blaze of violet fire. Blaze of violet fire. They need more, more love. <laughs> okay, so... Um, be patient with the timing there. So this is called Star Seeds, Star Families, and Master Teacher Guidance for our next stages of ascension with Dr. John Ryan. This is one hour and 36 seconds. Star Seeds, Star Families, and Master Teacher Guidance for our next stages of ascension with Dr. John Ryan. The Sacred Planet Podcast. Episode 8, John Ryan, M.D., is a professor of medicine and practitioner of energy and consciousness-based medicine. He is the author of Unity Field Healing, Volume 1, Foundations of Energy Medicine and Quantum Healing, and he is the founder of Unity Field Healing, UFH, a new quantum process based on conscious activation of the DNA field to support healing and personal evolution. John channels the Syrian Blue-White Collective who support Unity Field Healing, UFH, and humanity's ascension through ascension transmissions. Explore Dr. John's website's uh, www.unityfieldhealing.com and https colon forward slash forward slash dr small all small letters dr for doctor john ryan r-y-a-n dot org okay and there's also a place to click to receive a free gift from dr john uh, anyway, that you can read. Uh, it's uh, it's available. Well, let's get started, and then we're going to hear a lot of the same language with another creative mind to share from another person's perspective. So here we go. One hour and 36 seconds. They described 2023 in a really peculiar way. They said, you're going to feel this whole year and almost until the fall of 2023, like you stepped into a kaleidoscopic tube and you're walking through the tube and everything is shifting and changing and moving around you. And there's this interesting sense of stability. You feel centered and grounded in yourself. You know, you're kind of there holding your own. But it's like you're moving forward and everything around you is constantly in transformation. And the moment you think you understood something, it changes again. It's like 
nothing seems to stay in focus. It's just all this moving light. Welcome to the Sacred Planet podcast. I am your host, Jocelyn Starfeather. We are living at the end of a massive 26,000 year cycle. This is a cycle that can be defined not astrologically, but astronomically by the movement of the North Star in the sky. Every 26,000 years, we come back to the original North Star. The times that we are living in now are when one of these 26,000 year cycles is ending and a new one is beginning. And so this is why this time when we are alive right now has been foretold in the ancient prophecies of many indigenous and ancient peoples all around the world from almost every continent. This is why the world feels so chaotic, so uncertain, and so unstable right now because we are truly shifting from one age, one massive 26,000 year age into a new one. This is also why we are seeing so many changes in our own lives, so many changes in the world. It's because the systems and structures, the patterns and beliefs that we have been carrying for an extremely long time are collapsing. They are breaking down. And this is terrifying and also very exciting because those of us who are alive at this time We get to choose what we will build next. We get to choose who we want to become in this new era. So it's really important to know during these times that these are actually not only ending times. This is not meant to be an apocalypse. This is actually meant to be the closing of a door to the old ways of being and the opening of a door to the new ways, to the radical new world that we are here to build together. We are here at this time, at this momentous time to choose what will come next. And so let us dream into a world that our children and grandchildren and the next seven generations will be delighted to inherit from us. And let's begin creating it one by one from within ourselves. That is where all change must begin, is from within every individual, and then it is rippled out to the world in miraculous and beautiful ways. Here in the Sacred Planet podcast, we will be talking about spiritual awakening. We will be talking about the massive changes that are happening in our world, and we'll be talking most importantly about how you can support yourself, how you can feel most healed and healthy and whole and inspired and uplifted and ready to build this new world together, ready to choose who you wish to become next as all of the old falls away and we are left with a blank slate to create anything that we wish, anything that we dream into the future. Welcome to the Sacred Planet podcast. I can't wait to share the incredible speakers and topics that we'll be sharing here on the podcast and I hope that it will be a tremendous inspiration to you in your own life. I am your host of the podcast. My name is Jocelyn Starfeather. I am the founder of Sacred Planet. 
Sacred Planet is a global community of people who are awakening to their true power and magic within and co-creating together and uplifting and inspiring one another as we build this radical new world together. I can't wait to share more with you. I'll see you soon in our next podcast episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sacred Planet podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am delighted to be here today with Dr. John Ryan. Hi, John. Thank you so much for being a part of this and welcome. Hi, Jocelyn. Well, thanks so much. And thanks for including me. I'm really delighted to be here. I always really enjoy our conversations. So this will be fun. (laughs) Yes, me too. We have some really good conversations. (laughs) Let me introduce you to everyone. Dr. John Ryan, MD, is a professor of medicine and practitioner of energy and consciousness-based medicine. He is the author of Unity Field Healing, Volume 1, Foundations of Energy Medicine and Quantum Healing. And he is the founder of Unity Field Healing, or UFH, a new quantum process based on conscious activation of the DNA field to support healing and personal evolution. John channels the Syrian Blue-White Collective who support UFH and humanity's ascension through ascension transmissions. And I just want to say, John, I so deeply respect and honor your work. As I mentioned, I know people who you have really helped to catalyze their awakening, change their lives through what you're bringing forward. And I just feel like you've been bringing this paradigm shifting information to the world way ahead of the curve, ahead of when we all knew we needed it. So thank you so much for all that. Oh, thank you so much, Jocelyn. It means the world to hear that from you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, our topic for today, I can't wait to dive into is star seeds and star families. Um, so I'm wondering if you could begin, um, because this is such a, such a big part of what you're bringing to the world. If you could begin by telling us a little bit about the Syrian Blue White Collective and how they're supporting your mission in the world. Sure. Yeah. So the Syrians, um, Going back a little bit in time here. So the Syrians came to me first, Jocelyn, in a meditation. That's how they presented themselves to me. Um, and they came in an unusual way. I was in a meditation. It was actually in a workshop. And I'm sitting there and we're being guided through this meditation. And this big ball of light forms in my, my third eye vision. And I'm seeing this light field. And then it was like an array of beings kind of stepped out of the light field into like this, it looked like a choir or an orchestra of all these like light beings that came out of this big ball of light. And they had this beautiful blue tinge. They were mostly like this white silvery starlight, but they had this, it had this beautiful blue tinge to it. And as I'm looking at it, I could hear their name and it was the Syrian blue white collective. And I thought, well, that's very appropriate looking, <laughs> looking at the light. <laughs> and they explained that they're a group of light beings and they work really as a collective. And it's, they presented themselves to me that way. So I could register in my consciousness, the nature of who they are and what was happening. And In the work I've done over the years, I've had a lot of experiential teachings that come from shamanic type visions or, you know, dream type visions. 
And so this is kind of in alignment, I guess, with some of those other experiences, because as you know, when you have these shamanic kind of qualities to a meditative experience, every detail in what you're seeing has meaning, like the whether there's one or three or 10 or 20 or too many to count, like that detail would be important on the colors, the position, the things that are there, the things you notice that aren't there, like all of it can have meaning in terms of this symbolic content of the vision. And so they presented themselves this way to me because they know that they knew that's how I would interpret it (laughs) because I'm kind of seasoned, I guess, in doing that. And so I realized the message was we work as a collective and we can present ourselves in different faces or as different beings or to work individually with one person at a time. But we really work as a collective. We're kind of a consciousness that understands itself together as one. And so even though we're different faces, we work as a unity and What was interesting for me was I was well into the healing work that I've been doing over the years and the the unity field healing work that I do, which was, again, inspired by kind of a series of visions that began to teach me how to work in the quantum DNA field in energy treatment sessions. And they, as they presented themselves to me, immediately a channeled message kind of came forth and they said they in consciousness are here at this point in time presenting themselves in a more conscious way or, you know, within human consciousness as a registered experience because of the nature of what's happening on the earth and the transition that humanity is undergoing. And so they explain that we're living in a metamorphosis and the nature of what's truly changing is not simply a you know, a paradigm of thought or a social paradigm, paradigm of of simple consciousness. It's a whole energetic paradigm and we're moving into a whole different way of living and being on the planet. And it happens through our, our DNA. The way that humans register this change and experience it is through the field of quantum information that's part of that DNA structure. And it's beginning to resonate in different ways beginning to open new channels of memory and communication. It's beginning to bring healing of very esoteric principles, you know, back into our mindset and our ability to perform and do. And this whole internal transformation is something that's open to humanity at this time. And everybody is undergoing the shift, but there are people whose, I guess, purpose or destiny (laughs) is to be a way shower. They're meant to undergo this transformation in a bit more conscious way and be there in a, a role of service really to help other people be able to achieve the same thing because it's not something that's for a select few or an elite group of spiritual beings or anything like that. It's open to humanity at large. And anybody who resonates with that understanding and is open has this available to them. And so They were very expressive in the fact that they're here in a role of service. They're here to support humanity through this transition. We can think of them as technical experts in quantum DNA, you know, to satisfy our mind. (laughs) We can conceptualize them that way. And uh, But they explained that they've been part of the unity field healing work 
And they came to me at that time because they wanted to introduce a new project. And in order to do the new project, they couldn't just be invisible and hidden in the background working with us. They had to kind of come forward and present themselves in a more um, exposed kind of a way. And so that was the beginning of what today has become known as the Syrian blue-white transmissions. And so every month they conduct a transmission and they give themes of these transmissions. And so every year has kind of a cycle theme, like the 12-month frame will have a theme. They give them to me typically in blocks of three. I call them seasonal dryads, like spring, summer, winter, fall. And the three transmissions will often be connected in some way, but I don't always see the fullness of the theme until the year is finished. It's, they give them to me in, in bite-sized pieces. <laughs> and so um, now last year for the first time, they gave me the whole cycle as a theme, but then continued to add information about each specific transmission. So that was a little bit of a shift in the way they do it. But what they do in these transmissions is they provide an, kind of an inspired teaching. And through the teaching, there's a light language transmission that's given at the end of the teaching. And it's to really anchor or ground not just the intellectual principles, but the energetic transformation that's really embedded in the principles <laughs> into the the audience or the people who are participating. And then we do a meditation. And so the meditations are a guided journey and they take form in a process where I'm seeing things in my third eye and a little bit like a reporter I'm basically narrating what I'm seeing and that becomes the guidance for the actual journey and so people have very personal experiences in their own inner space and they may mirror what I'm saying in words or they may be often a completely other energetic tangent depending on what's really personal and appropriate for them and um they will guide us through the journey and then these, they will come with us in those journeys. You'll feel them and people who are sensitive to energy will sometimes feel their presence with them while we're doing the transmissions or even see them in life form. And so they come with us on these journeys and they're, they're there and they always sign off in a beautiful way. They say, you know, together we, through the light of the, the central sun or the great central sun, we are with you together for we are one. They'll always say that in some form. And they remind us that even though they are spiritual and interdimensional, and of course we can see that in all kinds of glamorized ways or interesting ways, they're very down to earth about it. And they say, you can just think of us as, as family, like we're brothers and sisters and we're in a different experience in incarnational cycle and in the way our reality is right now compared to the earth but you can't frame spiritual understanding based simply on a material manifestation our souls are eternal our souls are as luminous as theirs are and we're on a journey or a mission to be part of the earth's evolution at this point in time and they're here to help us in that and they're here specifically because this is a critical time on the earth where the nature of the transformation that's taking place cannot even be fully understood. It's so profound and, and far reaching. And we need that kind of help because we're, as we go through a transition, we, we were veiled to a lot of understanding and knowledge. And on, from their vantage point, they'd have it. 
so they can help us. And so they're here in that role of service to help us walk through this journey with grace and ease and all the support that we can possibly receive. And so it's been pretty amazing, like the experience of being with them in the transmissions, working with them in this capacity, you know, as a guide, (laughs) but also to see the transformation that people get to experience by participating themselves and the stories, you know, that people will return to me about their experience with the Syrians and with the transmissions and I always like I take no ownership of it. It's it's a personal process. It's something we're all undergoing and they're just here working in this way to guide us through that that space, that portal of time. And so um the the love they generate, the luminosity that they generate, the wisdom that they speak, like sometimes the way they will put phrases to like words to phrase is it blows my mind. Like I'm, I read them sometimes afterwards and I think, how did that even conceive itself as a thought form? You know, because <laughs> the words are so beautiful and uh, they contain this power of transformative integration. Like you read the words and you can't not be changed by what you read or you hear the words and you realize you can't not be changed and you see the magical power that that holds to help push us forward and to help us open up the light inside of us and to awaken our soul's energy and destiny. And it's really a beautiful thing. It's a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, no, that was wonderful. That was yeah. so, so helpful and so powerful to hear. And, you know, I, I, I do, I strongly recommend everybody listening to go to your website and check out your upcoming transmissions because they really are, this incredibly powerful thing to experience um, and to really let it, you know, let yourself fully immerse in that shamanic journey, fully immerse in the wisdom that is shared. Um, and we really do need this support right now. You know what you said as far as it's just, it's so much bigger than we, our, our minds or, you know, or ourselves can possibly comprehend. Yeah. Um, it really does feel that way. And so I love that you're bringing through this message that, you know, this, this, these transmissions coming through, you are here to support us in that way. And, and I welcome everybody to, you know, to, we, we need to tune into all of our guides at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's our star families or our yeah. animal guides or our angelic guides, because they, they can see things that we can't see. Yeah. And we have so many resources available to us when we do tune in with them and let their their words and their wisdom flow through us and inform and guide us. Um, so this is a this is a, va- a vast remembrance, you know, for us to, mm-hmm. to come back into connection with. Um, well, so the the Syrians have some really strong messaging around how you know what we're moving into. So could you say a little bit more about that? Sure. Um... The just before I touch on that, I, there's one thing you said, Johnson, that really touched me. I, I just I love to hear it. It's it's we're it's a remembering, and I think that's so important for all of us to to grasp and understand. The, as the Syrians work with us in the capacity that they do in the transmissions, they're always reminding us. They're always saying, "We're here to remind you. We're here to help you remember. We're here to help you reconnect. We're here to help you rekindle." 
they have all these, you know, verbs that they will use that just trigger in us this awareness that something is awakening in us. And as it does, we feel in our experience like we're remembering things. And it's because it is there. It's just been hidden. It's been purposely hidden. It's been like the earth has been on a, a journey where it was required that that was the design of reality. And as we go forward, that's that veil is lifting and we're getting a peek of all kinds of things that are on the other side, not just light beings and star families and things, but the whole realm of spiritual existence and what we could call a multidimensional or quantum structure to the nature of things and how energy is is built. And so um, as we go through this remembrance, it's it's like shifting from black and white into color. Like the, the nature of reality is so profoundly changed that we have to be very gentle with ourselves and very kind with ourselves and very patient with ourselves and very tolerant with ourselves and very all the things that you would list as an avatar's way of life. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be a spiritual being, they all are on the list. And But they start with ourselves and we have to really be that way because we don't, we're like children. We don't really know quite yet where we're going or what this new world is really going to be. We just are really, really infantile, you know, at the level we are and we're awakening to it. And it, it can be fun and a discovery like that. And I think that's really the right approach. You know, if we kind of take it through the way children take things, I think it serves us well because it can be mentally overwhelming if we try to understand it, all that kind of stuff. So this, this is a little bit of an aside, but I think an important thing for us all to kind of ponder on and reflect because it's, it's easy to be harsh on ourselves or, or not understand the nature of the transformation. And then to realize, too, as we live it in this world, there's a tremendous challenge to what we're doing. The world is changing. It feels like it's kind of disintegrating under our feet. There's this uncertainty, this, you know, fraughtful anxiety about what's happening on the planet. Everything from, you know, nature cycle changes to politics to social norms to, you know, (laughs) just the list goes on and on. And so as we go through this metamorphosis we're caught up in this soup of change and the syrians are always bringing us back to that understanding and every year they'll give kind of a theme message they they don't do this too often but it's usually in the fall of the year i'll get a channeled message that's kind of a preparation i guess a consciousness preparation for the energy of what's to come (laughs) so they they Describe 2023 in a really peculiar way. They said, you're going to feel this whole year and almost until the fall of 2023, like you stepped into a kaleidoscopic tube and you're walking through the tube and everything is shifting and changing and moving around you. And there's this interesting sense of stability. You feel centered and grounded in yourself. You know, you're kind of there holding your own. But it's like you're moving forward and everything around you is constantly in transformation. And the moment you think you understood something, it changes again. It's like nothing seems to stay in focus. It's just all this moving light. And I think it was a brilliant. Um, so true. Isn't it? <laughs> like it's thought, you know. true. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was kind of what they said we're in now. 
And they, I, I was really grateful they, they shared that message because I, I found the year unsettling. Like I feel very stable and there's so many interesting things happening and I'm relatively excited about it most of the time, but there's so much that can get into our psyche, you know, like it's just the, the living through the changes is not always easy. And, um, to, to hear the message and reflect on it and think, Oh, that's how it's actually supposed to be. So if it's supposed to be like that, there's nothing to worry about. Let's just, you know, carry on, right on. <laughs> and it allows us to kind of not get hooked into the kind of worry or anxiety or other emotional things that can become part of it when we're uncertain in that way. And so I found that message to be trend- tremendously reassuring. But they've also said that so much of what's changing on the planet, we can think in, in two different ways. We can think in terms of energy and we can think in terms of consciousness. And so our consciousness is transforming. We're becoming aware of the earth as part of a, a system of life. It's part of a solar system, part of a galactic system, part of, you know, a creation system, if you will, it's part of creation. And it's not a planet that's kind of existing on its own with life on it and life nowhere else. And we're starting to realize it's, it's part of something much bigger and much vaster than our elementary science and astronomy would teach us about. <laughs> and so there's things changing in that way in consciousness. We're becoming more aware of those things. We're becoming more aware of energetic reality people speak a language that's energy based now that's not the way people spoke years ago like i walked into a meeting not long ago and one of the chiefs of the department was talking about resonating with the vibe in the room and i thought well there you go like (laughs) okay you got the message (laughs) but it's just a beautiful illustration of how that language has infiltrated our every day like our thinking and our minds and so we're beginning now to think more in terms of both energy and consciousness. And the the value of that, I think, is it makes reality more fluid in that before we see things as energy, if we see them as solid, they're so structural, they're so embedded, they're so created, they're so stuck <laughs> that they seem immutable. But when we start understanding reality is an energy experience, we realize it's in constant transformation. And so the earth is an energy system. Our human body is an energy system. All everything that's created in reality is part of an energy system. Nature is part of that energy system. And all of these things have communication. They have interrelationship. They're part of the bigger systems of energy. And as we go through that consciousness awakening we come exposed to the energies of what they contain and so we're starting to realize we can work in healing capacities with sound with energy with conscious thought with love with these kinds of things that would be poo-pooed years ago because people wouldn't understand the potential of them but because we're moving into this more energetic structured reality then we can change energy and therefore change reality. And we become aware of our role as creators in the reality. So since we are consciously creating and living in an energetic system that we are imposing our consciousness on, if you will, 
we have the capacity to bring very positive change to that energy system and to that world. And that's what I see humanity undergoing right now. And we see it more on the underside of the change that's taking place. The On the surface, we're seeing the breakdown. You know, we're seeing systems fall apart. We're seeing polarity and division. We're seeing crazy, ancient, old ways of thinking resurfacing and being put back into law and all this kind of foolishness that, like, it's all going to be undone again, but we have to live through this mess, I guess, you know, while it's all taking place. And you kind of see that happening, and you look at it and you think, we're not going forward, we're going backward. But that's not what's happening. It's we're going forward with such intensity that there's a lot of holding on. There's a lot of resistance within the energy to do it because it's moving so fast. But we'll get to a point where everything will just kind of have to pop or burst and that all has to be undone again. But that will happen very, very quickly as we move forward. And we're going to start to see in the the next generation, like the younger generation, they think and experience reality in a very different way. Like if you have experience with kids and teenagers and things, you'll probably resonate very deeply with what I'm saying. They're just, they're different and we know they're different and it's a beautiful thing. They're highly creative. They're very autonomous. They have an innate sense of their own spiritual worth and destiny. They understand the power of working together to create positive change. They see through foolishness and deceitfulness and dishonesty with no effort. Like it's just so transparent to them. And these are the leaders of tomorrow. So you can just see where they're going to bring us as they step into their own positions of authority and power and governance and, you know, social leaders and all that kind of stuff. So we have to be a little patient with the process because the magnitude of what's changing for humanity is so big, so vast, and so all-reaching that it's not going to happen in a day or a week. It's going to take a generation or two or three for it to really settle in. But what we're moving towards is an ascended consciousness. It's a, a world where we live in a different frame of reference. We're going to understand we are not religious beings, we're spirit beings. We're beings that contain spiritual light. We come from the creator light. We are part of a spiritual civilization, the way that we manage our energy, the way that we deal with other people, the way we speak to them, the way we treat them, all has an impact on the collective nature of the energy of the whole. And nobody's ever served well if if I win to hurt by hurting someone else to make them lose. Like all these principles of competition and all that kind of stuff will be totally transformed in our everyday thinking. And we're going to start working together in very different ways. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have problems to solve or, you know, issues between people or families or countries or other things. But we'll approach it with a much higher consciousness to create solutions that really are destined to benefit everybody involved. And so many of the forces that control reality right now, like the dark stuff that tends to make poor decisions for the collective, for someone's greed or someone's individual prosperity and all this kind of stuff, all of that will become impossible in the new energy. As much as it's part of our reality now, it won't even be a possibility as we move into the energy of what's coming. 
And so, you know, those are, they're breathtaking things to say, I realize, because <laughs> we, we feel like we've been struggling with that for such a long epoch of time, you know, but, but that is the nature of the change that's taking place. So the Syrians always have messages that are trying to govern our thinking and orient our thinking towards what we are becoming and to stay focused on that path, to stay focused on that understanding, to stay focused on that luminosity and not to get too distracted. Like if we do, then just recover and move on, you know, get yourself back together and start again. (laughs) But do your very best to kind of keep in a frame of mind that allows you to stay on that path and the balance that that brings and the hope and the, the, Effervescence, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. The effervescence that that allows into our lives because we need that bubbliness. We need to feel that sense of hope and life to realize that what we're living through right now is, is tough, but worth it. And that it's bringing us to something extremely magnificent that we can barely understand. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're all of their messages will always come back to that core idea. They always do. That's so, so incredibly beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing this, this outlook um, for the future. And I love the word effervescence. That's, yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> um, you look like you have little light bubbles behind you with your light. <laughs> <laughs> effervescence in the, <laughs> in the video. It's so fascinating, you know, to, I, I'm going to bring in astrology, um, tie in here it's just so fascinating uh, uh, as I was listening and I always you know I, I have this astrological and astronomical kind of approach to things naturally what you're saying is so profoundly aligned with the themes of Pluto moving into Aquarius which just happened earlier this year and Aquarius has been quite activated by the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in 2020 and now Pluto moving there. But these ideas of egalitarian leadership, for example, you know, it's not the people at the top that have all the power and money. It's more of a youthful leadership and a, and a more community grassroots kind of leadership and that any the, the old order must fall, you know. It just fits so beautifully with what you're saying. And mm, That's amazing. I wasn't really aware of that. So that's, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's really, it's fascinating to hear. And it's, it's just so interesting because when we hear these, um, concepts of what we're moving toward in the future, it can be hard to, to grasp because we feel like we're in a, such a different place right now. But many different modalities of discerning that all point to the same thing, right? So then it gives us a little bit more peace and a little bit more assurance about, you know, that we can trust these. these yeah. Yeah, an empowered peace. Empowered <laughs> peace, yes. Yeah, an effervescent and empowered peace. <laughs> <laughs> We've solved it. We've solved it all. <laughs> it, and it's really helpful because, uh, you know, it, it, as you know very well, it's not just the external events happening. It's that we're going through so much on inner levels, emotional levels, changes in our personal lives, you know, that do feel really difficult to navigate at. At times, the intensity is high yeah. <laughs> with yeah. these things right now. Yeah, so. it's very, very true. They, um, I know the Syrians when they're in doing the channel part of the messages, they will all, they'll very often address this and they will acknowledge humanity 
at this crossroads understanding that it's so, it's not easy to live the experience we're living. And we forget that. Like we kind of think we're superheroish in a way where we can kind of just troubadour through anything and it's supposed to be okay. But no matter how courageous you are in spirit, no matter how strong you are in spirit, you still face the challenges of all this constant energetic change and feeling isolated at times and feeling unsupported at times and feeling hopeless because things don't go fast enough. And, you know, all this very human experience, it's a very difficult thing. And they always are reminding us it's different to see this experience through the lens of being in it than it is to see it from being outside. And so they can kind of view it more as an observer while we're viewing it as an experiencer. And that's, they recognize that's the tough role. That's actually the hard role because it's not easy to do that. And they say the souls that are drawn to awaken to the knowledge, awaken to the experience, to do things that support themselves in participating in the you know, the ascension, the transformation, energetic changes, meditative changes, healing-oriented changes, dietary changes, all the things that are part of that, are, the, are they, they know to do this, they're called to do this because it's in their soul to be the kind of being that's meant to be in these places at these times to do this. And I find that really reassuring because it's, Nobody gets up in the 3D world and tells you these things. Like you're not going to, you know, go speak to your best friend or your <laughs> your brother or your sister. And they're going to say, well, this is who you really are. And this is what you're really doing. So we don't understand ourselves in that frame of reference. But when they speak to us, they acknowledge us in that way. And it's really important, I think, for our souls to be seen by another being that carries that consciousness. It's like being witnessed. You know, if you witness, it's it's a witnessing that allows you to kindle the strength within you to keep going on. And so the, the most magical thing, I think, is that has been part of my experience working with the Syrians is that strength that comes from them. It's an internal strength that they're always igniting or fanning the flames they're not giving it to us. They're giving oxygen so that it has the capacity to do its its magic. And so that's how I always feel in working with them. They they lift us up. They create a sense of power and buoyancy and possibility because they know how very, very difficult it is. And with but with that, then we have the capacity to kind of really move through it and do all the good things. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been feeling lately that this, you know, however deep the depths might be or the, you know, if we feel like we're in a time of darkness, we have equal access to the opposite of that. Right. So as we're as we're feeling so deep in the in the darkness, we have access to even more light. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully expressed. <laughs> yes. I, I'm curious to, um, to ask you about a, a kind of along those lines, this, this idea of the increased light coming in. Um, we hear so much about solar flares, the increase in solar flares. And I think the, 
we're recording this in May 2023. You know, I think the amount of solar flares so far this year is already like vastly more than we had in 2022. And that was already vastly above, you know, what we'd had in previous years. Do you have any thoughts or insights on that? Or do this have the Syrians shared anything yeah. that is part of our journey here? They have actually, Jocelyn. It's a wonderful question. They, the way that they've helped me understand this is, well, think in astrological terms because I find it's really helpful. You know how we, we can kind of see the earth is the epicenter of our reality. I mean, the sun is the center of our solar system, but the, in terms of life for us, the earth is kind of our epicenter. And the earth is receiving a constant stream of energy from the sun. So the sun is like a powerhouse. It's the, the part of this little aspect of reality that from which the energy is generated to send life and light into being. And so, but the sun doesn't just self-generate the light. The sun also receives light, which comes from other suns. And in fact, Sirius has often been identified as a sun behind our sun. It's like the pathway that light comes from the galactic core and is channeled into our sun and eventually into the earth. And it's why the Syrians were so deeply connected with the Egyptian teachings and, you know, the rising of Sirius, you know, bringing on the fertility cycle in Egypt and all of the gods and goddesses that were part of the temple life and the healing magic and all those things. Because it was recognized that the light of that star also is connected to the light of our star, our sun. But we can even go back deeper. And if we go all the way back through suns upon suns upon suns, we would go kind of to the great central sun. And so everything that's in creation is part of this energetic matrix, if you will. And things are moving in it. And they're moving in a really patterned way. And so our our planet will go through rotational relationships with different planets as we're cycling around and the sun and the moon and everything else. And we can begin to understand the consciousness influences of those positionings on the way it would structure the energy of the earth in reference to those dominant energies or those patterned energies. And I think that's a really, I don't understand a lot about astrology, but I think I understand uh, the, the essence of it. That's <laughs> a beautiful that. description of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so we can keep getting bigger. And the earth and this whole solar system is also moving through aspects mm-hmm. of the whole galaxy, the whole galactic arm and, and so on. And we can, you know, get as big as we can possibly imagine in our mind how that would go back to the center. And so our solar system and our earth is positioned to move into an energy that I don't think anybody can really understand other than to say it's like a big energy. You know, people talk about the photon belt or different things, but I mean, I think we, what we can truly genuinely grasp as human beings is the idea, oh, there's a lot of energy. <laughs> We're moving into a place where there's a lot of energy that's going to be streaming upon the earth. And the reason the earth had to go through this experience of ascension that we're talking about here in the background is because it was known that this was going to happen. And because what's going to happen in the, you know, in the days, months, weeks, decades moving forward is we're moving into this stream of energy. And as we do that, the energy that's arriving on the planet 
would would overwhelm the planet if the planet wasn't prepared and positioned to receive that light in a way that's safe and balanced and integrated. And so before the earth even gets to go into that energy, we had to stop and take a measurement. And that's what we talk about, the harmonic convergence, this measurement of energy. And a simple way of saying it is measuring human consciousness, like on a scale of one to 10, how conscious is collective humanity at this point in time. And we can substitute the word conscious for capable of understanding love. (laughs) They're they're kind of synonymous in, in what we're speaking of. How loving is humanity? You know, how, how far has it moved into love as a fundamental expression of itself? And so we look at the world and of course we see wars and global conflicts and struggles and all these kinds of things. And we think, well, not very far, I guess, you know, we're still doing all this foolish stuff and in the background. But if you strip that away and you look at the everyday, And you say, how are people with each other? How are mothers with their children? How are people in relationships with each other? And you look at humanity on a very microcosmic level, like not the big picture level, but the the more individual personal level. The amount of love that exists on this planet is phenomenal. And people are so full of it all the time. And they're so kind and giving and generous and nurturing in all kinds of ways, whether it's with their children or with their friends or with their congregations in a spiritual community or, you know, whatever. There's so many, many beautiful ways that people love with our work and the things that we do in service to humanity. And so when you look at humanity as a whole, the amount of love is really a lot, way more than we give ourselves credit for. And the measurement was kind of taken because we needed to understand as the earth moves into this new energy experience, this new cycle, does humanity have enough capacity to love, to sustain the transformation that that's going to bring safely? And so that's really what the harmonic convergence was. We talk about dates and celestial times and positions of the equinox and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is that's really what it is. It's this measurement of that consciousness pattern. And so at the time, the answer was, yes, it is. So this is the whole reason why ascension began. It's why we started talking about it. It's why we started, people started having internal experiences of understanding things. And yeah. just a side note, that was in 1987, right? Just to set the context. Yes. Yeah. Right. 1987. Yeah. Right. And so that kind of launched this whole beginning. But then in response to that, the earth also had to be prepared. And so the electromagnetic grid of the planet was adjusted. It was adjusted in a way to strengthen and expand the electromagnetic grid to allow it to begin to integrate the future energies. Like it had to be done as a foundational thing. So when we start talking about the aurora and all of these types of energies that are now witnessed and experienced and seen and recognized to be way more frequent than they used to be or way more powerful than they used to be or more full of color or more full of where they come further down the globe. (laughs) What they really represent is the inflow of energy over the electromagnetic grid of the earth that then cycles and spins down through the axis of the earth. And when they're spinning down through the electromagnetic axis, it creates a field of light that we witness as the aurora borealis. 
And so it's a testament to the fact that we're in this new energy. It's these, we're in this space where this energy is being integrated. And because the electromagnetic changes were prepared, it allows the earth to absorb that energy in a more direct way, but without spinning it out of control. So you can think of it like a top that was spinning. If you all of a sudden came along and gave it a really big push, that it could, it would knock the top off its axis because the energy is too powerful. But if it's spinning really strong and it's really stable and it's really able to hold itself through the energy and then this energy comes upon it, it will integrate it and continue to spin. And that energy is coming upon the earth. It is. And so we're integrating it and it's that light and energy that's driving so much of the transformation. And so as the energy arrives on the earth, there's a whole crystalline repatterning that takes place. There's a whole foundation of energy that we can think of as the the new crystalline foundation of the future that's being activated and amplified. And on it, crystalline fields of light and energy that are going to become the matrix, which gives form to the things that are going to exist in that new world. And so there's this flowering that's taking place on the planet. And as that energy comes down, it's nurturing that flowering of the crystalline energy on the planet. And so that will be what propels the planet into a new crystalline reality, an energy that's very, very strengthened and different and coherent in all kinds of ways that we're not really part of the old energy system. And when we really land there, <laughs> you know, when we really make the transition and we're there, because we're, we're in transition now, but when we really land there, things will not be able to exist there that can exist in the old energy or can even continue to exist during the transition. But the transition will shift all of that. And when, but when we get to the place where we're there, we're going to realize things couldn't be the way they were. For example, it would be inconceivable that a human being would genuinely want to hurt another one. Mm -hmm. And that's not our life today, (laughs) but it is the life we're growing into. It would be a place where that would just not be the way of relationship and people would understand. And we, it comes with the maturity where if you found yourself inclined to do that, you'd be self-aware enough to know what to do, not to do it. Like you, you see what I mean? Like human consciousness will change what it means to be a human being. Will change. And so the whole essence of, of everything will be transformed by that. Imagine if that's how we lived and that's how we approached a business decision or how we approached a political decision or how we approached, um, you know, a mining decision or something that has an impact on the the natural balance of the earth. Imagine if we had that frame of thinking and that way of being, and that's where we spoke from and came from when we made those decisions. You can see how positioning ourselves like that will change everything. It's the kinds of things that we would be able to it's possible to tolerate and do it tomorrow, but it won't be done in an aggressive way. It will be done in a way of understanding and that everything we lived to grow to this point, to become ready to take the step into the next 
will be understood as a natural part of that evolution. And so we won't even look back and say, you know, how could we have been so dumb or <laughs> how could humanity be so foolish? It would be, no, no, that's what happens when you grow. And then you get to a point when you're ready to make a transition into the next thing. Just it's like a natural cycle in your life. You'll do things as a teenager, for example, that you're not going to do as a 20 year old or then again as a 30 year old or 40 year old. You'll make adjustments in your consciousness as you move. So, yes. So, yeah. Yes. And this is this beautiful unfolding that we're living in right now that we're going to we get to live the path to how we get there right we get to live it and see how that blossoms i had this beautiful image as you were um, sharing a bit a few minutes ago of you know our normal perception of the sunlight is the sun showers down and the flowers bloom and the animals can grow and, and everything but this was just taking it to a whole other level, you know, the flares <laughs> coming down on the, the crystalline structure and just all of this incredible blossoming on an energetic level happening. <laughs> and uh, it was really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And it's, it's so conceivable, isn't it? Like you, mm-hmm. you can really appreciate that that's, we, we have enough experience now with, with quantum things and, the artistic kind of representations that artists bring us of interdimensional spaces and energy that we can speak this language and actually have a concept of the kinds of things that are happening. You know, even if we don't see it with our eyes, we can see it with our mind. And uh, it's what you're saying is really beautiful and powerful because the, you know, we don't walk around every day seeing crystalline things or seeing interdimensional things. Most people don't anyway, but you but you know it's happening. And when you realize that that is, in essence, what's happening inside, and it's not just manifest yet, it's kind of in the, you know, the developmental phase. It's another one of those concepts that brings us peace. And the more we bring ourselves back to peace, the more we are prepared to keep walking, I think. So it's a very important fundamental teaching. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. We do need we need all the inner peace that we can get at this yeah exactly. <laughs> this stage of great change because that really helps us to navigate it. A hundred percent. We make such better decisions from there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, thank you so much for all that you have shared today. This has been so powerful as always, and you really have you have a great gift for taking these very vast concepts and really helping to ground them and make them understandable for us on a human level. So thank you for sharing that gift. Oh, thank you, Jocelyn. You know, it's my pleasure. I really, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy talking to you all the time and I really get enjoy sharing this with the whole audience too. So it's a really uh, magical moment. These nice little convergences of of time and thought. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. I know everybody listening will be so uplifted and supported by this. Yes. And you have a wonderful free gift for us, which is a package of the Unity Field Healing. Um, would you like to say a little bit more about that? And I'll tell people where to find that link. Sure. Yeah. So I always like to do this, Jocelyn, when I'm speaking and doing things. It's <clears throat> I'll create a little contest where people can enter the draw and I'll select three people to receive the whole audio package of Unity Field Healing. So it's a, a quantum based energy healing process that works in the quantum DNA system of energy. 
it's a lot to kind of digest as a thought form, <laughs> but people can read about it. The easiest thing to do is read about it on the website and, and they'll have a much better understanding, you know, with the pictures and diagrams and things that will explain what the work is. But, uh, I will always select three people to, uh, to be gifted with the audio package. So they'll receive all the meditations and healing program. Wonderful. And this yeah. is an incredibly valuable and life-changing gift. So thank you for offering this and everybody who's listening and watching. If you scroll down just below the video or audio that you're tuned into right now, you will see the link to claim that, that gift and enter um, to win that amazing, amazing unity field healing package. So thank you, John, for sharing this with the world too. My pleasure. <laughs> yes. Um, well, are, do you have any final words of wisdom? I'm I'm feeling called to ask you that as we're, sure. as we're closing here. I think the message of the moment is to really take time in a personal way every day just to still yourself and be in a conscious space of inner peace. Just feel that reset point in your energy. And it doesn't have to last long. It doesn't have to be all day. You don't have to meditate for hours. But just take a few moments in the morning before you start the day, maybe again in the evening or any time during the day where you feel called to do it or you feel like you're your energy is getting frazzled or busy or, you know, uncoordinated in some way. And just be still, close your eyes, go inside and feel that integrative energy inside you. And it sounds like such a simple thing and an obvious thing, but it's something we we don't do enough as human beings. And if we would do it, it would we'd realize the value of doing it. We realize how powerfully that allows us to reset our energy and because we're energy beings we're in the middle of all these changes we've been talking about in the conversation we're being influxed with all these powerful galactic energies and solar energies and you know astrological configurations that are challenging the energy to move in certain directions and all those you know wonderful things that you know about in the realm of astrology and as we live through that, it's easy to get tossed around, you know, like we're in the ocean and there's lots of movement and, and waves. But just to still ourselves, to go back in that place, to reset. And then when you open your eyes, come back into the world in that state of balance and begin to live again from that space. It's a simple message, but I think it's really powerful, especially in the energy of this year, because there's so much upon us and it's so constantly changing all the time that we need that. Consciousness anchor, I guess is the nice way to say it, to be able to, to realize how valuable and important that is. So a simple message today, but that's really what's in my heart to share with people. So important. And that is, that is the way back to that inner peace and calm and stillness. Yeah. So, yes. A very important message. Well, thank you. Thank you again, John. It's been a pleasure as always to speak with you and I, Wish you all the best in everything that you are working on. I hope you've enjoyed this wonderful episode of the Sacred Planet podcast. 
Be sure to click like and subscribe to our channel so that you will receive future updates. You'll know when we go live and when we are publishing the new episodes. And also be sure to put a note in the comments. What did this episode mean to you? What did this speaker and this topic inspire and awaken in you? And how do you want to share that with the world in new ways going forward? I would love to hear in the comments. And while you're here, go ahead and click on another podcast episode and open your mind, open your heart to more beautiful wisdom from the podcast. Much love, everybody. Okay, everyone. Oh, there's definitely a change going on, everybody. That is for sure. Okay, this will be another little um, short piece, and it's about our crystal. Geometry crystals are geometries of crystal healing. It's called. It's short, just enough time for it right now, and it's. Uh, does the structure of a crystal inform its use? Is there a best shape for processing grief, attracting a partner, or creating abundance? As we look out into the cosmos, we find the same geometric patterns splayed across the universe that we see within the crystals on Earth. How do these lattice structures and the origins of crystals impact the healing of the physical and emotional bodies? And this is 23 minutes, and so it is. Uh, I know there's more, but when you printed it, Rama, it stopped printing mm. for some reason. But we'll hear it. So here we go. <sighs> It has been said that sacred geometry is the language of the universe, the building blocks with which the infinite intelligence constructs everything in creation, from the micro to the macro. Crystals as perfected geometric forms are a prime example of the underlying blueprint of balance, symmetry, and order. Does the geometry, the structure and shape of a crystal give us clues in terms of what its metaphysical properties are? Can the ways in which crystals are formed by the earth tell us what they are best used for? Is there, for example, a best shape for processing grief or attracting love or manifesting abundance? And is there an ultimate, perfect form to optimize a crystal's energetic functions? Scientists believe today that Earth is approximately 4.5 billion years old. The first crystals began to form only 100 million years after Earth is believed to have originated at 4.4 billion years. So we know that because the oldest crystal that's been found now is a zircon crystal in Australia. And it is believed to have formed only 100 million years after the beginning of the planet that we live on. 
When we talk about these crystals in the immense age, there are so many different ways that they can form, and there are many different classifications. There are 32 crystal classes that are acknowledged in the scientific literature, and those classes are made from crystal systems, and there are seven. These seven are based on the actual lattice types of structures. So the, the lattice structure is a specific geometry that the atoms or molecules will arrange themselves around. And this type of geometry then determines the family or the sort of group of crystal types. For example, one of them is called triclinic, such as kyanite and turquoise. There's one that's called monoclinic. So for example, malachite and moonstone are monoclinic crystals. Another is orthorhombic, such as topaz and sulfur. There's rhombohedral, or sometimes rhombohedral is also called trigonal. And so like calcite and ruby and sapphire are rhombohedral. And the hexagonal crystals are, for example, quartz, all the quartz crystals. And uh, emerald is another example of a hexagonal. And sometimes they even form with six sides uh, because of that uh, hexagonal lattice structure. And then the final one is cubic, uh, or sometimes they call it isometric. Uh, so for example, pyrite is cubic and diamond is a particular type of cubic. So each of these seven crystal classes has many subclasses that are used and it becomes very complex in terms of, of how the crystals are defined, the number of faces, the number of of angles, the symmetry, the internal symmetry within the crystals themselves, all following very precise laws from a field of energy that we cannot see. What's interesting about these forms is that they correspond to the elements. Now the cube, which is the first of those forms, represents the earth. The octahedron that represents the wind, the ecosahedron that represents the water. We have the tetrahedron that represents fire. And we have the dodecahedron that represents sacred sound. By visualizing these forms and encoding information and intention into them, we can create specific effects and amplify specific intentions. This demonstrates very clearly how the geometrically organized structure of the crystals is what is holding information and that it's the information that we send forth that produces the healing. Each of these geometries has a particular meaning, a particular energy of creation that they anchor. And to look at it as sacred is to recognize that these energies are coming from a divine mind all the way down into this physical manifestation. And we're recognizing that that form as being sacred in its origin. The geometric shapes that make up crystal structures can be related to the five element system of Chinese medicine. The amorphous stones, which have no structure, can be associated with the fluidity of water represented by the circle. The shape of the wood element is a hexagram and associated with the hexagonal crystal structure. Fire is represented by the triangle. The trigonal, triclinic, and orthorhombic structures all have the triangle as part of their shape. The square can be associated with the boundaries we have on Earth. It is found in the cubic crystal structure. Metal is represented by the rectangle. 
It has similar boundaries as the square, but its height and width give it a relationship to balance. The tetragonal crystal structure is associated with the rectangle. Each of these shapes relates to a particular temperamental nature, and crystal structure can have a profound effect on how we relate to the world. If our temperament works for us, that is, if we're happy with how we live life, great. If not, choosing stones based on crystal structures can help us make deep, lasting change. Crystals form in many different ways. Some of them, for example, form in the rivers. You have some that form in the bellies of the mountains where there's a lot of pressure that comes down from, from the mountain above it and around it. You might have heat coming in from the deeper layers of the earth and this combination of pressure and heat compacts the, the crystals together and you know, like diamonds are formed that way, for example. You have in caves, you have the, the dripping of the water that comes down from above in the cave and it creates stalactites and then below, you know, the stalagmites. There's many ways that the crystals can grow. Crystals and stones are formed at different levels of the earth, which I call the level of formation. The level of formation of a stone is important because it gives us a clue about its best use. Generally, sedimentary stones are best for acute conditions affecting the surface energetics of the body. Sedimentary stones are usually relatively soft, so they have a quick effect, which we need for acute issues. Metamorphic stones are formed by the interaction of minerals that might not ordinarily meet. Change brings them together to form a new stone, they help us deal with our interactions with the world. Igneous stones, emanating originally from the core of the earth, resonate with our deepest issues, who we are as individuals. They can help us either challenge those parts of ourselves that cause us difficulty or help us drive them more deeply into the anatomy, in which case they are held latent until we have the strength to confront them in this life or the next. Many precious gems take hundreds of millions of years to form within the Earth. I believe the consciousness of the Earth as well as the influence of other planets in the solar system can be imparted into these gems. There's a growing market for lab-made gemstones with many people insisting they work for astrology and healing, but I'm not so sure you can take this incredibly long, drawn-out process with the energy and participation of planet Earth being a critical component of it, speed it up in a lab, take the Earth's consciousness completely out of the equation, and still get healing benefits from, from these synthetic gems. Beyond the level at which a stone was formed, igneous, metamorphic, or sedimentary, knowing how and where a stone was formed is important to have a better understanding of how to use it. Obsidian is a good example. At some point in the very distant past, when the Earth was going through one of its tumultuous periods of change, superheated magma started building up under the crust of the Earth. More and more, the heat and the pressure intensified. And then a point of weakness in the crust began to give way. And all that magma was finally able to move from deep within the Earth 
up through the crust and finally, still intensely hot and pushed by tremendous pressure, it burst up and out into the air. Suddenly, the very hot material was subjected to a very cold temperature. It was shocked by the cold. It changed from molten, liquefied, silica-rich material to glass. So what does this tell us about its use? Obsidian retains the energetic history of what happened to it and communicates that story to the body. It helps bring warmth from deep inside the body toward the surface. Because the stone was subjected to such radical change, it understands shock. When someone is acutely traumatized, their energy is in a state of stasis. It's like they're frozen. Holding obsidian will help move and warm their energy so that it can begin to circulate again. The stone has other uses as well, but almost all are somehow related to bringing energy to the surface of the body, which ultimately helps our immune system protect us. Obsidian is useful for acute conditions and for short periods of application. Crystals come in all shapes, sizes, and price ranges, but no matter what the shape or size, all will possess the specific healing properties. From the humble, tumbled pocket stones to crystallized specimens, raw stones to carved and embellished crystal forms, there is something for everyone. For crystal healers and placement on the body, cabochons are practical as they don't roll off the body so easily. Following the doctrine of signatures, we can receive clues about which organ, system, or chakra a mineral may be effective for by observing their unique structure, color ray, and shape. For example, if you look at this Boitroidal malachite, how does it make you feel? It feels like it's bubbling out, and the bullseye pattern design brings us into the depths of its center. In crystal healing, malachite is an emotional Persia stone. The copper element increases conductivity as it penetrates and excavates deep emotions buried within the emotional body. The structure of a crystal is a very important factor when making a choice, especially if the stone is relatively transparent. With transparency, light from the outside world mingles with light from our own bodies, both bouncing around the inside of the stone's latticework. The influence of the crystal structure on the light can change us, and we need to know how. For example, there came a time when I was working on the book Stone Medicine that I was feeling urgency to get it to a certain state of completion. I needed very strong boundaries to get the work done. I chose to wear a garnet pendant and earrings during that time. Garnet has a cubic crystal structure, which supports boundaries. My boundaries got so strong, I started being a little bit rude to people. Eventually, I started feeling like I was being squeezed, but by that time, I was pretty much done with the work. It was a huge relief to take off the garnet. What's most important for gems that truly work for astrological purposes is they must be natural and untreated, which is very hard to find. 99.9% of sapphires on a commercial market are heat treated. 
Cheap treatment renders gems useless for astrology. It brings a gemstone practically to its melting point and alters its chemical structure to make it appear higher quality or a more vivid color. This type of treatment changes the fundamental nature of the stone, destroying its metaphysical essence. Astrological gemstones must also be free of flaws. In the crystal world, many times inclusions are part of the personality of the crystal. But in the astrological gemstone world, flaws can distort and prohibit the flow of light and color frequency from being transmitted properly. Cracks will stop the gem from working, as will black inclusions that don't allow light to flow through properly. Faceting precious gemstones allows them to reflect and play with light in a way that the rough material does not. A cut gemstone almost acts like a laser or acts the way a ray of sun does when concentrated through a magnifying glass. Light comes through the top of the gem and funnels down through the point of the stone, producing an increasingly concentrated beam of color. This is how the properties of the gemstone are transmitted to the wearer. The five element system gives a model for understanding how crystal structure can help us deal with life issues such as grief or attracting a partner. Grief is the emotion associated with metal and the organs of the lungs and large intestine. Grief comes when we are mourning someone or thing that had great value in our lives. It is an opportunity to honor that person by recognizing how important they were in one's life. It's only a problem if we get stuck in the grief and can't move on. Using five-element thinking, we can try to control the grief by using something that stimulates fire to melt metal. In stone medicine, the trigonal, triclinic, and orthorhombic structures are all associated with fire. Any of the quartz crystals with their trigonal structure could be used in this case. Amethyst is known for helping us deal with the sadness of life. Another possibility is sunstone. It has a triclinic structure and has a very young nature to push us out into the light. Another shape of quartz crystal is the self-healed crystal. Usually, the end of a crystal shows where it broke off from its matrix. In the case of the self-healed crystal, the broken end manages to heal itself with many small new terminations. This crystal teaches us that it is indeed possible to heal even when we feel broken. Any quartz with a single termination is a masculine crystal. And when it has two connected points, it's a feminine crystal. This is a single generator, a body with six sides terminating into a clear point. This is the base where the crystal was connected to the earth matrix. Single generators are excellent programming crystals to place on the altar. The crystal will project and amplify our prayers into the universe. It is important to only work with good thoughts as the crystal will magnify your intentions and will return the energy back to you. Double terminated crystals like this one have two termination points on opposite ends and energy can move through them rapidly. On a crystal healing layout on the body, there are ideal for placing in between chakras when you would like to connect, bridge and move energy. Double terminated crystals have balanced polarity, teaching us how to maintain balance 
There are also practical tools for developing telepathy. Clusters are many single generators living together, sharing a common base. They create a strong energetic field as light bounces off of each other, reflecting a lot of light into the room, wherever they are. They act as a negative ionizer and can be placed in a room to clear the energetic aftermath of an argument or just bringing in more light and joy into a room. Crystal clusters teach us how to live harmoniously in community. Modern times, one of the pioneers in opening the door to our relationship with crystals in the technological age was from a brilliant innovator. His name was Marcel Vogel. He was an IBM scientist when he began to understand the properties of crystalline substances and what they mean in terms of electrical information, in terms of electromagnetic information, and specifically in terms of light. He was fascinated by the way that light would move through very specific quartz crystals, and he began to optimize those, eventually building his own crystals, growing his own, cutting his own crystals in what is now called the Vogel quartz crystal. It is a, a double terminated quartz crystal, a point on, on both ends. And he began using these not only in technology as we understand it today, he began to relate the idea of the quartz crystal as a transducer of energy to facilitate healing in the human body, mirroring what many of our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions have always alluded to and have continued to practice today. Now the science is catching up with why this might be effective and how it can be even more effective in our lives today. Marcel Vogel was a scientist. He got lots of patents for his work. And he realized that the crystals, not only do they have these amazing properties of conductance and piezoelectric and whatnot, but he also realized that the internal lattice structure of the crystals was according to the tree of life. And he then realized that they will store energy within that crystal structure. He wanted to find a way to harness what he called ether physics and directing that through the crystals. He cut different numbers. So he brought in numerology and the facets or the sides of the crystal would have different numbers. So sometimes it's 16 sides. Sometimes it's 22 sides. Vogel believed that it was drawing in the, the pure energy from the ether or that original source and then responding as well to the intention that we give it, uh, to the energy that we put in with our own vibration. And then it took all of that and amplified that power uh, to send it out with both the sacred geometry and the numerology involved. A Vogel crystal is a superior instrument of healing. It is a quartz crystal precisely cut into a double terminated dipyramidal geometric form. The female end cut precisely to the same 51 degrees as the slope of the Great Pyramid of Giza. This form was inspired by a vision Marcel received of the Tree of Life from the Kabbalah. Marcel believed that love was a glue which held the universe together and that our primary responsibility was to love. At his psychic research lab, he discovered that thought is connected to energy. 
and that the inhaling and exhaling of breath is connected to the receiving and transmitting of thought. He further discovered that human thought projects most powerfully with a pulse of breath, like in a yoga fire breath. That is what started his research with a therapeutic application of crystals in synergy with human consciousness for healing as well as for structuring crystallized water. Refashioning the crystal into this proper shape transformed the crystal into a quantum converter that would extend the thought and intention of the user for healing. Marcel believed that when these crystals were used with love, it made the energy of the mind coherent and amplified the healing resonance. Just as with everything that exists, how we are made, where we are made, and what we are made of impacts all of who and what we are. Our personalities and purpose are born from all these factors combined. Crystals are no different. Their molecular structure, the shapes they grow in, the shapes they're cut in, and the materials they're made of absolutely inform and define what they can help you with. Most importantly though, heed Marcel Vogel's advice. Use crystals to their highest potential by infusing them with the most important ingredient, the frequency of love. Oh my. Use crystals with their highest potential in mind. Yeah. Use them with the frequency of love. There are crystals... Go visit the Arkansas, what's that place called? Oh, the Coleman Mine. The Coleman Mine. Yeah. In Little Rock, Arkansas. We went there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those crystals are pulled from 200 feet below the surface of the earth, right there. Mm-hmm. And the Brazilian crystals are sister-brother crystals for that part of the world, the mind, the air, too. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, places where you can barter crystals, festivals. Mm-hmm. There's one in Tucson every year. I know that. Home of Patty Cota Robles. Mm-hmm. I'll come back, everybody, in a little while. We'll take a break just for a moment. We'll see you in about 10 minutes. Thank you for listening with us. Something magic is afoot. Goddess is alive. See you in a little while, about 10 or so, 10 minutes or 15. Namaste. Master talking stick to you, Richard. Thank you, brother. And good evening, everybody. Good evening, Richard. Yeah. All right. Well, as I standardized looking at the 9 p.m. chart at the location of Blue Ridge, Georgia. You got the, yeah, we're up to, the sun is getting clear to the middle of Leo. This is the 14th degree today. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, it's like 
strongly square to Pluto and Taurus, but we were anticipating this condition because it's you know it's a condition that lasts two weeks. You know, if the sun's moving a degree a day and Uranus moves very very slow, you know. So when when the sun was at 15, when the sun gets to 15 Leo or 12 Leo, depending on your uh, aspect orb of effectiveness, all right, so the sun is coming in, the sun is coming into a two-week square to Uranus. And it's been operating with a square to Jupiter, which is at 15 Taurus. So in, uh, it's been square in Taurus for about a week or 10 days. And it's going to continue to square Jupiter for a week or 10 days. And it's going to continue to square Uranus right after that there in Taurus. It, you know, energy-wise... The, the driving energies are from Uranus and Jupiter mm. and Taurus. All right, so that's Earth. That's Earth, Earthy stuff. And uh, Uranus is in charge, and Jupiter is doing its usual thing, like being an amplifier. And if you know anything about electronics, amplifiers take a signal, look at it and put it back on the inside, input side of the amplifier. So you can amplify it until you blow up your system if you don't have a regulator on it. So Jupiter conjunct Uranus, square the sun, is the most obvious condition that's driving things energetically. But at the same time, we've got Mercury conjunct Mars in Virgo, okay? And they're trying Jupiter and going to be trying Uranus in a few days or a week or so. So Mars is at 17 Virgo and Mercury's at 11, all right? You know, it's in the middle of middle of the sign. You know, so it's fully Virgoan. All right. So Virgo run Virgo operates a lot with the mental plane, and uh, so Mars, which tends to be obstinate and stubborn and wants its way and it's pushy, you know, all those Mars things. They're doing that with their mouth and their pen. So they're talking and writing. And, and these days we'll add video to it as well, right? So that's how you, you get these weird, these weird aspects of civilization, you know, like mainstream media. And big tech, which is 
media. So they're in a they're in a position of strength, and because they're trying Jupiter and Uranus in Taurus, that gives them added. So it's very very powerful condition right there. All right, uh, Venus. Retrograde in Leo, it's a 25 tonight. Mm. All right, so it's a 25, and the sun's at 14. So Venus is backing relative to Earth now. It's backing up into a conjunction with the sun. So in another week, Venus will be closer to the sun. All right, now it's, Venus is going behind the sun. All right, in its orbit relative to Earth, right? Okay, so we've talked about that often enough. You might understand the, the mechanics of it. All right, now let's look at the other side of the chart. Pluto is backed up into the 29th degree of Capricorn. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's further away from Aquarius energy, all right? And... uh it's retrograde, right. and so Aquarius has no major, you know, energies in the sign at the moment. Right? So then going forward, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, Saturn is retrograde, and now it's backed up to six degrees. So you might want to look. If you've got planets in the in the at six degrees somewhere in your chart, you know plus or minus a, a few degrees, you know you might have a square that's challenging, or you might have a, a trine that's supportive. And because it's Pisces, it's got uh, high magnetic emotional content involved. Okay. So you got that to contend with. And you combine that, Saturn at 6, Mercury just finished its opposition to Saturn, which was the condition last week and then the week before. You know, we had two weeks of Mercury opposite Saturn. Okay, All right, so then we... What? Mercury doesn't go retrograde till later on. Uh, yeah, Mercury. I I haven't looked that far ahead to see when Mercury goes retrograde next time. But didn't we have? Uh, it, it happens about every hundred and twenty days of Mercury retrograde. Yeah, four times a year. Yeah. Sometimes three, sometimes four. Okay. Yeah. But uh, uh, maybe I'll take the time to look that up for you. But, uh, you know, Neptune, you know, hanging out at 28 Pisces, and that's, you know, you know all about Pisces. We've been in the Piscean age, and that's all about, you know, love and, love and peace and, and none of this... Uh, Fussing and fighting and feuding and war and all that. But, okay. Yeah. Now, in the present, in the present time, 
you know, practically speaking, right? Tonight, the moon's in Aries. Oh. Right? Yeah. If you've had a weird day or a weird yesterday, a weird yesterday was moon conjunct Neptune. And a weird tomorrow is going to be moon conjunct Chiron. Oh. Which is also retrograde. Okay? And Chiron is at 20 degrees Aries. Alright? So you, you might want to check what what's aspecting 20 degrees Aries in your chart. Because oh, I'm not exactly sure what the effects of a, a retrograde Chiron I can kind of tell what it's doing in in my own life, but I I I would ha I would have to meditate seriously if I was reading uh, a, a Libra's chart or a Sagittarian's chart, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's affecting the fire signs, right? And we know that Aries rules electricity. And lightning, okay. So it, there's no such thing as retrograde lightning. It doesn't jump from the ground to the clouds. <laughs> no, doesn't, doesn't doesn't operate that way because you know the uh, um, the atmosphere of the planet, you know, is while it's intimately connected with the, with the ground with the, the ground of Earth. It's, you know, it's up there sometimes 35,000 feet. You know, clouds sometimes get four or five miles high. That's true. Yeah. So, now the North Node, which we, we uh, Kaipacha talked about, the North Node moving into moving into Aries. Oh. And, uh, yeah, square in the sun, that... That was last month, but in, yeah, in another two weeks, the sun's going to be trying Chiron, uh, try, trying the North Node. So uh, something as potent and powerful as the sun working with Chiron, it's... I all I it's I I don't want to say it, but I'm going to be responsible and call it the way I see it. There's nothing but trouble ahead. <laughs> That's even more important for us to do our mission and don't give it energy. Yeah, yeah. but people are average humans. I know. Very, very sensitive with the way these energies set up, mm -hmm. and the, the, and the, the, it doesn't matter what sign they are. There's there's going to be one or two conditions that are going to disturb them somehow, right? And that's just that's just the way it is. And on that note, I would like to introduce 
our longtime friend, Mr. Kaipacha, home-based in Costa Rica, world <laughs> traveler, astrology educator, and all-around good guy. Back to you, Rama. Okay, here we go. Skypacha with the weekly Pele report. And this one is for August 2nd of the great year 2023. How about that full moon in Aquarius last night? Whoa, Nelly. Intense. And how about that tree up ahead? Let me see if I can zoom in on that. Is that like not? How about that? That's amazing, huh? Just hanging in there. Hanging in there. That's the scoop. Here's another tree root that I thought was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, look at this. Oh, man. And it goes up, 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 and away. So that moon's in Aquarius, but she's moving along. She did her full moon stint. And she's going to be moving into Pisces by the end of tonight. Uh, and uh, then, uh, before that, she's going to square Uranus, okay, oppose Venus, then goes into Pisces, conjuncts Saturn, opposes Mercury and Mars tomorrow, Thursday. And then on Friday, she hits Neptune before she goes into Aries. On Saturday... She trines the sun. Sunday. Hits Chiron. Squares Pluto. Monday. Trines Mercury. Tuesday. Hits Jupiter. Squares the sun. Trines Mars. Conjuncts Uranus. Squares Venus. Yee! I mean, there's a lot of lunar aspects going on this week, as you can tell. I just gave you a whole bunch of them. And, of course, there's more. Those are only the major aspects. But, you know, there's not that many major planet aspects. Uh, the big one would be Sun Square Jupiter on Sunday. Yeah. And I'm going to be talking about, I mean, you know Venus is going retrograde. She's going down into the underworld. She actually disappears on Sunday. <clears throat> You may still see her very low in the western sky at sunset. But by Sunday, uh, you won't be able to see her. She'll be too close to the sun. Yeah? And uh, she'll be conjunct the sun next week. But I'll talk about that later. Anyway, for now, the other aspect I want to be talking about is Black Moon Lilith. You know, she was conjunct Venus when Venus came around and went retrograde and now uh, Black Moon Lilith is retrograding all the way down to conjunct the sun we're going to have a sun Black Moon Lilith conjunction on Friday so I'm going to be talking about some shadow 
I'm going to be talking about the underworld. We're all kind of visiting it right now for a little bit. Let me look at the camera. Oh, well, the other aspect I want to be relating uh, to is uh, that retrograde Venus is square Uranus next Wednesday. So let's keep that in mind. Okay. Wow, you guys. I got so much to share today. I'm really super excited about it. <laughs> I want to read you a poem, a Sabian symbol. We've got a great song for the week. But I want you to know this is an astrology report. And this is based on, and everything that I bring to you is based on the energy of this week, of this time period, as reflected in the stars, as above, so below, as without, so within. What is going on? Like I said before, Venus has gone retrograde. The closer she gets to the sun, when she gets within 10 degrees, boop, you can't see her anymore. Yeah, the sun blocks her out. So the ancients said that she's in the underworld. Venus disappeared from the night sky. They didn't have any telescopes to explain what was going on. They just knew that she disappeared in the night sky and then reappeared in the eastern sky at sunrise. Yeah, a couple weeks, few, few weeks later, when she's 10 degrees on the other side of the sun. So we have a, a sun-Venus conjunction coming up, right? But this time period of her in the underworld has deep significance. And I've talked about it a little bit. Today I want to talk about it some more. It has to do with the shadow. And now we get into Black Moon Lilith. It's no coincidence that Black Moon Lilith is conjunct the sun also this week. Bringing in the dark feminine energy. Bringing in shadow. We want to look at shadow. We want to look at our own shadows, and we'll be able to see other people's shadows also. And we also want to understand that this is all happening in the sign of Leo. Leo. Not Virgo, not Capricorn, not Scorpio. Okay, this whole underground journey, this whole Black Moon Lilith Sun, this is all going on in the sign of Leo creative self-expression. Yeah, fun, gambling, risk-taking, believing that I am a ray of light from the sun, an agent of life, an agent of light, that I am the king, I am the queen, I am, I, uh, I'm Tarzan. <laughs> you know, it's like, boom, this is all happening. This is a transformation. This is a metamorphosis in the way that we express ourselves. And it's a death and a rebirth. So this is letting go of old, traditional, comfortable, uh, you know, socially acceptable ways of expressing ourselves to really be the authentic, unique, amazing individuals that we are. And I want to discuss with you today a little of, of what that looks like in reality. But first, <laughs> a 
we get a couple of different things that, you know, blend right into this theme that I, that we have going on this week. And one of them is the third quarter square of the moon to the sun. Yeah? And that happens at what? Uh, uh, 15 degrees, 39 minutes of Taurus, which is the 16th degree of Taurus, which the Sabian symbol is an old teacher fails to interest his pupils in traditional knowledge. The inadequacy of past knowledge in times of crisis. So, yeah, here we have the emergence of developments in a time of crisis, yeah, like a storm being braved by the man in the last symbol. The type of wisdom learned from the past remains in the background to be revived later on in new forms. What is emphasized is change. Traditional concepts are not adequate to confirm the new conditions of existence. Thus, whenever this symbol comes to our attention, it indicates that even the most consecrated tradition does not have the real answer to the problem. Whether it's astrology or Buddhism or Christianity or democracy or all these traditions. No, 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 no. We got to be boom in ourself, in the now, in our intuition. Bam. We can't rely on old texts, even astrology. Yeah. So from the Zen point of view, the mind facing trouble should not depend on past concepts, but should speak not this, not that, until the pure void is reached. We might speak here of the principle of creative frustration. And what is the void? The void is the underworld. The void is death. The void is Venus and Anna descending into the underworld, into the void, getting stripped down naked into nothing, space, emptiness, void. And out of that space, emptiness, void, we resurrect ourselves in a new way. So this is time of shedding, of letting go of surrendering. Everything that we've been taught, everything that we've been told is real, is fulfilling, is uh, acceptable, is right and wrong and good and bad and blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. We got to empty the mind. <laughs> Enter the void. <laughs> wow. So the song for, you know, the song for this week, I, you got to listen to it, all right? It's by uh, Gajumaru, yeah, and uh, uh, well, the name of the song is Gajumaru, and it's by uh, Yaima, uh, and letting go of all the old stories I've been told, 
I walk in the valley of my own shadow. So what is shadow? Shadow is the negative beliefs that we have about ourselves, okay, that, you know, prevent us, inhibit us, we judge ourselves, we shame ourselves, we hide these aspects of ourselves in order to be accepted by society, be my mom and dad, by bosses, spouses, kids, parents, whoever. And how does that look? What does that show up as? And that's what I was thinking about, you know. I mean, we have in the old days, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments, okay, you know, in, in that school. Uh, you know, we have all these religions that set up all kinds of things. But I'll tell you what, those are still present. There is still Scorpio, Pluto, the Eighth House, the taboo, the underworld, yeah, death, sex, money, God, evil, the taboo subjects. And so this is going on now, and we can say, oh, you know, you're not supposed to say the F word in public, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, uh, you know, go naked, you're not supposed to. There's a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts when it comes to just the law. Saturn, police, government, external authorities. But these are not the only uh, ruling bodies, okay? These are not the only uh, judgmental uh, bodies around. Even the light seekers, the spiritual seekers, right? You know, there's, there's these hidden codes Codes of behavior, codes of ethics, moral codes, uh, you know, just, you know, the codex of what is appropriate, not appropriate, what is spiritual, what's not spiritual, uh, you know, what is, and you know what, it changes from group to group to group. You know, you go to astrology conventions, and they're different than going to yoga retreats, and they're different than going down to South America to shamanic ceremony and, you know, uh, plant medicine. So there's all, you know, there's, we got lots of different subgroups, permaculture communities, expats, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, all, there's, there's a lot of different, okay, you know, ways, but they're different codes. You know, some of them, you know, it's not okay to eat meat. So, you know, you go hush-hush about it. It's not okay to drink alcohol. So, you know, you don't, or you, you know, you sneak it. You know, you, you, there's dietary, okay. I, and then when it comes to, you know, there's sacred sexuality and profane sexuality. And if we're spiritual, we only do sacred. You know, there's no wang-bang you know, there's just Tantra and soft and smooth and spiritual and divine, you know. And then, and if you go, you know, to plant ceremonies, okay, well, and then what, you go to the Burning Man and, you know, acid is okay. Okay, you know, a lot of places, most places, ganja is okay. You, so you can smoke ganja, but don't smoke tobacco. 
you know, and you can, you know, drink uh, kombucha, but don't drink mezcal. And you can da 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 da. And and so we have this, you know, we have our subcultural guidelines that are also perhaps not us, not our true authentic expression. But we're part of a group, and we don't want to be rejected. The Leo's greatest fear is rejection. I don't want to be rejected. I want to be loved. I want to be adored. I want to be clapped for. I want applause. So I can maybe compromise, you know, my expression and my creations. So it's, and it's not only about food, okay, and it's not only about appearances, even with fashion, we could say fashion, all right, you know, there's like hip, cool things, you know, you can be pierced or jewelry or tats or whatever, but like if you don't have a tat, (laughs) are you in? (laughs) Are you relevant, (laughs) right? If you don't, you know, and then it comes down to what? Not only that, we've got family. The way I do relationship, is it monogamous? You know, we use our parents. A lot of things we adopted before we could talk. We saw how mom and dad did relationship. And we've we've adopted unconsciously, unconscious patterns of this is okay, that's not okay. Polyamory, not okay. But if so, secrets or, you know, betrayal. You know, can you walk away? Is divorce, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, do you ever announce or say, you know, that you, I, I, so, you know, there's all kinds of how we relate, what we look like, what we eat and drink, what we talk about. Here's another one, you know. I mean, do you, you know, do we talk about evil, evil these days? You know, there's, there's a lot of people, you know, the new earthers. Oh, there's no such thing as evil. You know, oh, it's all good. Everything that's happening, you know, is it's divine and inspired. And, you know, let, let's not go into the dark. Oh, they're about, you know, that's like, that's don't. Oh, <laughs> And then there's other people, you know, you say God, and they go, oh, you know, what God are you talking about? You know, what does that mean? We don't, you know, it's like, you know, I got, I got bad experiences with God. You know, I can say source and creator, but, you know, don't say God. That's getting too, you know, uh, sectarian or whatever, you know, I mean, it's like, so, you know, our thoughts, our thinking, our language, it's not just Google. It's not just being censored by the government. It's not just being censored by Mark Zuckerman and the Facebook. We censor each other. We censor ourselves. Because we've got this shadow. We've got this black moon Lilith. We're all born with this black moon Lilith. And the way I interpret black moon Lilith is as kids, parents, teachers, and preachers told us not to be 
our black moon Lilith. So right now, collectively, we are all not to be Leo. We're not to be shining stars. We're not to be awesome, special, unique, drama, kings and queens. We're supposed to be small, followers, slaves, martyrs, victims, sheep. In order to belong. So, yeah, that's what this mantra, this week's mantra has to talk about. And that's what this poem I want to read to you. Yeah, by Maya Angela. Totally awesome, amazing, powerful poet. If you're not familiar with her, okay, I encourage you. I'm going to put it at the end of the video so that you can, uh, uh, read it yourself. Yeah. Maya Angelou. Still I rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and just like suns, with the certainty of tides, just like hopes springing high, still, I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard? Because I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide. Welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Venus will rise again. In the east, as a warrior, goddess, in the dawn. Black Moon Lilith, my medicine for Black Moon Lilith, my medicine for the shadow, is to drink from the cup of unconditional self-love. You accept your fragmented self. You accept what your parents, teachers, and preachers rejected and didn't want to see, were intimidated by, or were afraid of. You accept that you are special, 
And that doesn't mean that you're narcissistic, egotistical, aloof, or arrogant. Everybody is special. There's room for 8 billion special souls on this planet. Everybody's got Leo somewhere. Everybody's got a sun in their chart. We are all special. Let's let each other be special. Let's tolerate each other's specialness. <laughs> let people go overboard with their eccentric, bizarre behaviors, beliefs, appearances, relationships. Live and let live. Let go and let go, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, my God. With so many cultures and religions family and friends and social expectations I need to let go and break with tradition to discover my own unique self-expression it's like you're digging for treasure it's like we're digging through our past our programming our conditioning from parents, from friends, peer pressure, from it's like we're hit from all sides. Our kids, if you got kids, grandkids, if you got grandkids, parents, if you got parents. I mean, it's all over the place. Judgment. And, you know, everybody's judging, but you know what? Everybody's projecting. And maybe you got something that everybody wants. And when you show it, they get jealous, they get envious, they, they you know, they, you know, they, they, they want to bring you down, take you out, not see what you've got that they want and they don't have. So, ah, uh, ah, uh, ooh, ah, uh, ee, ah. Uh. <laughs> All this stuff goes on subterranean all this stuff goes on nobody talks about it nobody you know it's like oh no 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 i'm i'm nice i'm spiritual i'm sweet i'm you know my heart's open we've all got shadow baby Ow! we've all got black moon lilith somewhere so let's look at it retrograde venus is about individualizing and personalizing and discovering our own values, our own value, and rebelling and revolting against, okay, the mainstream, against our programming, against, uh, you know, who's ever trying to limit our expression or bind us or tell us how our relationships should look or what's, you know, what's most important. This is a time to rebel. So people born with retrograde Venus have what? Uranian types of relationships are attracted to Uranian partners. And now as of next Wednesday, not only is retrograde rebel, revolutionary Venus retrograde, but she squares Uranus. 
double whammy, triple whammy. Like this is a this is a massive time of awakening and doing things different. So shake it up, shake it out, let it rock and roll. Ow! I wish you the very best on this, and I just encourage you. If you're raising their eyebrows, dropping their jaws, and blowing their minds, you're probably on the right track. <laughs> With so many cultures and religions, family and friends, and social expectations, I need to let go and break with tradition to discover my own unique self-expression. Let's make this the week of the unique. Namaste, aloha, so much love. Ow! Talking stick back to you, Richard. All right, then. Uh, I think we should go. That was pretty powerful, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. was. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, he, he, I think he and I kind of saw the same sorts of things. I just expressed it my way. He does a better job, I think, than I do. But, uh, Let's um, let's go ahead and listen to Tanya, and then uh, we'll come back and I'll I'll take a quick look at uh, next next week's chart for you. All right. Okay. Okay. Here we go. This is Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist, and in this podcast, we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers, the astrology and numerology, and in this case, it's going to be August's universal month number, which is 15, the spiritual alchemist, the magician, uplifting others through joy, and this theme of magic runs through the whole month of August. We have so many beautiful codes activated in the planetary transits, in the lunations, full moon and new moon. And so the theme of the spiritual alchemist magic, uplifting others through joy, being in a place where you sense the miracle in as many moments as you can. This is really what we are all being asked to do in this beautiful month. So let me start with the number 15. August in 2023 does add up to 15. That is 8 plus 2 plus 0 plus 2 plus 3 equals 15. And 15, 1 plus 5 reduces to 6, the number of love, the number of nurturing, healing, 
and taking responsibility, being the mentor or the parent, being a person who is of service. So it truly is also about self-care and self-growth and being a person who people can turn to for wisdom and nurturing. And this number is very connected to abundance. So when we add it to 15, the two-digit number, the magic and alchemy that is exuded, that springs forth, turns into love and it turns into a way of nurturing through magic, through joy. So you will definitely know this month where you are needed, who is actually requesting your help, and you will focus on your home, your family, or your home business, or all of the above. You will accept new responsibilities, but they will feel truly aligned in so many ways. And if they are not aligned, you will discover in the doing, in the fulfillment of the responsibilities, why they were handed to you. And it always has to do with some kind of growth experience that that you experience in order to become more magical in your own life and not take things so personally to see life as an endless sequence of points of light, of events and experiences that take you exactly where you need to go in order to fulfill your destiny. So that's really the magic is to accept that, to be open to it, and to not even ask why, but to ask how. The number 15 and 6 are very much about, well, how can I be of help? So career opportunities will also be enhanced because they tie into the being of service and being a person who others can turn to for wisdom and love that is enhanced, that theme. So it's very important that you also nurture yourself. And when you take on those bigger responsibilities, you especially need to focus on self-care. But self-care is really key. And that would include not only others who are there for you, but you also stepping into movement, nurturing the physical body with healthy nutrients, lots of water, and of course, exercise. So the tuning into the frequency of love is one of the key points. Now, we want to also look at the combination of August's 15 with 2023's universal year number of 7. 2023 is a year that adds up to the number 7, and 7 is the number of inspiration, of research, of bringing heaven to earth, and knowing that heaven is always here, we just need to see it in our hearts. So seven is a number of being on your own. So this year in general is a year of of self-awakening, self-discovery. And so combined with the number seven, this is a powerful month to welcome change. Seven is like the lightning strike that accelerates personal growth and spiritual awakening. And in line with that, with the acceptance, with the compassion, with the curiosity, with the love, you are raising your vibration enough to actually heal and transmute. Remember, 15 is the spiritual alchemy number. So to transmute 
any blockages and clear the way. Now, to help with that, of course, are the star code formations this month, and they are numerous. We have three lunations. We have two full moons in August, not just one, and we have, of course, the new moon as well. The month begins on August 1st with the Aquarius full moon. Then on the 16th of August, we have the Leo new moon. And then on the 30th and 31st of August, depending on where you live, we have the Pisces full moon. So that's unusual in itself. But the code for these lunations are special as well. We have the number 23 activated several times. And it happens actually while the sun is in Leo. And why is that significant? Well, 23 in numerology is the royal star of the lion number. Very similar in terms of its impact as the number 15, spiritual alchemy. So we have this very confident, courageous number of light and leadership, 23, merged with the number of nurturing loves, alchemy, and joy and abundance coming together in a really big dynamic way this month. And you'll see in my other Star Code podcasts how the number 23 is activated in so many ways throughout the month of August. So that is one thing. And then, of course, we're in 2023. The actual year of the Royal Star of the Line is upon us and has been upon us for many months now. So we do actually feel the connection. Now, I'm going to just mention one of the many, many 23 activations, and that is that Mercury stations retrograde on August 23. And, well, I'll just mention one one more. On August 16th, the Leo new moon is at 23 degrees with the sun and moon in Leo. And there are many other planets at 23 degrees in that new moon as well, and we'll get into that in a future forecast. But there is such a call for you to go within and acknowledge that everything you need is already there. It just needs to be accessed. It needs to be um, researched, found, felt. You know, 15-6 is a number of feeling. It's a number of the heart. And when I turned to the Merlin Metatron Collective and I channel the Merlin Metatron Collective for my premium wealth forecast members every month. And for this month, the, the one of the key sentences that came through in the transmission of this incredible Merlin Metatron Collective was magic is the mystical made manifest with joy. Magic is the mystical made manifest with joy. And so what more can you ask for? We want magic. We want the mystical. The mystical is what makes life so magical because it is the unknown, the unseen, the the things that children love, the fairies, the elves, the unicorns, the angels, right? Everything that delights our senses and delights our heart And so when we allow magic to be exuded not through any kind of dark magic or deception, but literally through the upliftment of the light, of love, of caring, of selflessness, 
right, where the ego is left behind completely and the heart sings, this is when magic becomes the mystical and is manifest through the joy of the discovery of the partaking of it. And this really epitomizes the number 15. And this is what the Merlin Metatron Collective actually was talking about is that spiritual alchemist number 15. So this month is your month of freedom, of courage, of strength, of awakening, of alchemy, of being connected to source in a new way. Remember, the sun rules Leo. The sun is in Leo. The royal star, the lion, is activated throughout this whole period. Even once the sun leaves Leo, Mercury stations retrograde on August 23rd, and the sun actually enters Virgo on that day. So that Leo lion energy continues when the sun is in Virgo because of August's incredible far reach regarding these themes, freedom, courage, strength, and the awakening of the heart. And to support you with your awakening, I have a wonderful free masterclass at spiritualmasteryclass.com. It truly focuses on how to master your own stars and discover the truth of taking your power back. And this is what magic does. Magic takes you away from the egocentric, very limited way of life to the eternal and all-encompassing way of life, the spiritual way of life, which nourishes you because it shares that you have all the tools already. And so this masterclass allows you to discover those tools. It's a free online training, and it focuses on the important difference between individuality and uniqueness. One is egocentric, the other is heart-centered. Your natal sun and natal moon's profound impact on living an abundant and joyful life and how to instantly connect with spirit and many, many more secret tools are revealed in this special free masterclass. And again, you can access it at spiritualmasteryclass.com. It's a perfect month to dive into these topics, the month of August, the month of spiritual alchemy. So enjoy that class. Have a beautiful week. And I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast.
only three degrees of separation there. And then the other thing is the Venus-Sun conjunction at 21 Leo. That'll be operating next Saturday exactly uh, as a pretty tight square to Uranus at 23, all right? And then the, the 18 and 21 Mercury, Mars, and Virgo, very, very tight to the, the midpoint between Jupiter and Uranus, all right? Jupiter will be at 15, Uranus will be at 23, so the midpoint of that is 19 Taurus, and the midpoint between Mercury and Mars is about 19 Virgo. So, with 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 speech and self-assertion in combination, there Mercury and, and Mars at the individual level, and you know, then at the solar system level of whatever divine will has in store for us and I have no clue at this time that'll uh, give us a feeling of uh, you know maybe a little more maybe we'll find out a little bit a little bit more through the week um, especially in now Congress Congress took August off so they're not able to to do any more mischief because they're out of out of uh, session there. So that that's and a good thing. Home districts. Well, sure, they all have telephones and can still talk to each other and make their evil plans. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, my friends, that's all I've got for tonight. It's ten o'clock Eastern. You have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. Until you, till we meet again, Richard. Have a great week, you too. All right, love you all. Bye bye. Bye bye. Namaste. Namaste. All right, we're going to the conference call, right, Grandma? Yeah. What's the number? Uh, seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three. Eight six three pound. Wow. Mm. Um, it's my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. All day, all night, Marianne. I keep on thinking this date is eight five forty seven. That's the year I was born, and I have to forget, and I have to remind myself it's eight five twenty three. Right. Which is a 76-year period between those two dates. Yeah. And Tanya Gabrielle's talked about that number six. Fifteen. Five plus one is six. Yeah, August. And she talked about the seven in the date of the year 2023, which is for inspiration and research. Wow. 
and she, and she talked about the number 15 breaking down to the number 6, which the meaning of that is love. And we also know the 6th ray, it's Lady Masternatus on the 6th ray, and Ruby Magenta Ray, and that's love too. Divine Feminine, we were listening to the crystal story. Double terminated crystals are divine feminine. Mm-hmm. And love is allowed to throw, flow through them because they're double terminated. In and through and out. And in and through and out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kay Potchett suggested healthy nutrients and being in service which is what the 15 talks about. And um, August 15, what's that? Our Lady? It's the Assumption. It's not the Ascension, it's the Assumption, the 15 of August. That's what that is. Oh, that's the Ascension of the Divine Feminine. Taking the front, taking the lead. How can I be of service? Mm. How can I help you? How can I help you? All right, we got to go to the conference call. All right, everybody. Rama gave that. You want to give it one more last time, Rama? 720-716-7301. So we'll see you there, everybody. And then we'll be right back here at the best radio in the universe, BBS Radio Station 2 on Saturdays at the top of the next hour. See you on the conference for now. Thank you. Aloha. Namaste. See you there. Om Tara, Om Tare, Om Tu Tare Soha. The green Tara mm. is alive and well and of the living. Mm. Um, what an amazing, uh, what an amazing uh, day. I am so honored to be here with everyone and listening to these wonderful things. We tell stories to each other on the conference call, everybody. Good stories. Really good stories. And thank you, Greg Braden. That was a masterpiece that you did with us today. And I guess we're going to go to uh, the pink and gray Ascension Pass. Is that where we're going next, Rama? Oh, okay. Okay. So this is called, What is the Difference Between Pink and Gray Ascension? Mm. Exploring Gnostic Perspectives. 
on organic evolution versus artificial intelligence. Oh boy, we got our dose of discussing mm-hmm. that today. And technological hybridizations. Mm. Author and investigative mythologist, our good friend William Henry is on this, on this uh, talk today here, rejoins mm. Regina Meredith. That's going to be quite a story. To discuss the future of humanity and the different potential paths ahead of us. Learn different perspectives on perfected humans, quote unquote, <sighs> from divine angelic hybrids to how our rapidly unfolding advances in technology are changing our reality. Discover how we can transcend existential threats to humanity and achieve organic evolution despite living through what feels like science fiction and what was prophesied in the book of Revelations. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we'll hear something here. Mm -hmm. There's the wonderful William Henry looking bright and bushy-tailed, bright-eyed and Mm bushy-tailed. All right, this is 39 minutes, so let's get started, everyone. Has the human race been hijacked by an alien species? I mean, that is a really legitimate question. It was always the intention of our spiritual forebears that we would develop ourselves organically and evolve into a human-angelic hybrid. These reports, that Department of Commerce report, a NASA report, make it absolutely clear that this is a planned transformation of the human species. Five years ago, I wouldn't have been talking about demons. Oh, they'll admit they're there and they are affecting us and influencing us. Without a doubt. That's the predicament all of us are. We have an awakening experience, be it some health issue, career issue, family, whatever. Suddenly now we're in it and we need to know what is possible and what we can ultimately achieve. We're being told to sit down and shut up, that we're the problem. And we're not the problem. We're part of the solution. According to William Henry, we're at a choice point as to what kind of ascension humanity will be making, pink or gray. What I mean by this is that humankind can evolve organically as we have throughout millennia, or we can have the heavy hand of AI evolve us into something entirely different. We need to know what's at stake. William, welcome back. It's so good to see you again. So good to see you, Regina. Thank you for having me. You never change, and you're always just everybody. You're just a wonderful sparkle in the studio. Thank you. Thank you. So this time we're going to talk about a little bit of heavy stuff along with ascension, Mm -hmm. because we have something that could certainly thwart that for a good percentage of the population. Mm -hmm. And you know, with some people's views on it, all of humanity ultimately is going to make it. Right. And including yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the spoiler alert. Exactly. However. It can be easier or much more difficult and much longer, depending on the path. Exactly. What's a great movie without a great villain, right? And we've got a great villain on the planet with us right now, living in our homes, taking our children away from us, taking our humanity away from us. And people are like going, oh, but oh, it, it, it does everything for me. Exactly. It's a convenience. It's an addiction. Mm-hmm. 
it has changed the way our youth's brains are developing. Yes. And, uh, you know, I talked to Sheila Gillette and the Theo group about this and because you, I was talking to them in this way mm-hmm. and they said, well, you just have to understand kind of looking at the meta view from wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bad. However, this is what happens where the pendulum has to hit it, knock it one way before it can go back the other. It's how far, how much further can the pendulum go? Yeah, exactly. And so you're, and that's what you're looking into. So let's first talk about what the potential is. We're looking at the potential of an ascended consciousness for all of humanity to keep step with Mother Earth. Yes, exactly. This was always the intention of our spiritual forebears that we would develop ourselves organically and evolve into a human angelic hybrid. Yes. That, that was the goal, a perfected humanity that you referred to. And perfect means to be more whole, more holy, more complete, and more compassionate. And then what happened in the middle of the 20th century is that the technology people got a hold of this and said, oh, no, uh, a perfect human is one who's packed full of nanotechnology. And, and never dies. And never dies and, and is linked up to everybody else and has no free will and has... Superhuman strength. Superhuman strength, all of that. And it's like... This is Satan taking Jesus up to the top of the pinnacle of Solomon's temple and saying, all this can be yours. Just give us your soul. And you say, "Mm, no, I don't think so. Exactly. And this isn't hyperbole. No, it's not. Because we recognize through through the the statements of the developers of artificial intelligence and all of this technology that they they themselves refer to it as demonic, as alien, as non-human. And it is, in fact, anti-human. It's anti-human. It's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. It's this is what we're seeing in our society now is this sort of lawlessness, lawlessness taken over where humans do not matter anymore in, in this context. No, and we're up to such a breakdown in all spiritual paths mm-hmm. that the mental uh, illness that has taken over, mm-hmm. um, some by design, some organically. Right. Um, we're seeing what a mass shooting almost every day now, mm-hmm. which we predicted a few years ago sure. it was going to go that way, mm-hmm. and it, it's not stopping. Right, right now it's not stopping. But all of us are participants too. We're not yeah. bystanders. In, yeah, or bystanders in this. We're we're actively participating with every click, every time we use the phone, every time we're using Absolutely. the computer. We're we're building this intelligence that is ultimately not for our benefit, and so that puts the power back into a hand of the users who are able to say, well, maybe I can limit what I'm doing or I can press these companies to be regulated. This is before Congress today, where one of these shills for AI is before Congress saying, oh, yeah, well, man, my product is dangerous and it's unpredictable and I don't know what it's all is harmful. But well, a lot of the developers have come out and said that they have. Yeah. Yes, they have. They're like rats fleeing a ship. Right. They're, they're, they've grown a conscience. They, they're all now watching Netflix, sitting at home in the country. A Social Dilemma was a good documentary indicating how they use our algorithms and the way they suck people in unnaturally. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, this is if you had told us that there was going to be a predator coming on the planet, you couldn't have picked a better predator. And that, that's what we've got here. And humanity has not had a predator for, say, 10,000 years or more apart from ourselves. But now we do. And we have to we have to recognize that and treat it as a as a predator. So I'm going to read this here. Um, a report from U.S. National Science Foundation Commerce Department, Science Foundation slash Commerce Department. Mm-hmm. So when I read that, first of all, it's like, what? Right. <laughs> um, it's essentially saying that what's happening is they're merging bits, mm-hmm. right? Computers yep. 
Yes. Atoms, yeah. nanotechnology, yes. neurons, neuroscience, mm-hmm. and genes, DNA, into one seamless tech spoken of as a utopian new golden era. Yes. So expand on this for yes. us and what's really going down in the field of science, right. which obviously is for commercial development. Oh, absolutely. It's all for gain yeah, yeah, by and, a handful. Yes. And that report was from 2002. That was the U.S. Department of Commerce gathering all the big tech players together that were in existence then saying, we want all of you to merge your technologies into one technology aimed at the human body to to introduce a new species of machine intelligence to create wealth beyond imagination and a new golden age. That's their terminology. Uh, wait, wait, wealth for whom? Yeah, wealth for whom? Exactly. This is not going to be for everybody. The, the majority of people will lose their job. And this will happen in the next few years. And you will then be given your minimal sustenance from the government. They'll take your cash away. Of course, we already know that's coming. And then they're going to just say, you, 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 you deserved, based on our social credit system we're implementing, you deserve this standard of living and that's it. And there will be no more of what we know of as capitalism and it'll be pure communism, uh, planet, planet. Yes. So give us some ideas now. I mean, I think all of us can probably draw a few examples to mind of how those technologies they spoke about in 2002 mm-hmm. are actually playing out in the world of science and human enhancement. Right. The idea is, is that they don't even have to put implants on us anymore. They can do it from a distance. These algorithms are controlling us already. They know us better than we know ourselves. So it's a it's an invisible form of manipulation as well as the the overt form of manipulation. And what concerns me most is that these reports, that Department of Commerce report, a NASA report that was two years older than that, said exactly the same thing, make it absolutely clear that this is a planned transformation of the human species driven by the U.S. military. And the question is, well, why is the military driving this? And who are they actually answering to? Who are they to? serving? Well, I mean, has the human race been hijacked by an alien species? I mean, that is a really legitimate question. And um, something people often ask me was, if you had a chance to meet an, an extraterrestrial, an alien, what, would, what question would you ask them first? And one would be, are you AI? And if not, how did you transcend AI? Because everyone from Stephen Hawking on down has been telling us this is the foremost existential threat to humanity, and it it might not even be earthly. So we all have to recognize this side of it, that this is... This is not sci-fi. This is not sci-fi. This is the book of Revelation. That's what I believe. Absolutely. Without a doubt. This is the dragon. This is the mark of the beast. This is the image of the beast technology. And the time of Revelation to reveal. Exactly. And that's the beauty of it. It is the time to reveal, and we have the very mechanisms that can ensnare us into that, you know, world are the ones that can also distribute information like we're doing right now that humanity needs. It's, you know, you obviously have a double-edged sword there. Yeah, we do. But it takes discernment. It it truly does. And discipline. And a recognition that we have a spiritual ability within us to combat this, that we can raise our ascension intelligence, become more like the angels and transcend artificial intelligence and that's where that's the challenge right now and that is the promise of the book of revelation is that there's a small number of people they're referred to as the 144,000 who don't take the mark of the beast and don't worship the image of the beast that defeat that beast so on behalf of all on behalf of all right exactly and it doesn't mean the rest of us need to go to sleep or not do our part we all have to feel fuel that field of consciousness Mm -hmm. that is organic and has it's almost like when you glimpse into it and in my hermetic studies 
um, the fourth realm or the Elysian fields. Mm-hmm. When you look at that, it is the perfected template of Earth where right. we we appear to be like human hybrid angels yes. where the emotions have been soothed and calmed and are used in a proper way right. instead of manipulated yeah. like they are now. And just one uh, first answer that or comment to that, the whole okay. thing about how emotions are running on this planet and manipulated. Then I'm going to go into another little piece. We're just going to go for it here. Right. <laughs> There's so much. Well, I mean, that's what the news is, right? It's just emotional manipulation. It's it's not present a presentation of facts. It's just simply manipulating people based on beliefs and their social bubble that we talked about a moment ago. Right. And that's um, very juicy and, and addictive for people yes, to reinforce mm-hmm. these neural networks and and literally create a stronger and stronger impression where we're less flexible, less mm-hmm. open. We become more siloed and rigid. Right. The more we repeat reinforcing these same messages to ourselves or listen to others reinforce it, I don't think most people really understand the danger of listening to the same talk show hosts spouting the same garbage. I don't care what side you're on. Exactly. Over and over. Right. Yeah. What happens when we become inflexible and brittle? Yeah, precisely. Precisely. And so it's up to the individual then, as you said a moment ago, discernment, education, understanding the the power of this moment, stepping into it and stepping up. Yes. So when you're talking about um, some of the technology is very sexy. Yes, it is. I mean, when someone can say, hey, we've sent a man- nanobot in there and repair this damage to the heart. Who's going to say no? Right. Right. Well, who's going to say yes to you being able to do that is it would be my my question yeah, because it's yeah. not a free lunch okay none of this exactly. is a free lunch all you have to do Talk is give over your, a little bit all you have to do is give over your free will your your con your ability to consciously decide for yourself and participate in a social credit system something like facebook has designed and implemented for china is already in place here and so tell us about that how has that rolled out in china and other places where if you want these privileged new technologies that will help you preserve your lifespan and potentially the quality of your life as well what do you have to buy into is it where has it been enacted well it's china i mean it's more fundamental than things like immortality and life extension and those sorts of things it's your basic fundamentals of life that are challenged by this system and this is where what we're stepping into right now and recognizing that hey if if you're not with us you're against us that's that's their position their position they're making it very clear so you're in the these two evidently are not aware of what china has done by signing a peace agreement with cash this is old story Yet we'll listen with discernment and we'll clear the path while we do. How's that, everybody? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't really taken effect seemingly to the same extent mm-hmm. it has in some other places. Mm-hmm. You can still make your own decision as to how you're going to proceed, who you want to do your banking with, whether you want to invest, and we'll get into that in a moment, right. or not, or whether you want to put your money in a tin can in the backyard. Right. We still have all those options here because... Money's still being printed. Yeah. We don't have to have chips in our arms. Right. Yet. Yeah. But it's, the options are not going like this. The options are going like this. Talk it's, about what that looks like. I mean, what it looks like ultimately is the individual relinquishing all their power just to stay alive. And that is, that's a frightening prospect. And we don't, that's not what our government was created to do. And so that means that our government is really not our government. It's serving something or somebody else. 
Yes. We'll go back to John Warner's statement yeah, there. Right, right. <laughs> what it's serving, which is very interesting because I deal with a lot of channelers you mm-hmm. know, on my show, and I have my own beings, and it's been fascinating to me. One common thread, mm-hmm. doesn't matter who they are, mm-hmm. including mine, when I say who is doing this and why, mm-hmm. they're like, almost like, maybe best you don't know quite yet. <laughs> and they won't talk about the nature of the beings. No one's channels will talk about the nature of the beings. Hmm. And partly I've come to understand they don't want our attention focused that way on them. Hmm. They want it focused on what we can do in our personal lives to claim our sovereignty and organic nature. Right. But they don't want us focusing on what they are. Hmm. And I've always thought, why won't you just tell us? Right. And I can't get any of them to. Uh-huh. And it's not because there's no evil agenda with them that I can see. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I didn't used to really, like five years ago, I wouldn't have been talking about demons and that sort of thing. Oh, they'll admit they're there and they are affecting us and influencing Without us. Without a doubt. Yeah. And I started paying attention to it, just listening, as we said a moment ago, to some of these AI technologists from Elon Musk and Jordy Rose, who builds the quantum computers, they're the ones that were saying this is what this is. Oh, Elon Musk has come out slamming it. He's talking about the potential dangers of what he created. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, they all are. Yeah. And so that means we need a map to navigate through what is transpiring. And that's when I started really looking more heavily at the book of Revelation as the guidebook for for what is going on here. Because why is it? I, I mean... I remember a few years ago, uh, there was a Chinese economist who was talking to, to uh, a group of Chinese people. This was before the election in 2020. And he said, oh, we don't, we're not worried about the election in 2020. We've got old friends in Washington. And I thought, what do you mean old friends? You used to smoke pot together in college? Or do you mean like old, old friends, friends, like cosmic right. sort of friends? And you all are, it doesn't matter if you're, Mark Zuckerberg growing up in in wherever he grew up in America or you're some Chinese communist, you all subscribe ultimately to a an, an, another entity. Yeah. And I started to just see it that way. And it was kind of revolting at first to think, well, wait a minute, is this really true? And then it was quite ultimately revelatory because it gave me a, a pathway through it and, and a recognition that in 2020, hey, we might want to you know, pay attention here. There could be something coming along the pike here that might look like the image of the beast or the mark of the beast. And some people would argue that that was a, what we saw in, in 2020 as a march up to that, oh, yeah. a preamble, yep. if not the real thing. It started. Yep. And so that means, well, okay, if it started, we really want to pay attention here. And so then you ultimately have to decide, how am I going to navigate this? And this is where the organic ascension teachings come in because they they speak of the 144,000 in the book of Revelation that activate what they refer to as the seal of God. This is, I think, the light body activation. This is awakening the organic potential of the pineal gland, release of secretions that transmute our body, that boost our immune system, that ultimately put uh, our spiritual capacity within our within our hands and our ability to manipulate What's going on out here? This is like the perennial kind of question for humanity. Do we use technology or we don't? And I'm not saying we don't use technology at all. We're using it right now. That's why everybody's watching us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there's many benefits to AI, of course, medical research, all kinds of things like that. But this is the ultimate. uh, This goes back to Book of Genesis. You have Cain and Abel, first two children of Adam and Eve in the story. And then... Cain, after murdering Abel, is sent off to the land of Nod, which we don't know where that is exactly, but it's a this nebulous kind of a place. 
But what he does is he he starts using technology. He starts building cities. He starts implementing weights and measures. And his family becomes known as smiths and, and uh, developers of technology. And I look at that story and I think, well, that's, that's that is kind of the perennial conflict, isn't it? Whether to use the technology or not. And very clearly in the book of Genesis, the commentary is saying, if you're using technology, there's a bifurcation that's going to take place. And you all can go off to the land of Nod and do this yourself. So Elon and all those guys, go to Mars. Mm-hmm. Turn it into an AI planet. Mm-hmm. Turn yourselves and your children into AI. Leave ours alone. Yeah. Okay? Because right now all they're doing is saying, you sacrifice your children on the altar of our technology. We're not letting our kids anywhere near this. So that the hypocrisy is It's just true, astounding. but something is occurring to me when you say this, mm-hmm. and that is since human beings came to be the wonderful, weird, hybrid species we are right, <laughs> that's right. on a trajectory of learning and experience, yeah. you know, we're still in school, um, there's one thing that's been consistent. Mm-hmm. We have always wanted to push it further. Yeah. We have wanted to gauge our, engage our intellect. Right. And technology, even the early technologies, weights and measures, gave form and structure, structure right. for the development of the intellect True. and to navigate the physical reality. Mm-hmm. So it's within humans to push those barriers no matter what. Right, right. I agree. I agree. And just to put the other shoe on that, uh, I, I like the Mormon belief about uh, Enoch, too, because uh, the, the first city that was built by the descendants yes. of Cain was called yes. Enoch. But then there's another line of Enoch, and this is the Enoch who ascended and used all his organic abilities and worked with the angels and was supposed to yes. have created a whole city yes. that ultimately ascended. As and opposed be coming to Unlil. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to Unlil. Yeah, yes, exactly. And so there's this idea that, okay, we're going to start seeing the appearance of those guys, the good guys that previously ascended long ago will be returning at this time. Uh, I believe they have. They could well do. They're speaking all the time. Mm -hmm. That that impulse that we're getting where I don't know about people watching this or Mm -hmm. you, but do you are you going through the day sometimes and it's like there's a blast of light, almost like a feeling almost like a utopian blissful feeling out of nowhere that is just this beautiful reality. Mm-hmm. It just flashes in and it's like, oh my gosh. And then it goes away. Right. It's just bleed. It's like a bleed through of this mm-hmm. fourth realm. Yeah. Or other realm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, I think too about the rise of psilocybin, for example, yeah. in our world yeah. uh, as a way of opening up the heart. Yes. And suddenly it's being descheduled. It's being legalized in various cities around the right. U.S. right now and will be descheduled by the federal government. This could be one of these wild card sort of things that's coming it could on be, the scene. But you don't think it's on the tail of the whole LSD movement originally with the intelligence communities? Well, here again. Uh, is it? Is it not? Psilocybin <laughs> is natural. It's yeah. organic. You can find it in a mushroom underneath the pine tree or you can manufacture it synthetically. Exactly. And so I'm wondering, do you think that, though, is truly a more organic movement for, to allow people to start expressing the feelings that have been suppressed by society at large? Yes. And ultimately what it does is it releases you from old brain patterns, too. That's what John oh, I did Hopkins. it a couple times and ended up frozen in space because my <laughs> knees wouldn't work. But I'm like <laughs> I'm practically shouting, I, I love you to every passerby. <laughs> right. I mean, that is a a hopeful scenario. Yeah. Millions of people will begin using this or activating latent spiritual abilities and will wash the planet with compassion. And that 
will have a, 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 an effect like we can't even comprehend. That's another yes. scenario. And that there, it's even made its way into some of the braver television programming mm-hmm. where the main characters are microdosing right. to good effect. Yeah. You know, which is, when I saw that, I thought, who let that in? <laughs> How did that get through right. the analysis, you know, and not have a line through it, right? Right. And, but it's starting to be shown mm-hmm. as acceptable among professional, intelligent people, totally. you know? Totally. So, and you've, you've tried it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely astounding. Yeah. And, I'm looking for ways, uh, I've had a feeling recently like a, like a dolphin in an aquarium at a, you know, some sort of a museum or whatever yeah. and bumping up against the glass trying to get out yeah. and expand. And that's my motivation. Yeah. As well as to open the heart. And, yeah. uh, because that is the order of the day right now. That is, that is w- within the capacity of all of us is to yeah. become more compassionate, more loving and accepting. But this world, and you say archons attached to it, mm-hmm. whoever they may be, whatever right. form they're in, wherever mm-hmm. they came from, whatever dimension, and I want to talk about that, yeah. they're from, mm-hmm. have every vested interest to see that we don't find our way out of the aquarium. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's reflected in everything being offered and served up to us. Mm-hmm. Not everything, but a lot right. that's being served up in the media that uh, that appeals to the lower nature. Now, what's interesting to me is the dimensional aspect of this. Okay. If we're talking about the fourth realm, mm-hmm. the higher realm in hermetic terms, which is where we're expanding into after the earth experience for humans, uh, where we move into, um, you have foregoers who are prepping the way and coming back and, you know, holding hands for others to pass over now. Right. These other beings are at play here. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about how you see the dimensional fold of this? Well, I mean, from the, the Gnostic perspective, they always, we, you mentioned the archons a moment ago. They're, they're always the nemesis that are trying to take over our humanity. They don't have souls. They want ours. And that's the, the ultimate playbook that's not that different. Not that different. Yeah. Right. And the answer to the archons is to put on your full armor of God, your crown of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, your belt of truth, your sandals of peace, and let your faith be your shield. Those can't be exterior augmentations uh, because when Paul, the Apostle Paul, for example, is stating that we're in a cosmic battle against these archons and yes. that is the remedy, he's writing to the first Christian community and they, they couldn't have hiked it down to Nordstrom to get the latest Chanel belt and Gucci shoes. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. These must be symbols that he's speaking of to activate our consciousness, open our hearts, speak truth, walk in peace and to raise our, our Kundalini, ultimately the Holy Spirit within so that is saying that we're all capable of suiting up here and, and transcending and defeating these lower entities. And in so doing, we become higher beings ourselves. Rudolf Steiner, same thing. Okay. Armand and the other forces. Oh, right. right. Rudolf Steiner mm-hmm. um, writes volumes about this as well mm-hmm. in his beautiful work. So then this comes into another question. I remember once a few decades ago, my guide said, Unfortunately, humans have not gotten to the point where they learn the larger lessons through pleasure. They mm. learn through pain mm. and yeah. pressure. Right. <laughs> okay. I don't think we can argue right. with that. No. Okay. So that's where we are. Yeah. They weren't being judgmental. Right. And so it begs the question when you're talking about these other forces, mm-hmm. just like Lucifer. Right. Fallen angel, right? Yeah. Do you think there's some kind of larger agreement that someone plays that role? Sure. Opposite 
the role, the op, uh, the opposite role of creation, sure. creator. Yeah. So that all beings within the universes have the opportunity to be put under some kind of pressure to see what we grow into. Yeah, I think that I, I really like that idea a lot um, because we do need that that challenger, the oppressor. These are terms the the uh, the advocate. These are these are all terms for Lucifer or Satan. That's that's the function of that office. I mean, advocate means lawyer, <laughs> right? <laughs> In French. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's very curious that those are the titles or roles that are played by this figure. To I don't sorry, any lawyers. I don't mean to. Yeah, right. You're not all Satan, <laughs> but to to prompt humanity to, to to move and to shift. That is kind of the ultimate benevolent aspect of what is. So in a sense, there's balance and order. Even in the ugliest. I think so. That's expressing itself here. Yes. And there's a natural order in the lower realms trying to reach in and feed, get what they can, learn what they can, ultimately maybe try to leap up to a rung. Right. There's order in that. There's order in the angelic realms reaching into us and saying, here's the hand. Right. I want to help you out. Dream of me and I'll help you. Yeah, exactly. But we still have to go through but it. we have to go through it. Mm-hmm. And one thing I'm seeing, and that's where I really am wondering about this second realm intervention, archonic intervention, whatever, you, whichever, mm-hmm. whatever, it might all go together, yeah. is the amount of psychosis, narcissism, meanness, and lack of care right. that is expressing itself on the planet. I right. mean, our grandmothers and fathers would be horrified, and they didn't have an easy life. There was a lot of spousal abuse and all that. Sure. But... The general mm-hmm. way in which we treated each other was yeah. more civilized. Yeah, and this is, I think, attributed to AI and the in the dehumanization that you're just you're you're not really a human being. You're mm-hmm. you're just another part of this AI machine now. And as, as AI rises, so does this nar- narcissism and all of those attributes that you just described. I mean, there's a one to one correlation in my mind that you can just witness for yourself. It's, this yeah. is this is happening. It's happening in families everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, because all like, your kids well, are doing this. Yeah, you know? exactly. So you, you also wrote that for transhumanists, the soul is nothing more than an algorithm. Right. And transhumanists, generally speaking, are sectarian. They do not have spiritual practice. No. They're terrified of dying because once the body disintegrates, you end. Exactly. There is no for them in their own beliefs. There's no soul. So now they've put it out as a philosophy that we're nothing more than an algorithm. That's it. They had to redefine the definition of the word soul. And to just information, data, you're just matter. And darling, you don't. That's that's the fact of the matter from their perspective. You're just information. It doesn't matter if you're in this container or if you put you in a container like this. It's still you. In fact, you, your soul, just all those photos, all those phone calls we've recorded, all those uh, cameras that we, you know, all the video we've we taken. We can recreate you. We can recreate you and it's still you. That is your soul. So that information is your soul. That's their argument. And they had to make that argument. Because well, of course they, they have to because they don't believe in the soul. Precisely. When they don't you, believe in God. You go, yeah, you go back into the transhumanist movement and look at the players. These yeah. are not religious people. They are not. They're not spiritual people. Not at all. So here we are now we're with this big mess that our kids and our grandkids and ourselves are having to contend with. So let's look at now the reverse of that, the various okay. things that we can do for it. We've already talked about reclaiming yourself and using technology in a very discerning way. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're going to choose a show, choose a show with heart. Right. Right. And if you're going to use your computer, make sure you're using it for, you know, specific purposes, not just wandering around aimlessly and sucking up time. I mean, right. these are all things within our control. But 
we have another problem, and that is kids mm-hmm. and parents have become increasingly fearful of their own children in terms of exerting any kind of, I don't even want to use the word discipline, guidance. Just saying, hey, no, right. hey, no, you can't do that all day. Yeah. No. And then the other side of that, too, is the argument I hear is that, oh, these kids are different and they've come in for this. And so they're better equipped to handle it. I, I don't want to wait around and, and see what happens in 20 years. When no, no we still, up. we have. To. I mean, it has to be done now. Yes. And this is the time where the intervention, if there's going to be one, has to happen within the next one to three years maximum, maybe even less than that. Because all, everything I've been reading says 2030 is their ultimate target date for this transformation. And that, that puts us in this window right now where we have an opportunity to, to intervene and yeah, because that no, these numbers, the years that I've heard from all the people I interview, right? They're all getting their downloads. Yeah, 2026, 2027, and mm-hmm. 2030. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. Mm-hmm. Humanity is essentially changing. Right. You know, you can only like you know, bite your fingernails and hope that that message meant we turn the corner together. Right. right. Yeah. And because again, when you listen to the technology people, they don't talk in terms of casualties, but there will be. This is the really the grave concern. No, I mean, pun intended. Seriously, it's like, okay, this is deadly serious stuff here. We're not just talking about, oh, maybe this might not be good. This is a war. Okay. This is a war that we're all involved in here. And when we start to look at it, look at it from that perspective, we gain a lot Go of Go into your light suit. You don't need to focus on whatever that is. You need right. to focus on what you are. Exactly. You use the example of an acorn. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us that? This is such a beautiful analogy that the acorn, the tiny seed that has within its uh, within its coating a, a massive oak tree that's capable of then dropping more acorns and this process of, of, tra- of cyclical change and growth just perpetuates itself. And that's what we are essentially are these acorns that have been dropped into this world. Yet we, yeah, we might be considered fallen beings, but we fell into this soil here in order to manifest the oak tree. And then the, that oak then becomes our vehicle of, of ascension into the higher realms. So if we start to think about ourselves in that way. There's little tr- acorns. We just need a little sunshine and love. Exactly. Exactly. And a vision mm-hmm. of what and is water. possible. Yeah. And water. <laughs> and a vision for what is possible yeah. for us. And that's Absolutely. what I've always tried to provide for people in my work, the art of living ascension, looking at artwork. Of I was just going to bring beings. that up. Let's talk about the things that you really prize mm-hmm. that raise our frequencies. Yeah. Into, into more light. Right. Well, I mean, apart from what you think and apart from what you put in your mouth, there are things that you're, where you're directing your focus and your attention. That is, that is your ultimate, ultimate tool is where are you putting your intention? Where are you putting your attention? What are you feeding? And that, that is the, within control of all of us. And what many of us need is a sense of what is possible for me. I mean, we don't grow up being taught that we're, of these transformational beings that we have encoded within our DNA, these wonderful abilities. And if we start when we're five, by the time we're 25, we can start to more fully awaken them. But just imagine if we could do that. That's the predicament all of us are. We have an awakening experience, be it some health issue, career issue, family, whatever. Suddenly now we're in it and we need to know what is possible and what we can ultimately achieve. And we need to start inculcating that into the younger generation. Yes, by simple little joyful practices that we can give them. Right. Just even looking for the most beautiful thing they can see in the room. Or when you're on a trip, you know, tell us when you see something beautiful, you know, (laughs) shout it out. But 
ordering toward beauty, which is higher frequency, mm-hmm. right? And what, even if, if it's music, for example, if mm-hmm. it's artwork, mm-hmm. um, even if it's a thought or something someone said, and starting to instill in them a, kind of a, a fascination with or desire for these things of beauty, these elements of beauty. Right, right. Just it's so voice. simple. Yeah. Watch our voice and right. use our voice kindly toward others. Right. Not in a shrill, ugly, shouting kind of way. And finally, you're really interested now. And let's just for a moment talk about Samson. Uh-huh. And let's talk about you're interested uh-huh. now and you're going to start working with men to yeah. start dealing with any of the remaining toxic patriarchal values and vibrations inside. Yeah. Like a, last year, I came out upon the story of Samson. I'd never really heard it before that. Uh, an angel, a being of light, came to his mother and said, you will give birth to this child, even though she's barren. And it's Samson. Familiar he's, story. Yeah. Leader of the Israelites. He's a Nazarite and his power is supposed to be in his hair. And he's a strong man. He kills a lion with his bare hands. And I just started finding numerous examples of that archetype uh, from Ashurbanipal to even Jesus is associated yes. with the lion. Why is that? What is that connection with lion people? And I'm giving a talk here at Gaia on, on the lion people. And I realized that there's this kind of suppressed, not divine masculine, but enlightened masculine. I mean, a white American male talking, people want to talk, they don't want to hear from me anymore. Right. I'm, I'm toxic, right? Yeah. But within me is still this enlightened part of myself. And it's like, I want to draw that out of myself. And I want to help other men to draw it out, too, because we're being told to sit down and shut up, that we're the problem. And we're not part. We're not the problem. We're part of the solution. And we have to rise ourselves in our own frequency and tap into these higher archetypes, be it the Christ consciousness or Samson, some of these Hercules, uh, Vajrapani, the the companion of the Buddha, is one of these figures. And there's a, a whole just treasure trove there waiting to be tapped into that will, I think, really awaken a different kind of masculinity. I think so. But as always, there's the pendulum Mm -hmm. and the oppressed usually have to have their say in their day. And so here we are. The white men have been ruling the joint for a long time. Right. Globally. Yeah. So uh, now the others, all of the rest of us, women, all the people with lower serotonin rates, (laughs) let's just say that. Right. Um, oftentimes can overreact. I mean, we do. That's that's natural in the pendulum. Totally. So we've got to give ourselves patience mm-hmm. and compassion and grace. Right. Let people have their say. Let it go further the other way. Right. But if you're one of the people who can stay sane during all of this mm-hmm. and have true grace and compassion, then we can look at the beauty that's in these white males right. still <laughs> that still have something to contribute and then they they're not all condemned to go to hell. Right. 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 <laughs> so I think it's very important to acknowledge the acknowledge that journey that that women and people of color have had to take Without alongside not just trashing all the men of the planet because they don't all deserve it. Absolutely. And a corollary for for me to that is the rise of the interest in Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The resurgence of that. I was writing yeah. about Mary Magdalene 20 years ago with Sir Lawrence Gardner yes. and looking at it. Now, all of a sudden, it's come back around and it's so exciting because I see her Magdalene as a as a true like beacon, as a as, you know, a true awakening force. And the Templars were devoted to her. Many yes. were devoted 
to Mary Magdalene right. more so than Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, yeah, and I've always thought of Jesus as her daredevil test pilot. Yeah, so, kind um, of, yeah, I they mean, were well-matched. Well-matched, exactly, <laughs> right. That's interesting, and maybe some other time we'll also talk about some of what you and Sir Lawrence Gardner were up to in the day. He yeah, was, was such a wonderful man. Oh, he was. I only I had dinner with him once, wonderful man. Really miss him. Yeah, so yeah. we'll find out what that was all about, because okay. I think he had access to documents and vaults. He definitely things. did. Houses, manor houses in England that are stuffed with stuff. Okay, we'll have another conversation (laughs) another day. William, it's always an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. So wonderful, so inspiring, fun, scary, all at the same time. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for holding our hand through all this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The title of the book is Ascension, Divine Stories of Awakening the Whole and Holy Being Within. You can also take a deeper dive into the nuances of and threats to our ascension by going to William Henry. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. My goodness. This is the change in the frequencies. Everybody's getting some really bright ideas here. (laughs) You don't have to make a bad guy out of everybody. There are solutions, and we are all in this together. There is only one of us here. Oh, my goodness. All right. Now we're going to take a look at George Nury. This is called Struck by Genius, Fractal Vision. I've got to get there. Now, I know. I'll read this while you look. <gasps> Whoops. <laughs> Excuse me. We're having pie, everybody, to celebrate this birthday time here. <clears throat> and uh, I hope you're enjoying, continuing to enjoy everything you possibly can, Rainbow, before you got to take a little mm. nap before you do the next thing, old dark 30 in the morning. All right. Can brain trauma lead to improvements? In cognitive function. Oh my. Artist and number theorist. Jason Padgett. Gained gained acquired savant syndrome. At age 32. After surviving a horrible attack. And now he's able to visualize mathematics in a way few can. Padgett, P-A-D-G-E-T-T, or Padgett, shares his journey from a man uninterested in math to his current life as a savant undergoing medical testing and brain scans sought after by scientists for his unique genius. His story sheds light on the innate potentials of our brains and the mysteries connecting consciousness and physics. Paget or Paget is also joined by Dr. Dahl, who has been researching savant syndrome and synesthesia for decades alongside late legendary Dr. Treffert 
who was a consultant for the Hollywood film Rain Man, i.e. Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. (laughs) I saw that uh, in the Near North Side Theater in Chicago. And it was the first time he came to the city, and boy, oh boy. Mm. And they had something called deep dish pizza right across the street. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh my. All right, so let me let that story go, and let's see what this story has to say. This is 45 minutes, everyone. I'm sure this is going to be very, very informative. Interesting. It's 10.15. Here we go. Welcome to Beyond Belief. We have an amazing program for you tonight. Jason Padgett with us, a number theorist with acquired savant syndrome. A traumatic brain injury changed his life forever and made him a mathematical genius. Some people would consider it that, but for me, it's more, it just makes the mathematics behind motion and behind equations much more easy to see. Prior to this injury, which we'll get into in a second, Jason, you weren't that good with math? No, I had basically a pre-algebra. Um, I thought math was stupid. I would literally say things like, uh, how, when are you going to use that in the real world? Well, after the injury, how did you know that your mathematical skills had changed for the better? So the very first thing that I noticed is that when things moved, instead of looking smooth and continuous, they were discrete and chunky. So a good way to think about it is like when you're when you're making a film, you're taking individual picture frames and then you're running them fat quickly and it makes it look like motion. Well, we construct a picture the same way with our brains and it looks smooth because one part of your brain, its function is to smooth out the picture frames so that they don't look jittery. And that part of my brain was affected. And so when things move now, I see the picture frames. But when you get into physics and mathematics, you're literally just looking at different time units and getting those units closer together to get a better approximation of what's occurring in reality. So we're all doing calculus and physics in the background. We're just not aware of it. Jason, explain to us what savant syndrome is. So savant syndrome is uh, many times it's, it's people who excel in one specific area or a tiny slice of an area and everything else is either average or, or below average. And for me, um, it's, it's mathematical skills, specifically the geometry of math. So when those skills aren't up to par, what's causing that? I mean, each person has gifts uh, in different areas, you know, depending on what part of your brain has more connections and where those connections, you know, are, are hooked to. Uh, makes each person's individual brain, you know, unique. Synesthesia, what is that? Synesthesia is a blending of the senses, like smelling a color. People, somebody will say that smells like blue. The part of the brain that that is analyzing smell is somehow wired right. to the part of the, of the brain that analyzes or sight. Taste red or, or something. Exactly, like exactly. This brain injury you had. How old were you, and what happened? I was 32, um, and I had some friends of mine had had a few drinks at a bar, and it was a karaoke bar. And they called me and, and asked if I could give them a ride home. So I went there, had a Coke, sang a song. As we left, these two guys attacked me from behind. They, they had been singing. For no reason? 
It turned out they wanted my jacket. At the time, we didn't know. They wanted your jacket? Yeah. I had a, I had like a $99 Wilson's, you know, cheap leather jacket on and, uh, and that's what they wanted. And so they ran up behind me. One of them smashed me in the back of the head. With? I, uh, I, with just a fist. Uh, but I didn't see it coming. And so I, I felt this it more, almost heard this loud thump and saw a flash of white light. And that flash that you see is your brain bouncing on the inside of your skull. And the next thing I knew, I was on the ground getting punched and kicked. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going to die right now. And and that fight or flight instinct came on. And I remember thinking, I just want to hurt one of these guys before, you know, I die. And I grabbed one of the guy's legs because I was still dizzy. And I tried to bite him, but he had these big baggy pants on. Yeah. And I cracked my front teeth. I bit oh down so God. hard. Did anybody come to your aid? No. I, there was two people watching, and people were taking pictures in, in the restaurant. Uh, but one of the guys that were watching, I had looked up, and I said, help. And I ducked a punch, and I said, help. And he put his hands up like this, turned around, and walked away. Like he like, didn't want to get involved. Yeah, making sure that he wasn't. everybody knew he wasn't going to get involved. Uh, and at that point, I was like, wow, I'm alone. And then finally, at that, we, it, we'd been fighting for maybe like 30 seconds, and one of them said, give me your damn jacket. And I literally just took my jacket off. At that point, it was torn, and uh, they grabbed it and ran away. Nine one one come, the cops come. Yeah, luckily uh, there was a hospital literally like a hundred feet across the street. Um, the cops came, uh, did a report. I went. They sent me to the hospital in ambulance, and they diagnosed me with a concussion and a bleeding kidney. Uh, and then a few hours later, gave me a really strong pain medicine shot and sent me home. The guy must have hit you, unfortunately, in the right spot. Yes. Yeah. It was right in the back of the head. And, and when you get hit in the back of the head, that tends to do more damage uh, to people uh, than being hit in the front of the head. Right above like the... Uh, right in the back, right back here behind this part. And you felt it right away? Yeah, it was weird. I heard it and saw it more than I even Did felt you it. Did crack anything? No, there was no broken bones. It was just the concussion of my brain wiggling and, and your brain hits the front of your skull and then does what's called a counter coup where it whips back the other direction and hits the back of the skull. You had a brain scan, right? You flew to Finland. Tell me about that. Yeah. So in Finland, they have something called a functional MRI. So regular MRIs will just like you can see a tumor. You can see the geometry of what's going inside your head. A functional MRI has the ability to somewhat map thought. So what it does is it shows how much oxygen your brain is using and where. So if, for instance, I were to sit inside a, a, F, a functional MRI and I were to play the piano, the part of my brain that controls playing the piano would be to, illuminated. Right? Would be illuminated because it works harder and it uses more oxygen, and they can then identify what part of my brain is controlling that. So they had me sit in the functional MRIs and do mathematics, and they would look and see what part of my brain worked, and then compare it to control subjects. When did you realize, Jason, that this brain injury gave you new abilities? The first time I noticed anything was on the ride home, but I, I think it was the pain medicine. Everything looked very strange, but the pain medicine was very strong. But the next day, I, I noticed it immediately. Um, I had vertigo really badly. Um, when I watched water go down the drain, instead of looking smooth like it used to look, it looked like little triangles rotating or more like even tangent lines with triangles rotating and getting smaller uh, down the drain. And uh, when a car would move, um, I would see the picture frames instead of it looking smooth, I would see picture frames, but if a car was speeding up, the picture frames would get further apart. And if it was slowing down, the picture frames would get closer together. And the rate that those distances changed was describing things like velocity and acceleration. But I didn't have uh, mathematical terms to describe it. All I had at that point was layman terms. So I started uh, trying to draw it, and I started making up my own symbols 
And eventually I went back to school and found out it was the exact same thing. But you didn't know at that point you had a math, math, mathematical skills. I, I knew something was going on. I, I, I worried though that if what was I, if I was having like delusions of grandeur, you know, you, you see some guy who is talking to himself and you know, he's crazy, but I was like, what are the, what's the odds of this happening? You know, me suddenly right. having, you know, these revelations due to a head injury. And, uh, so I would, I would go back and forth, but then when I would sit down and logically go through the thought process of what I was trying to describe, it would make sense. How did this injury kind of change your perception of the outside world? So the, the, the main thing that it changed was the seeing the picture frames. And so when things move normally, everything looks smooth. Now things always look jittery and, and slightly pixelated around the edges. So if you were looking at me, I'd look jumpy to you? Always, always. And, and if you're speeding up, your picture frames get further apart. And the rate that the, those distances change between the picture frames relative to the speed of light is your velocity and acceleration. Would my voice stay the same or would that go? Nope. <laughs> I don't, I don't notice anything with voices. Uh, just, just visual. It's all visual. That's amazing. Did you think there was something wrong with you? Yeah, I knew there was something wrong. I started getting these muscle twitches and my, my muscles would like vibrate, uh, and it would happen hundreds of times per day. I started having headaches. I had vertigo, uh, and difficulty walking. Instead of things, it didn't just look like things would spin. It would feel like they would spin. Uh, and it made, it made it difficult for my eyes to move smoothly because everything looks jerky and discreet instead of smooth and continuous. How do you see the world today? It, the same way. It just takes a while to get used to it. And now you accept it. Absolutely. I love it. Um, even though there's, there's a bad side to it and there's been a lot of, you know, medical issues from it. It's amazing. I wish everybody could see it because I, I think everybody would would understand it because it's much more intuitive than equations. Equations are always describing geometry, but what, geometry is more natural for us to look at and to understand than equations. And so I could describe something, and, and we will later here, we'll describe calculus two, calculus three in terms that are so simple that everybody will get it, but it's the exact same thing as if you went to school for two years. The only difference is, is you can't prove it with geometry, but you can still understand it. Whereas mathematics allows you to rigorously prove the theorem, the theorems. At what point, Jason, did you realize I may be a savant? The, the, when it, what really, really hit me uh, that something big was going on is one, one day my daughter asked me how the television worked because <laughs> a commercial for like overstock.com came on and had a big circle. And she said, how do they make the picture work on the television screen? And I said, oh, there's little pixels. And as they change color, that changes the picture. And she goes, you're wrong, dad. And I go, what do you mean I'm wrong? And she goes, how do you make a circle with rectangles? And I was like, wait a second, you can't. I'm not looking at a rectangle on that screen. I'm looking at a zigzag. It's just those pixels are so tiny, it looks smooth. It looks like that. But I can take those pixels and cut them in half to infinity, and you never reach a perfect circle. You just approach closer and closer forever. How did you realize there was a newer MRI machine available in Finland. Um, with one of the doctors that I spoke to, I remember speaking with Dr. Treffert and another doctor named Barrett Brogard, and uh, they started putting me on to these places that were doing studies of synesthesia and people with Savant syndrome. So you flew to Finland to find out exactly how the injury affected your brain yes. and turned you into a savant. It was an amazing uh, experience. Um, there was a whole bunch of images flashing in front of my eyes uh, that were mixed in together. 
Uh, some were equations that I would draw, uh, all sorts of different pictures that would flash, some that were just mixed up, uh, some that were obvious fractals, some that weren't. The one that really stands out was the one with, with little circles that would expand and get smaller, expand and get smaller, and uh, it, eventually it would start to look like it was a, a right triangle rotating with the little radius getting smaller and smaller and smaller and larger and larger and larger. larger. Uh, but it was very intense. After a while, it just started to feel hypnotic. So basically what's happening is that there's electric current, there's an electric circuit inside the car. Okay. And that current creates a magnetic field. Okay. So when we place it against your your scalp, uh, the magnetic field will penetrate your, your, your skull okay. and it will stimulate, stimulate the neurons in the brain. Okay. So that's basically what's happening. Not quite sure what they're doing, but they got this machine on the back of his head, and then he's looking through some special glasses. This one, 20 bucks. Just for a second, to just kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, except for just suddenly having your brain being distracted. Right. You know, just very momentarily, just bzz, bzz, and then, okay, go back to it. <coughs> okay, that's what I was doing. That's what I was thinking. I'm trying to think, it's hard to even describe the sensation. It was quite unusual to see activations only in the left hemisphere. So normally, like even in, I think even in language experiments, you see something in the right also. It's so uniquely in the left hemisphere. So after this test, what conclusions did they make? What conclusions did you make? So they, they made a conclusion that uh, I had conscious access to part of the brain that we normally don't have conscious access to, access to and uh, I was told that I had a savant syndrome and, and a form of synesthesia. Um, for me specifically, it's seeing numbers as shapes because um, shapes are actually the, the natural form of numbers. Right. And this is still happening to you? Always. In fact, I, I can't stop thinking about it. I have, a, I have difficulty sleeping at night because there's just so much to, to think about, so much to wonder about. And, and the way that reality works is so much more interesting and intricate than what I think most of people would have imagined. I noticed myself. on the screen there was MC Square. Yes. Flashed up there. Einstein would be proud of you. Yeah. So I, I have written that in a slightly different way, which is called Planck constant times frequency equals mass times the speed of light squared. Um, but it, it's it's still describing energy. They both equal energy, but they describe energy in different ways. Uh, the Planck constant times frequency describes it in terms of frequency and, and light and mass times the speed of light squared uh, describes it in terms of mass. Um, so one's quantum mechanics, the other one's uh, relativity. If I told you 284 times 20, would you instantly know the answer? No, I don't do numbers. I, I'm sure I could figure it out. It'd be like 4,000, I don't know, it'd be like 7,200 and something, 280, I think. But we don't have to think it out like that. Right, right. But I, I still have to think it out. I don't like I don't do like number calculations. It's specifically like if I if I look at a shape, I still have to sit down and I can describe it to you in the exact same way in layman terms, because when this happened to me, I had to find a way to describe it in normal terms. 
And so uh, one day I was actually in the mall and I was drawing and a physicist happened to come by and he asked me what I was drawing. I said, well, I'm trying to describe the discrete structure of space time, you know, and, and the geometry of it. And so we started talking and he said, you know, you're it sounds like you're trying to describe like unified field theory, but you're doing it in layman terms. He said, you have no idea how weird that it's is. because you're not a scientist. Right. And he said, have you ever considered going back to school? And I was like, you know, that's probably a good idea. And like a week later, I went and I enrolled in Math 99 Algebra. And the very first day of class, my teacher graphed an equation. And I said, you mean that equation is that shape? And she said, yes. And I said, then we're talking about the same thing, just in two different ways. I'm drawing what it looks like. You're writing an equation that you can then graph what it looks like, but they are identical. Was it easy for you? It, much of it was very easy. In fact, I, I thought that I came in and I had pi drawn out and I had all these, these drawings done. And I thought I would show them to a professor and they would say, that's the number pi. And let me explain to you how we calculate it. And they would say, what is that? It's a pretty picture. And it wasn't until I got to like trigonometry and calculus that I could write it in their terms and once I wrote it in an equation and then put the drawing with it, then they were like, it's, they would agree 100%. They have to agree because it is the same. Yes. But, uh, but it was interesting seeing how they didn't see it until I wrote it in the language that they were taught to speak, which is equations. What do you think happened to your brain to allow you to do this? I think we are all, in fact, I know we are all doing it. So like if I throw a ball to you, you're like, we don't think we're doing math, but when I throw that ball, you have to calculate the acceleration of the ball due to gravity, the arc of the ball, the three-dimensional coordinates of your hand and the ball, the time lag from the nerves to your fingers, yet you just catch it. But if we were to try to grab or to sit down and crunch that equation, it would take us hours, yet you just catch the ball. So we're all doing like estimated calculus in the background. Even animals are. To be able to navigate the world, you are defining velocity, acceleration, probabilities, and, and you're doing it in a general way. It just runs in the background, so we're not aware of it. I think it's a it's a function of evolution. Um, that it, it's so distracting that it it makes you less likely to survive. Like if this had happened to me in the caveman days, I would have been too busy and distracted by everything that was going on around me, and I probably would have been eaten by a lion or something. You would have been considered the Marconi of those days, right? Or something like that, right? Let's look at some of your artwork. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of the pictures that you do. And uh, you can explain to us what we're looking at. So that is the number pi um, as it expands. So what pi is, a lot of times people think it's, it's like this magical thing. That's 3.14. Right? Yes, 3.14159. Uh, but it actually, what pi is describing is this shape forever getting smoother and smoother as it forever approaches a circle but never reaches it because there's actually no such thing as a circle anywhere in the universe. There's no such thing as a perfect circle or a curve. And the way to think about it is everybody who's watching this right now on a screen, your screen is made with pixels, which are little squares or rectangles. So you're not seeing a curve. You're seeing an approximation of a curve. And if you look in closely, you see the zigzag. How now, long did it take you, Jason, to sketch this? Uh, that took months because that's uh, 720 slices uh, inside of about a 18-inch circle. And you did that by freehand? That's all freehand. I had to shave pencil lead for each line, and it has to be flawless. Jeez. So it's also the rainbow. When you see a double rainbow, that ring that you see, that is the double rainbow. What does that bright light in the middle represent? Um, it's just light, light bursting out and refracting. It, it, you can use this to describe a lot of different things. Doesn't represent the sun or anything like that? Well, it, yeah, the sun, when you see the sun or you see any light source, it's going to look just like that. This also would represent like um, 
gravitational lensing or or when you see rings if you take a camera a video camera and you point it at a light you start seeing these weird rings it's from it's how the sure. light ref- refracts at different angles all right let's look at your second photo so this is yes this is like the most famous uh science experiment uh, probably in history it's the double slit uh, experiment and it's how light when when you sh- shoot photons uh, at two slits it well, even if it goes through one slit, if you're not observing it, it will interfere with itself as though it passed through both. Um, so this shows the wave particle duality um, that light has. If you showed this to a mathematician, would they understand it? What, yeah, I, most of them would understand it. Once I say it's a double – well, if it's a physicist, they'll, they'll really understand it. Mathematicians, it depends. Everything's becoming so specific nowadays. Some mathematicians aren't familiar uh, with a double slit test, but I would think most are. It's it's such a famous experiment. Have you been put under a microscope since this happened to you? Uh, not under a microscope, no. I mean, in terms of yeah. them looking at you and then trying to figure out what's going on. Um, in in some ways, it's more with doctors. Um, my professors that I worked with, they were just interested in the way that I would see things would allow me to find solutions that you don't that aren't apparent when you're looking at it just as numbers. Um, there's there's a lot more involved in these drawings than, than what I'm explaining right now. But when you go into how they work, it's much easier to understand very high mathematical concepts in, in regular terms when you're just looking at a drawing. Whereas when we go and we learn derivatives and integrals and calculus and you're, you're just crunching numbers, it's very hard for the, the students and for a lot of professors to visualize – how this actually applies in the real world and what it is that it's describing. Have your savant abilities helped you in the real world or hindered you? In some ways, in the beginning, it it hindered me a lot because OCD came on with it. Um, I had like agoraphobia. I didn't leave my house for like three, three and a half years, um, except for just to get food. Um, I had kind of was depressed for a while. Attacks. Yeah, it was, it was very, it was bad, but at the same time, it was, there was this beautiful part of it because this, this world was opening up to me that I had never known existed. You know, I, I was literally, I, I would chase girls and party and go out and, and goof off and, and life was, was very simple and, and not very deep. And then suddenly it was like the curtain was pulled back and bits of the universe that I had never even contemplated suddenly were were very obvious and fascinating what does your wife think about what has happened to you here so she i I met her when i went back to school so she never knew me before which is probably good and uh (laughs) and i was in i was at the cafeteria in school and she was an exchange student or she was visiting from another country and i was drawing and uh, she asked me what i was drawing and we started talking and uh she has a lot of patience because she's listened to many Theories and and, and uh, different theorems uh, over the years at all different times of the night, you know. But, but she's she's very understanding and she's very smart too. Uh, so I like to bounce ideas off of her and and see what she thinks of it, you know. Sometimes before I, I tell other people, are you a scientific study now? Uh, in some, I have been. Um, I, tip for me, the most wonderful part about it is just sharing this with everybody. It's like I feel like. I almost like swallowed a star. I just feel like I'm bursting with anybody that comes by. I just want to talk to them and say, listen, I know you think you don't understand it. I know you think you don't like math, but let me tell you about this. Uh, I worked in a uh, a store for a while. My, my family owned uh, furniture stores, and uh, I would 
bring up any way that I could uh, to discuss math with people because even though at first with them, yeah, I, would, they would, I would say something about pi and I could see them like backing up like, oh, boy, I don't want to talk about math. The only pi they want to talk about is apple or cherry. Totally. Right? But then within a couple minutes, they would be totally engaged because they can understand it. Ninety-five percent of everybody can understand exactly what I'm talking about in mathematical terms, but in simple mathematical terms, when you're doing it with the drawings. And it's yes. literally the same thing. It's a little easier to comprehend. Yes. Now, joining us via Zoom, incredible technology, is Dr. Matt Dahl from the SSM Health Trevor Center who met with Jason, is based in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Dr. Dahl, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. Tell us a little bit about how this meeting with Jason started. Uh, as Jason mentioned, he had met Dr. Treffert uh, several years ago and had arranged his uh, further evaluations. Um, and then he uh, came out and visited with us. And at that time, I uh, was meeting with Dr. Treffert and had a chance to spend some time with Jason. What do you think of Jason's situation? It's quite remarkable and uh, unique in the acquired savants. Um, for the most part, we see uh, injury to the left hemisphere and greater access to the right hemisphere. And in Jason's case, is quite unique. He had injury to his right hemisphere um, and then now has access to and uh, processing information more with his left hemisphere. When you look at the brain through uh, the scans... Does it show things that are unusual? I mean, can you tell that there's something that happened? Yes, you would see that um, a task that he would normally uh, in typical brains have occurred on both sides of his brain. The activity was only on the left side, um, and that was looking at equations that were resulting in an image, um, whereas equations that would have no resulting image only appeared on both sides. And so how his brain is processing information is different from what we would typically expect. Dr. Dahl, why does it take some kind of injury to the brain to push him into that other level of being a savant? You know, I think in in all of the stories that we've had from different kinds of um, experiences, there's a process where there's damage that occurs and then there's a recruitment or an access to other skills or abilities that we may have. Um, it is very rare, and we certainly don't recommend anyone harm their head in order to try to get better at something. Um, but in these cases like Jason, it is perception. He's perceiving the world differently. And uh, what he describes is sort of almost a, a look behind the curtain on how we track motion uh, and how our brains track motion um, actually in his visual cortex where that injury occurred um, has changed. And so now as a form of synesthesia, he's seeing the lines as he describes pi as a series of lines. Um, and so that perceptional change is really where he's able to understand and start to explain math in a very unique and different way. Do we know what will happen in the future with Jason? Um, you know what? Um, our years of working with acquired savants, one of the um, uh, downsides is oftentimes a compulsion, that uh, sense that I have to do this new skill. Um, as that skill is practiced over time, that pressure lessens, um, and then people become very atta uh, attached, if you will, to their skill, um, and there's concern that it will fade over time. And to our knowledge, those skills do not fade over time, um, but they do change, and, and there's a uh, further exploration, there's more comfort level, um, and hopefully some of the negative side effects of the injury start to fade a little bit. But as Jason says, he's left with, you know, chronic headache and a variety of other things that he struggles with yet. 
the actor Dustin Hoffman played in the movie Rage Man, which reminds me a little bit of Jason. Dr. Trefford worked with the real Rain Man that Dustin Hoffman portrayed in the movie Rain Man. What was that like? Well, for Dr. Trefford, it was important to represent these amazing minds uh, in the most accurate and um, supportive way of their unique abilities. Um, Kim Peek is a gentleman that had uh, absent corpus callosum, so he missed the connecting tissue between his two brains. That actually allowed him to read books with each eye independently on each page. And he had this incredible memory for that. And so he was considered the human encyclopedia at the time. Um, But he also, over the course of time, developed some insights and made some connections and was quite a remarkable uh, thinker. And um, Dr. Treffert really mirrored many of the things he recommended in the portrayal that Dustin Hoffman had of the savant um, on some other savants as well, different skills and abilities that they demonstrate, too. And Dr. Dahl, not everybody who suffers brain trauma turns out to be a savant, right? That's correct. Um, We're finding that uh, there are certain areas of the brain, um, and typically uh, there's one area on the left side that sort of functions as a a governor or a control over the right side of your brain. Um, Dr. Treffert would talk about it as an injury that releases the tyrant of your left brain so you can access your right brain. Um, And that seems to be the most consistent finding. Um, within savants, uh, congenital savants are born with differences, um, but oftentimes those skills do come from the, the wiring that occurs that allows them access to the right side of their brains. How much of the brain have we learned about by this time? Uh, we're still in the infancy stage. There are some huh. amazing technologies that we've really learned a lot. We're starting to map networks. Um, and uh, in some like diffuse imaging technology, it's really fascinating because as Jason talks about the lines, you actually see almost these lines and patterns and brain architecture about the networks that are correcting, uh, connecting to each other. Elon Musk wants to put a Neuralink chip in our brains. Will that help us or hurt us? You know, I think that um, technology is something that we have to be very cautious about. You know, we have to understand something thoroughly before uh, we start going down those roads. Um, it certainly would be appealing to try to interface more with computers. Um, but I don't think we even understand what we're capable of when we're still discovering these amazing connections and processes just through the accidental uh, injuries that occur. Why do we need an injury or some situation in order to induce this? Why can't we do it without that? You know, there has been, as Jason mentioned, some technology that, you know, pulses some magnetic uh, interference in different areas of our brain, which allows us to access other areas. And we tend to think of that, especially in uh, our Western technology, right? We're going to put a helmet on instead of learning to meditate, for example, um, or practice mindfulness. Um, we actually change our brain's architecture when we meditate. Six weeks of meditation will actually change our hypothalamus. So we have more control than we think we do over accessing these different skills and abilities. Um, it's through injury that suddenly we say, oh, I have access or sometimes disease process like some forms of dementia. Um, but it is also possible that through more intentional practice and some techniques that we can learn that we can access all of our brains. Are you still working with Jason? Yes, we uh, continue to be in conversations. Um, he's hopefully coming up and visiting our newest place, the Trefford Studios, um, so that we can help him kind of put together um, a visual representation of how he perceives the world. 
Jason, take a few minutes and chat with Dr. Dahl. How's it going? <laughs> really good. How are you been doing? Good. I'm looking forward to coming out there. We're going to be, um, you know, making some uh, videos of, of how what Pi is describing uh, geometrically, and they're going to be helping me uh, do some other things that have to do with the holographic universe principle. Um, it's been really wonderful working with you guys. You guys have changed my life for the better, and and uh, it granted me a lot of understanding, you know, of what what was going on, so that I didn't feel quite so so different and so you know out of place, you know, in the world. It's a real rare condition, and uh, you know, I think that um, while it's a truly a gift to mathematics and the things that you're able to do, um, you know, the story that uh, you know, when when asked like, what is it about Jason that's so amazing? I also think that part of the story, Jason, where you you really sought out those people that harmed you and looked to reconcile. And I just think your kindness and genuine nature is also uh, one of your superpowers. That was one of the things that was really amazing. As uh, one of my attackers reached out to me about three years ago, and he said he was watching a, a video. And in the middle of the video, he said the video was talking about these two guys that attacked somebody. And he said halfway through the show, he realized he was the bad guy. And he, he uh, sent me a text uh, on Facebook and said, I just want to let you know I apologize. Uh, and, and he now uh, sits on, the, on a national nonprofit for at-risk youth, helping them change their lives. So he is, it turned out that in the long run, it turned out to be a wonderful thing for me. Uh, and then in the long run, it turned out it, it made his life better, too. Did you get the jacket back? Didn't get the jacket back, but that's okay. <laughs> but he did confirm that that was why they did it. He, he, his, his, one of them said, oh, I like his jacket. And the other guy said, oh, let's take it. And they just on the, they had had too much to drink and they were, they were young, uh, and, and had, had some bad life experiences, you know, that had just happened to them. And when I look back at it now, especially, especially after seeing how he changed over the years, I, 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 I actually feel nothing but compassion for him now. All right. The Trefford Center, how has it changed your life? It's changed my life because it, it brought a lot more understanding to what was going on. It helped to relieve some of the fear and, and also some of that uh, worry that I had of, of that. What if what if I'm the only one who sees this and it's not real? You know, that they helped with that and also going to school helped with that so that I was able to write it properly so that we knew for sure that what I was doing was correct. Cause I would doubt myself at time myself at times uh, just thinking that it was too good to be true. It was too good to be true. Uh, yet eventually was able to show that what I was drawing was what I thought it was just a different way of looking at it. Dr. Dahl, thank you for being on beyond belief. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Jason, Dr. Dahl's a fascinating guy. Yeah, he's a very nice person. Um, they, they changed my life. How did you find them? Um, I, originally, I was watching a television program, uh, and it was about a guy that was talking about seeing numbers. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody describe numbers in yeah, a way that was visual. Yes. And so, and Dr. Treffert, uh, from the Treffert Center, uh, who works with Dr. Dahl, uh, was on the show. And I, I wound up emailing them, and that's how we became, came into contact with each other. Fascinating. It is. What about the, the Doppler effect? Tell me about that. So what is that? Yeah, the Doppler effect is a good way to describe relativity so that everybody can understand what relativity is describing and why we all have our own unique uh, reality. So, you know how you hear a car drive by you and it goes, and it changes pitch. Yeah. So short wavelengths of sound are a high pitch and long wavelengths of sound are a low pitch. 
As the car is moving towards me, those waves are squishing together and getting closer. And so you hear the pitch getting higher. Then it goes, and now it's moving away from me. And they stretch out and they get longer. And you hear the pitch getting lower. Doppler radar. Right. And so now we add relativity to that. And we say the car is driving from me towards you. Well, since it's moving away from me, the waves are getting longer for me. So I hear a low pitch. But relative to you, it's moving towards you. So the waves are compressing and you hear a high pitch and you stop right there and I say, is the sound that the car is making a low pitch or a high pitch? It's making both sounds relative to who's looking at it. And then you imagine we have an infinite number of people all looking at that car and they're all moving at different velocities. Every single person will measure a different wavelength and they'll all hear a different sound. Yet everybody's version of the reality is correct, even though they're all different. And that applies to How light. That, be? That, that you can you can take one way that you can test it is like. Take, take two, two guys can go out, uh, with two cell phones and have your buddy drive his car in between you and while you film them and then play them next to each other and you'll hear the high pitch on one, the low pitch on the other. So where you are relative to what you're observing defines what it is. But that doesn't just apply to sound. That applies to time. That applies to light. Everything about something, you can change how big it is. Everything about it, you can change by changing your motion relative to it. And to you, that is reality but to somebody else in a different position a different velocity they have a slightly different picture but we all can agree on reality around us because we're all moving generally the same speed but when you start approaching the speed of light wild things happen and then you start having vastly different experiences did you understand any of this prior to your injury i thought that i literally would joke how math was stupid and i would say when are you going to use that in the real world because i and i remember thinking that was so smart to say and now i look back at it And I can't even believe I thought that way. Math is everything. There is nothing that is not described by mathematics. Are you in the real world all the time? Well, yeah, yeah, it depends on what the real world is, right? I I think about this over and over. Like every, every person has their own individual version of reality. And I try to think, uh, in different ways to help me, uh, understand some of these uh, principles differently. Um, what, like, uh, I try to think in terms of superposition or probability, uh, where you try to imagine going from point A to point B. What, what are all the ways that I can go there? And what is the average sum of all of those ways? And that describes what actually happens in reality. When it gets down into physics, that's how they describe it. We are the sum of all possibilities and all of those possibilities cancel out. And the one that doesn't cancel out is what happens almost always in reality. Now, how's your health now? You look good. Yeah, I'm feeling better. I've actually, uh, when it comes to like weight, I'm feeling better. When it comes to other, other, uh, problems, they're, they're, you know, pretty much going to be there for life when it comes to like muscle twitches and, and headaches and things like that. But I've, I've learned to deal with it better over time. Uh, the OCD has gotten better. I, I did this thing called desensitization therapy. I used to not be able to open doors. I would wait at doors for somebody to open it because I wouldn't touch it. Why? Uh, just because you're suddenly aware, I, I, being aware of everything visually, I would watch somebody watching and then wipe their nose and then grab the door handle. And then I would see somebody else do something similar, then grab the door handle. And I would think, I just don't want it to, it, it just, it would almost feel hot and sticky just because I was so aware of everything that was going on that and I didn't bug you for. Oh, it was awful. I would carry hand sanitizer. When I went to school, I would bleach off the tables. Uh, I have a, a medical grade UV sant- light sanitizer. You were sanitizer. pre-COVID, weren't you? Yeah, and this was pre-COVID. Now people yeah. joke that I was just ahead of COVID. You were ahead of your time. <laughs> yeah, now now everybody's starting to feel something similar to what I felt. I've got a light bulb fixation. If uh-huh. it's burned out, I have to have it replaced. Right. 
right? And all, all those things are, are are different forms of of, of compulsions that we all feel. Uh, and and for me, it was just getting to the point where I was a little bit more in control of them instead of them being in control of me. Because a lot of times I would I would feel something, you know, like I wanted to wash my hands constantly, and I knew it was silly, but I would still feel the compulsion to do it. And so what I did was desensitization therapy, where like we would clean a doorknob with a bleach wipe. And then I would make myself touch the doorknob and touch my face because I know it's clean. And it, surprisingly, it only takes a few days. So if there's anybody that's suffering from OCD, try that therapy. You would be surprised how much it can help you. What is the Beckenstein? So the Beckenstein bound is the number of ways that our universe uh, can be reconfigured. Imagine our universe, and our universe is pixelated like a television screen, only the pixels are very microscopic. And the Beckenstein bound asks, how many ways can we rearrange the pixels of our universe to create a new and unique film or a new and unique timeline? And the number is 2 to the 10th to the 123rd power. That's the number of ways that our universe can be reconfigured to make a new timeline. But in that, but if you have that many big bangs, then the pattern repeats. Or if you go out that many observable size universes in, in our universe now, if you just go out forever, eventually 2 to the 10th power to 123rd uh, you know, universes away from us, the pattern will repeat also. So the Beckenstein bound is just describing all the ways that our universe can be reconfigured to make a new and unique film. You have a book called Struck by Genius. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Struck by Genius, um, I was lucky enough to meet Maureen Seberg. She, uh, we met um, and in, in when I went to get these scans done in Finland, and she writes books. And uh, she wound up writing the book for me, and she did a fantastic job. And it was a, a option to be made into a major motion picture. There are some people, Jason, who believe we live in a holographic universe. What's your take on that? I believe, mathematically speaking, I, I believe we do live in a holographic universe. Um, so the holographic universe principle is describing how our reality is a projection, like a hologram, that is projected onto what we call 4D flat space time, but it's projected from black holes. But one of the problems that we're having is where are the black holes? And I think I have a solution that may uh, allow us to to uh, understand where they are and why we don't see them. You're talking like a savant now. It, it, well, it's basically just that, that black holes form in between the picture frames of our universe. If you think of our universe progressing in time like a movie, in between the picture frames, when you can't observe any particles, they all exist in superposition. And wherever you have two photons or the energy of two photons or more on one pixel of our universe, it will by definition collapse into a tiny microscopic black hole, and that black hole will evaporate due to something called Hawking radiation, and that radiation imparts a vector onto the pixel, which then describes the probability of the wave function collapse. And so the only thing that I'm coming up with that is potentially new is the reason why we see the effects of black holes, but we don't see them, is because they form and evaporate. What we perceive as reality is the evaporation of the black holes that then again that then reform again in between the next picture frames. How would you like to be remembered, Jason? I would like to be remembered in terms of helping people to understand or raise awareness that all of us think we don't like math. And, and I understand the, the courses are difficult and, and, and reading those books, they can be monotonous. But if you do it the right way, if you even if you just want to understand it, if you look at it geometrically, I've talked to tens of thousands of people over the years, and almost all of them get nervous when we start talking about math. But once we spend five or ten minutes, 
They're completely engaged because everybody can understand it if it's shown to them the proper way. And that's what I would like to do is just show everybody you can understand it. It's just it needs to be in a language that which is visual, which is how we all live our lives. We don't live our lives with equations. Right. How do people get a hold of you if they want to contact you? Um, if people want to get contact me, one good way is on Fine Art America. I have a lot of my drawings on there. People contact me on email okay. there or find me on Twitter or Facebook and, and friend me. I have met so many amazing people over the years uh, from online. So if you're if you're watching, feel free to contact. If me. you turn the clock back, would you want this to happen to you again? I would not change this for the world. Um, it was in the long run, by far the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? Absolutely. I, I met my wife because of it. My children exist. If I hadn't gotten mugged, I wouldn't have met my wife. My kids wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have this newfound love and fascination for the world that I didn't have before. Uh, my life has changed so much, and so much of it now is for the better than that the negatives are, are, are unimportant. And you found forgiveness. Absolutely. I, I I was surprised because for years I I hated those guys. I mean, I must have killed them in my head a million times. Who would blame you? Right. It was like I had so much anger and I've gone through so much pain. But when he contacted me, it just like melted away. I I just I I realized that he had had a rough life. And when I heard about what had happened to him right before that and that he had turned his life around and he turned his life around, not because he felt obligated to. He turned his life around before he found out anything that had happened to me because he wanted to be a better person. And I can understand that. You know, I was a, a silly teenager and, and I can remember some of the stupid things that I thought and, and he completely changed. Jason, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you. You're a fascinating individual. I enjoyed it. And I wish you all the success in the world. Thank you. Fascinating person. Would you want to go through what he went through to become a savant? Most <laughs> of us would say no. But look at the results. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Amazing, everyone. Amazing. What a journey. What a journey. Well, this is something that we missed back uh, in May. This is dated the 11th of May. Here we are uh, three months later, right? It's uh, my birthday, the 5th, so... Mm -hmm. It's just a week. It's a one week less than three months. It's called Prophecies, mm -hmm. the Visionaries of Time, the Ark of Time, with Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. Delve into the mystery of divine manifestations and prophecies. Is there a connection? According to Ricardo. These non-ordinary states of consciousness are the common theme between those contacted by extraterrestrials, mediums, and shamans. Throughout history, there have been people such as Nostradamus. Uh, it's been said to me a number of times that I was that one. <laughs> I'm still... Well, what are we doing? We're doing what Nostradamus was doing at the time. We were talking about the future back then. I think uh, we're bringing the future into the now faster than ever before by doing this. So, 
there have been people like Nostradamus who predicted the atomic bomb. And I was just going to say that movie Oppenheimer, uh, everybody said it's, it's well done, but it was missing yeah. uh, a few details. <clears throat> the appearance of Hitler, as I talked about that too, and other re- relevant events in history. More recently, in Argentina, Benjamin Solari Paravicini, whose predictions include extraterrestrial beings will come back to Earth. They will manifest themselves telepathically. It will be in the year 2000. This was predicted in 1959. What were you doing in 1959? (laughs) Mm. You were six, right, Rama? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, we can never mind. Uh, Ricardo gives us this, his, gives us his perspective on who sends these messages and where they come from. So again, the host is Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. And this is 29 minutes. So let's listen. Here we go. Mm. Acts in the Bible, it is claimed that in the last days humans will prophesy that they would have dreams and they would dream of the future. Is this possible? Can we humans perceive possible future events or could someone or something reveal it to us? I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. Welcome aboard the Ark of Time. Skeptics think that prophecies arise from superstition and fear and that, in short, they do not exist. It's that simple. And they add that religions have been used as systems of control. Perhaps on this point, we may agree. They also argue that the prophecies are not always fulfilled, that they are inaccurate, ethereal, and that their content is at the mercy of whomever interprets them. I recognize that, in general, this is right, especially with those predictions that have a cryptic message. But are all prophecies a fraud? Within the different predictions, is there any evidence of authentic prophecies that would invite us to reflect? And if that were so, how does it work? What or who activates that gift of prophecy? Let's see. According to the Royal Academy of the Spanish Language, Prophecy is a supernatural gift that consists of knowing distant or future things through divine inspiration. In my opinion, this is a partial definition and perhaps deep-seated in religion. If we understand divine, in quotation marks, as a manifestation of God or of spiritual beings before a witness who later write down their visions, just as different prophets in the Bible, this mystery of the prophets is actually a lot bigger How should we interpret the messages that come from close encounters with extraterrestrials? Or even 
other types of experiences, like the apparitions of Mary. Also, not all prophecies arise from the manifestation of a supernatural divine being. There are predictions that are triggered thanks to the psychic sensitivity of the seer or are released through access to privileged knowledge, which will then be written in a coded language only for those who know the code. The world of prophecies for this and other reasons is extremely complex and shies away from those religious undertones that many have placed on it due to ignorance and lack of information. It is important to mention that for several authors, there is an important difference between the terms prophecy and prediction. Predicting means announced by revelation, science or conjecture that something is going to happen. That is, a prophecy would have a supernatural signature and a prediction can be based on knowledge and deduction. On this issue, probably the mythical Nostradamus would be a worthy example of both definitions. The French astrologer, Rosicrucian initiate, physician, and clairvoyant could have written his prophecies thanks to the access that he had to secret information that allowed him to deduce future events. Nostradamus contrasted his studies with what he called the spirit of fire, his secret supernatural inspiration. Nostradamus, as we will recall, this great prophet of the 16th century, had several successes, such as the emergence of Hitler himself, his role in World War II, the explosion of atomic bombs, which we mentioned in the previous episode when we discussed the problems with Trinity, or even the assassination of President Kennedy, or the strange death of Pope John Paul I. However, Nostradamus went beyond that, and in a letter that he left, to his son Caesar, he spoke of a cosmic order. He implied that all the things that he had written in a cryptic way were so that he wouldn't be persecuted, so he wouldn't be questioned to protect himself, and so that the information would reach someone capable of understanding it. And it hadn't been just his own work, his inspiration of alleged evidence, but Nostradamus would have read that cosmic order a type of celestial geometric map that any human being can interpret by studying numbers from a very ancient esoteric astrology, also from very old manuscripts, that appear to contain information about the human psyche and how it is interrelated to information that is being experienced in other planes of reality, what some esoteric sources call the records of the memory of the universe or the Akashic records. The letter that Nostradamus leaves his son, Caesar, is incredible. He calls it the cosmic order. Does this mean that any person, like the great Rosicrucian and French doctor did in his time, with this privileged knowledge could see the possible future? But if the past and the present and the future are just illusions, what is the future? Consequence of our decisions? or simply variables in a huge cosmic fabric. But there is another case that, personally, has impressed me more than that of Nostradamus himself. I mean the prophetic drawings of Benjamin Solari Paravicini, the Nostradamus of the Americas, the Argentine Nostradamus. Benjamin Solari Paravicini 
was born in Buenos Aires, August 8, 1898. A son of Buenos Aires aristocracy, he spent much of his childhood in his parents' tree-lined villa in the Palermo neighborhood of the city of Buenos Aires and north of the city in Vicente Lopez's mansion. Located about 10 kilometers from the capital, his family told me that Belon, a term of endearment for him, had numerous episodes of abstraction when he played alone as a young child in the gardens of those properties. According to these accounts, Benjamin Solari Paravicini, as a boy, all of a sudden seemed to disconnect from everything in those gardens. Meanwhile, the birds left their nests. They approached him without fear and they fluttered in circles around him. They seemed to communicate with him. And the disturbing thing is that in those moments, little Benjamin saw and heard luminous entities, supposed imaginary friends the boy called fairies or beings of nature in his own words. As if that were not enough, later came paranormal phenomena that his family witnessed. They observed that objects in the house would move from one place to another. Some very heavy bronze lamps would levitate off of tables. They levitated in the air during those moments when Benjamin seemed to be in a trance. Or was there something that was approaching Benjamin Solari Paravicini that was generating this paranormal activity? A fact worthy of mention is that Benjamin's father, Pelon's father, Dr. Benjamin Tomas Solari, a renowned psychiatrist who became a congressman in Argentina, worried so much about his child's health when all this began that it was hard for him to believe. It seemed to him that it was impossible. And without hesitation, he decided to subject his little son, incredibly, to a series of medical and psychological testing to rule out that he was crazy. He even asked for a third-party panel of doctors to do an objective assessment. However, he didn't find any illness. The child, little Benjamin, was healthy. It was around 1938 that his prophetic drawings began to become known. We're talking about prophecies that covered diverse topics, such as geopolitics, possible wars, space travel, planetary changes, climate change, and even contact with extraterrestrial beings. Allow me to read you some of his extraordinary predictions. Extraterrestrial beings will once again arrive on Earth. They will arrive in different spaceships from different planets, and they will inhabit the mountain craters of the Andes and Patagonia in the south. They will live together with humans. They will be seen and spoken to. This prophecy from 1939, this other one says, invisible beings dwell in the world. Their small ships land in trees and on houses, radiating on human beings every idea for good. This also corresponds to 1939. In the face of constant visits of extraterrestrial ships, Science will deny it, then hesitate, and will finally say it is true. And our wisdom has fallen behind. Centuries watch over and contemplate us. This corresponds to the year 
1940. This one here states, extraterrestrial races will return to the earth. They will occupy underground cities that were once theirs and still inhabited by their acclimatized natives. Will go down to reestablish customs that were superior to ours, but have now disappeared. They will manifest themselves telepathically in the year 2000. Baravicini affirms in this message from 1959. This one here says, "All starships are built with materials still unknown on Earth. These ships are light, molded in one piece without any joints. The ship owner is also sealed in." A full seamless scuba suit, and some are even transparent and blue. Our hottest fire will not heat nor pierce the material of either. 1960. They are very old messages, even before the modern UFO era. It should be noted that these messages and these descriptions of sightings and close encounters, which are very similar to the modern experiences that all of us. Different contact witnesses have had. Perhaps Paravicini was the first contact witness of that time, since, as I mentioned, he began to receive the first messages, or at least he went public with them, in the decade of the 1930s, a time much earlier than Adamski and the Roswell case. But where did these messages come from? There are multiple hypotheses and specialists. In Paravicini's psychographics, do not agree. Some assume that it was clairvoyance, Paravicini's abilities as a medium to receive messages from other realities. Other scholars believe that Paravicini channeled some type of spiritual energy of people who had already passed and who had delivered to the medium, Paravicini, messages and warnings of events that were going to occur. In fact, some of the psychographics seem to be along that line. However, there are others who insinuate contact with extraterrestrials, or as if a non-human intelligence were describing some things. In that vein, Paravicini himself stated in the late 1960s that he had a close encounter with extraterrestrials. According to our research. That contact would have happened sometime in the year 1961, according to the testimony of Paravicini, in the heart of the city of Buenos Aires, a fog or mist came upon him with a strange personage in the middle of this mist, a mist that reminds me of other contact cases that have been recorded in unique ufological case histories, objects that have the ability to concentrate light, a dense light, which I said. Looks like a mist that could correspond to a shortcut, a portal between dimensions, to absorb the witnesses and take them to another reality. Also, the case of what are called light tubes or energy columns, clear and compact, that can absorb a person and physically take them inside these vessels. In fact, that's what Paravicini maintains. Having experienced in the city of Buenos Aires, because through the mist he was carried inside an object, he had lost consciousness, bearings of the streets and the city, and suddenly he was inside an object he describes as circular, 
with human-looking beings of extraterrestrial origin as they presented themselves to him. In fact, he identified these beings as messengers from Venus, a planet that, according to our science, it is impossible for it to hold any kind of intelligent civilization unless the alleged extraterrestrials from Venus are living in another plane of reality. To this, I must add quite a footnote. Adamski also interpreted that Orthon, whom he mentioned and he interviewed in the California desert, came from Venus. Anyway, these beings told Paravicini, we have been following you. We have been tracking your behavior. And you are telepathic. And we communicate through the mind. And we will send you messages. And among these messages, there was a very particular, disturbing warning from these beings. They told him about a world. They told him about an object of a true traveling planet, which is nothing more than an asteroid. They called it Kiev, which should not be confused with the capital of Ukraine. The name or code of that object is called Kiev. Others know it as Wormwood if we base ourselves on the biblical prophecies. Other scholars, such as my dear friend, Spanish journalist, J.J. Benitez, called it Gog. The extraterrestrials who contacted Paravicini said that the object was on a collision course with our world and that an impact with the Earth would generate a change in axis. They indicated not the date, but certain planetary conditions that were going to coincide with this incident according to our interpretations of his prophetic drawings, times when the Earth was going to face serious armed conflicts, intense climate change, plagues, confusion, social behaviors very different from those of Paravicini's time. He passed away in the year 1974. We can understand perfectly that almost a half century later, our society is very different from what our dear Pelon experienced in his time. And all these events pointed to a decadence of society. They pointed to greater conflicts of coexistence between us. And in that moment, the dead planet, the traveling planet, would hit our world. Here we are looking at some of the psychographics that mention that impact which would occur somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. Is this a fact that we can't change? Is this going to happen inevitably? Or is it just a warning? A warning to correct so that human beings, in some way, by their behavior, could activate some mechanisms. Let's call them magical, divine, supernatural. I don't know what term to use for these events not to happen and for humanity to get a second chance. I should add that, in addition to the Argentine Nostradamus, Paravicini, the French Nostradamus, along with different prophecies of the earth from the Bible to what is said by the Hopi Indians, also refer to this star or object or this comet of this punishment that could come from the sky and impact us. It is a warning that is in different sources in our world. It is in every way a prophecy. And this is what I wanted to get to in this current episode. According to the extraterrestrials, 
and here I speak directly of our personal experience. The prophecies, warning of future events, are just that. Information coordinates to act and change things. It is true that the universe is mathematical, geometric and perfect, and that there are things that are already pre-programmed. There are things that are already designed in a cosmic order, but free will also exists, which, with greater consciousness, allows us to interact with that cosmic order and make some changes, as if it were the fine print in a big contract. And that's what Nostradamus said to his son, Caesar, to some extent. A great cosmic order that you have to understand, which is also what Farravicini understood. This is why some prophecies have chillingly been fulfilled. And there are others that have not yet happened because maybe we have bought ourselves some time. Here I would like to explain what we could do as humans for certain astonishing events, unheard of, such as the impact of a celestial body, which could affect us. A threat from space, which shouldn't be the focus of our attention, because, for example, NASA has created a space protection system for early detection of possible objects that could impact the Earth and try to divert them. It's a real threat, although scientists say such an event will not occur in the next 10,000 years. You never know. And it's as if the entire universe were organized around a planet that is not living properly and attracts similar things to its life. I know you're going to understand me. There is information that I call the Sodom and Gomorrah Protocol. As you may recall, three heavenly envoys, supposed angels, approach Abraham and warn him that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be plagued by disaster. Abraham asks these beings who came from heaven how it is possible that they leave Sodom and Gomorrah to their fate, despite the mistakes of the people who live in those cities, that they had to avoid it, that it was unthinkable to allow something to happen that would devastate them. Then Abraham proposes to these beings from heaven, whoever they were, that if there were righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would they stop it? Would they help these people so that these towns and cities would not be destroyed? And these angels said yes. If there were just people, truly just, they would stop it. If I were to find 50 just people, only 50 just people, would you stop it? And they said yes. But Abraham began to reduce the number. If there were 10 just people, and if there were fewer, and he realized that there were not enough good people to justify the intervention of these beings in our timeline. Therefore, they did not avoid Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by that phenomenon that happened. We don't know what. Some talk about the impact of meteor showers that these beings, possibly extraterrestrials, knew about and could only warn Abraham's family so that they could flee from this situation. This is very interesting to me because it reminds me of the current very strict protocols of extraterrestrials. They say that if a percentage of humanity, a type of critical mass, begins to live in consciousness with greater balance, it could justify the actions of the other civilizations that observe us. It could even enable entities, maybe not extraterrestrials, but those who are aware of other planes and realities, to make some modification in the events 
in order to give us more time if we deserve it. But if we don't achieve that, if we don't generate that critical mass, there will be no Sodom and Gomorrah protocol and no one will come to help us. Because the message is simple. The human species has to help itself. It has to acquire consciousness and a peaceful behavior, love for this planet and for their peers. And only when they start to sow and to reap is when all the help of the universe and all the evolved creatures that live in it could then lend us a hand. It's what Benjamin Solari Paravicini, the way I see it, called the appearance of the gray men, who isn't a particular person. Many have interpreted it religiously or politically in Argentina by studying his psychographics. The gray man, the gray mass, the gray flower, as seen in his prophetic drawings, talks about balance, talks about the center, talks about human beings finding that equilibrium in the middle, not the fallacy of the false dilemma that everything is black or everything is white, but of the balance in the center of the critical mass that will finally emerge on this planet as Paravicini believed and will end up giving us a great opportunity. In the case of the alleged extraterrestrials from the planet Venus, we would have to analyze it in greater detail. For example, in the case of George Adamski, it was an interpretation that these beings came from Venus. Through some drawings that he was able to use to illustrate his experience with Orthon in the desert of California. Also, the footprints that were left by the boots of this alleged extraterrestrial and that were in some way preserved by George Hunt Williamson and the witnesses who were with Adamski at the time. These footprints contain symbols and messages that were also interpreted as part of the information that was delivered by Orthon. With signs and gestures, he explained to Adamski, or at least that was how Adamski interpreted it, that he came from Venus. In Paravicini's case, it was different because there are messages from these beings where they directly introduce themselves as beings from Venus. I could talk about other very famous contact cases, like Howard Mengers here in the United States, who also spoke of extraterrestrial entities from Venus. It is very difficult to talk about extraterrestrial entities on a planet so close to Earth that could have been mapped by satellite. And there is not any evidence that a civilization exists in the way that we would expect in that world. However, according to messages we have received in contact experiences, it is affirmed that beings from distant stars, I'm speaking in this case of the constellation of Taurus, the Pleiades stars, have established different colonies in our solar system, on Earth and also on Venus. But according to what these messages say, they are interdimensional colonies. They are not physical colonies able to be detected by our primitive, antiquated space technology. And the description that Benjamin Solari Paravicini made from his alleged experience inside the unidentified flying object is very similar to the description made by Adamski of Orthon. Very human-looking beings with long blonde hair, even on men, and dressed in the typical bodysuit or jumpsuit in some cases. That is, 
clothes a little looser, but still one-piece clothing with boots, and only the hands and face uncovered. I'm sure Benjamin Solari Paravicini did not have access to ufology information from the United States back then. We are talking about his contact, which was in 1961. At that time, these experiences were not widely reported, let alone in Argentina. His circle was far from ufology, since Benjamin Solari Paravicini was a renowned visual artist, a renowned painter, who did not mix in these settings of ufology and esotericism. He was simply a channel, a contact witness, maybe a seer, a guy with paranormal gifts who had these experiences. And obviously, when he made them known in the 1960s, he was ridiculed. Only after several events have happened that appear in his psychographics is he now considered one of the most important modern prophets, maybe in history. Beyond Nostradamus and Paravicini, there are many other cases of mediums able to connect with the future. Right now, I recall the readings of Edgar Cayce, known as the sleeping prophet, for example. How did they all do it? Some, perhaps because they possessed privileged information. Others, for their ability to connect to what has been called the magnetic or spiritual records of the Earth, a kind of temporary cosmic library, reminiscent of the Eastern concept of Akasha, which I have already mentioned. More than a few who received their revelations from extra-human sources, be they spiritual or extraterrestrial. Analyzing these experiences in perspective, we could conclude that there is not a lot of difference between an extraterrestrial contact witness, a medium, and a native shaman. They all have something in common, the extraordinary states of consciousness and the connection with those other realities. Is it that there are preparation protocols for that contact with those other dimensions? With those other realities? We'll see in our next episode. I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho, and we're traveling on the Ark of Time. that the uh, the world that's being introduced by all of these different uh, stories is mm. moving us into the fifth dimensional awareness mm. of what's really around us and inside of us. Um, so Rama picked the, at the last one for tonight and then I'll I'll read Aurora Ray. And then Ram will play some of that and a little music, and then we'll be on our way. What's it called? Uh, the one that's ca- the one uh, about the crystals is oh. called Geometries of Crystal Healing. Ram. Okay. That'll be the third piece on crystals in the last two days. So this is what it says. Does the structure of a crystal inform its use? Is there a best shape for processing grief, attracting a partner, 
or creating abundance. As we look out into the cosmos, we find the same geometric patterns splayed across the universe that we see within crystals on Earth. How do these lattice structures and the origins of crystals... Are you sure we didn't play this, Rama? Yeah, I'm not sure. You're not sure. Mm-hmm. Impact the healing of the physical and emotional bias. Well, if you're not sure, maybe we should play the other one. Um, we should play the story of Isis instead. Oh, okay. How about that? Yeah. That sort of comes, sounds familiar there. Okay, um. Oh, well, we got to find that one about ISIS. Okay. You got the one about ISIS? Yeah. Okay, real quick, everybody. This is this is from back on the 7th of July. 7-7. Seven, 7, seven, right? July, 7th month. The day is the 7th. And 2023 is another seven, triple seven. And this is saying, hello, dear ones. This podcast episode is designed to help you understand, understand, overstand, and take advantage of the power of Sirius Gateway Portal coming up. Well, we already passed it now. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're coming on August 7th, a whole month later. Um, it, it also includes a channeled message from Goddess Isis. I have created a companion light language activation for the portal, which you can listen to here. So, is there anything more here? Mm-hmm. Um, personalized starseed origin and light language. That's 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 it. Let's see what ISIS has to say tonight, and we'll get started here. This is a 27-minute-long piece. All right, now let's go for that. Words you pronounce wrong two years before your brain starts shutting down. Dementia is now known as type three diabetes, according to the Mayo Clinic. Welcome to Activations with JJ's special 777 Syrian Gateway Ascension Message. My goal with this episode is to bring through any information that might help you better prepare for this special time, as well as a channeled message from Goddess Isis, who is a Syrian herself. Hello, dear beautiful souls. Welcome, welcome. I am JJ. If you are new, it is such an honor to co-create with you. And you might think it sounds a little funny that I'm saying that being that you're listening to this recording, but I honestly feel all of the listeners when I'm recording, I can really tune into your energy and we're co-creating. We really truly are. This episode is very special because I have been preparing for the 777 gateway ever since the beginning, actually the 6-6 portal. 
So I don't know how many of you have been following me for a while, but if you take a look at my podcast from 6-6 until now, you will see that I frequently refer to the 777 gateway. And the really incredible thing is that we are finally here and I am now tuning into what's really around the bend as we open ourselves to the energies of this portal. Now, let me explain to you a little bit about what the 777 gateway means. First of all, it obviously takes place on July 7th, according to the Gregorian calendar, which turns into a really cool number, 77. This is a time that occurs every year. But the special thing about this year is that the two plus the two plus the three of 2023 also equals seven, turning this portal into a triple seven. And if you've heard me talk about the number three and all multiples of three, you know it's important. And I've had several guides come in and channel messages about it as well. In order to give you a good foundation for what we're headed into with this Syrian gateway, I'd like to just set the stage with a little bit of information. I have found this information on the internet. I will give you the website. It's called foreverconscious.com. And I just thought it would be good to run through some of the basics about Sirius. So every week during the first week of July, this sacred gateway of energy is activated between Earth and the star Sirius, which is actually a binary star. We'll talk about that in a second. But essentially what people consider it to be is a time of heightened vibrations and spiritual advancements. Now, Sirius has been revered by many ancient cultures and is considered our spiritual sun. If you have ever watched the documentary or the show Ancient Apocalypse, you will see that in that show they talk about many different monoliths and Different archaeology has shown that Sirius was very important to ancient peoples. So Sirius actually shines 23 times brighter than our own sun. And for that reason is our spiritual sun. It helps to activate and shift us to higher levels of spiritual awareness. It's almost like our sun, right, of our solar system warms our body and Sirius warms our soul. And even though it is so far away from our planet, It has a very important place, like I said, in the stories of many ancient cultures, which we found not only through writings, but also archaeology, the way things are structured. And this isn't just in one continent or one place on Earth. It is all over. Again, I recommend that you watch the show Ancient Apocalypse. It will help you understand that a little bit better. In ancient Egypt, Sirius was considered to be the star of goddess Isis. And... (laughs) As you just heard me say, I'm planning on channeling Isis. She comes from Sirius. She is said to come from Sirius. And as I have channeled her and connected with her, that is what I also feel. She rules over traditionally over the cycles of death and rebirth. But Anubis is also connected to Sirius. And this particular god was known to walk between the world of the living and the world of the dead. So it's really fascinating. In ancient shamanic cultures, Sirius was believed to be a portal to the gods. In my mind, I think Stargate, Stargate, Stargate. And journeys taken through the Sirius Gateway were said to bring divine messages. It was also believed that Sirius was the portal to heaven and where our souls had to travel through in order to leave this realm and enter the next. Super fascinating, isn't it? 
In modern astrology, Sirius also holds the vibration of freedom. Its energy can help us to release limitations and feel free to express our true selves. And of course, one of the things about Sirius that is most interesting to me in my work is that Sirius is believed to be the home of many different interdimensionals. Certain guides that I have felt specifically connected to Sirius, and this isn't my original thought either, I know other people have channeled this, are Yeshua, Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, and of course they said Goddess Isis. Now there are others, and you might feel connected to the Syrians as well through the dolphins and the whales, which also come from Sirius. Knowing and understanding that Sirius has technically three planets. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago about Sirius C, but there's Sirius A, and that one is tech is usually connected to the feline beings. Then there's Sirius B, which is the water planet, and Sirius C is an ethereal planet, sort of on the like the etheric plane, and it isn't seen can't be seen by any of our telescopes or anything. And that one tends to be inhabited by very high vibrational beings, angelics, interdimensionals, and elementals of all kinds. I again talk about this in a podcast episode, and there's a wonderful resource that I found on the internet. I'll share that below just so you can see a little bit more about Sirius C. Now, I want to remind you, as we're dropping in all about Sirius, that I have two special events happening for this 777 gateway. And what is going to be offered is an in-person event at the Nest in Hollywood, California. So if you're in the Southern California area, I would love to connect with you there. I'll be hosting that with my friend Queenie. It's a sound bath, galactic activations. And I know that many, many people are going to have their starseed memories activated at this particular gathering. Now, the great thing about this is it's not only in person, but we're also broadcasting it virtually. So anywhere in the world where you are, you can attend that. It will be taking place at 6.45 p.m. Pacific time. So for those of you who would like to join us that way, the link is below. Now, if you are not available at that time of the day or if it's the middle of the night for you, please know and understand the playback will be available. Let me expand a little bit on what I personally am feeling are some of the themes for the Syrian Gateway Portal. On the, the website that I referred to, she does mention that it is a great time to activate your third eye, reach out to your spirit guides, do an aura cleanse. And let me help you understand that all has to do with your frequency. So the Syrian gateway is all about a frequency change. Now, some of you are on the cusp of a timeline change. Your frequency has changed so drastically over the last little while that it's time for you to shift into a new timeline. Your frequency cannot be held in the timeline you're currently in. I have lots of meditations and and even podcast episodes about what timeline shifting is all about. So please make sure you check those out so that when you're going through it, you're not lost. You, you understand what's going on. Lots of different changes happen and both inside us and outside of us when we go through a timeline shift. And it's beautiful. It's actually incredible. You can also intention a timeline shift as well. Let me tell you why. Based on the information I've been receiving since about the 6-6 portal, there are some certain gateways that are being opened, and these are stargates. Okay, so when we say gateway, stargate, these are pathways to the stars. The interesting thing that I've been receiving 
is that Sirius, which is connected to Earth, is also connected to Andromeda. It almost feels to me like a waypoint or a halfway point between Earth and Andromeda. It, In fact, I recently had a session where we got to Andromeda through a Syrian stargate, and they literally took me through it very slowly. They showed me the whole process. Why would you need to do that? It all has to do with frequency and vibration. It would be very difficult on your physical body or your etheric body, whatever part of you is traveling, to go straight from our Earth to Andromeda, a totally a different galaxy. And it is important for us to slowly calibrate so that we don't have any issues there. Now, that is my personal belief about this Syrian gateway. The special frequencies that we will be receiving from Sirius during the 777 portal will facilitate and support the activation of stargates all across the planet, which means many, many people will be feeling drawn to connect more with their star families. Some won't even understand what's going on. Now, interestingly enough, one of my special offerings during the month of July, and it's totally connected to all of this, was that I felt drawn to create a personalized starseed reading that is a pre-recorded transmission and channeled message for you. It will include information about your star family reaching out to you, information about who they are, um, where they come from, how that all fits into your life, as well as light language activation from them. Now, the funny thing is, I know a lot of you are like, but I'm part of lots of starseed races. Join the club. So am I. What I always set the intention to do is to invite in the star family that it would be most in alignment for you to connect with at this particular time. So you might be connected to five different ones. You might have had other readings. But what I sit down and do is channel the most important information for you, the most important frequencies, because it's not just about the words I say in this recording. It's about the light language and the underlying energy of the recording that your star family is connecting with you to help you calibrate. And my intention is to connect you with them through the recording so that you can connect with them more on your own. Okay, so that's kind of the twist there. (laughs) It's really, really cool to work with people and see them sort of awaken to those memories. And then they just take off. They just take off and it's incredible. So that is an offering that I have. You can check out the link below if you want to find out more. But again, with all these stars, stargates opening during the 777 portal, buckle in because you're going to be awakening. Now, intention is everything as you approach the portal. And it's kind of already open, actually. But as you approach the portal, I want you to take out something to write with or draw with. And I want you to create yourself some intentions by journaling words and pictures. And you might actually feel drawn to channel light symbols or light codes as well. All of this is designed to assist you to better integrate the energies of the Syrian gateway. This is one of the reasons I feel like I wanted to put out my light language activation course. If you haven't already taken advantage of that, I highly recommend that you grab that course and you listen to it. It's on demand. You can do it anytime. You could go through it even before the gateway. I bet you could do that if you really sat down and wanted to, because activating that light language will help you better understand, integrate, calibrate all the things instead of feeling like this fire hose on top of you. You'll be able to manage your energy better. 
if you can do light language for your own self, just personally for your own self. That's why I'm such a strong believer in light language. (laughs) Can you tell? The second thing I want to invite you to do is notice that I have published and created a special 777 Syrian gateway light language activation. This activation is designed to also support you having the most incredible experience you can during the gateway. Not overwhelming, gentle, integrating, all the things that you want it to be because we don't want to feel like we got hit by just a giant wave. We want to be able to enjoy it. This is about joy, right? I've been talking about inner child all the time. So this light language activation will come straight from our Syrian guides and you can find that through the link below as well. You can listen to it as many times as you feel called to. You really can. And you could do it with ceremony. You could create an altar asking to connect with your star family. Maybe they're Syrian. Maybe they're not. But it doesn't really matter because all of the Syrian gateway energy is designed to activate any and all connections we have with the stars. Okay, before I drop in with this channeled message from goddess Isis, who is Syrian, I want to remind you that I have coming up in the middle of July. So it'd be the 14th is when I start my light language and co-channeling circles. If you are a channeler to a certain degree, if you are a light language channel, this is a space for you. It is a community of people who are in the same boat Everybody has imposter syndrome, by the way, so don't let that hold you back. But I want to invite you to consider checking out the link below to find out if this is something for you. As I just mentioned, the more we can utilize our light language to help us integrate and calibrate, the more comfortable we'll be through all of this ascension and the more we'll be able to help others. The more we'll be able to help calibrate the collective. Every person who is better calibrated contributes to the overall calibration of the planet as a whole. You may not think you make a difference, but you do. So if you're getting that little flutter or that little ping from spirit when I say this, check out my light language and co-channeling circles. It could definitely be something that is helpful on your journey. All right, let's drop in now and see what message she has for us. Connecting with the vibration of the music, allowing yourself to soften and relax. Open to receive. Greetings, dear beloved souls. I am she who is known to you as Goddess Isis. I come in the frequency of many multidimensional aspects of myself and invite you to connect with all of them as we surround you in a beautiful container of golden energy. We encourage you to focus on your breath and soften even deeper 
reminding you that it is safe to surrender. And that we have only the highest intentions bringing this message in for you, dear ones. We are quite amused as we feel so many of you are in a phase of childlike wonder and curiosity. And it is a beautiful thing, is it not? And as you open your heart, we call in the beautiful energies of Sirius, which truly is, as was mentioned by this channel, the spiritual sun to your soul. And even to your solar system. We invite you to receive the beautiful blue energy which we are holding space for in the midst of our circle. Calling it into any parts of your body which require alignment and calibration as you step fully into the frequencies of this 777 portal. Soften, dear ones, soften and receive. And as you listen, calling in your inner child, the adventurous parts. That younger version of yourself who had no fear, who sought new things, change, who was enticed by mystery, For dear ones, this is a time of exploration. These next several months will present to you opportunities to walk through several portals connecting with your star families, connecting with beings of light and connecting with knowledge that has been hidden and buried deep within you, waiting to be activated at the appropriate time. For those of you who are listening are truly the architects and the way showers. And we invite you to release any and all disbelief in yourself, any programs of unworthiness. Now is the time to lean into self-confidence, sovereignty, 
surety and boldness. Now is the time to release any and all programs limiting your voice or your ability to create because you are afraid of what others will think of you. Now is the time to set that part of you free who has always wanted to soar, that little starseed who came to this planet with big dreams. Now is the time and we are here to support you through this quantum leap. Dear ones, we leave you with this final message. We believe in you. We love you. And we remind you that we are always near, ready and willing to assist you in this beautiful work of ascension. JJ, taking a moment as we transition our awareness back to our body and pause to express our gratitude to Isis and her multidimensional selves who stepped forward to offer that incredible transmission. So heartwarming, so encouraging and very motivating. I don't feel that there is too much more to complete this episode with, but I do want to remind you, dear ones, that there are so many in your corner. There are so many rooting for you that if you do not have your tribe surrounding you physically at this moment, if you do not have your people, they are coming. They are coming, and as you intention to leave behind patterns and habits of isolation, patterns and habits and templates of being exiled and hidden away, that you will call forth all of the beautiful souls in the physical realm who will also be here to co-create with you to build this new earth with you. It would absolutely be an honor to do that in any of my in-person events as well. And that is one of the reasons why I have felt drawn to come out from behind the computer and the virtual world and step into reality. I want to remind you that I am sending you so much love, always and forever, and that I am you and you are me. And we are we. Wishing you a blessed 
and expansive 777 Syrian Gateway experience. JJ here, and if you have lasted all the way till this final part of my episode, then guess what? I'm going to let you in on a secret. We are so excited to join with so many of you in Kauai, Hawaii in September 2023. This conference is going to blow your mind. This is not a run-of-the-mill retreat. This is not just about relaxing, although there will be lots of that. This is about expanding your awareness of your life's is a Lemurian starseed, also expanding your abilities to channel, activating your power as a grid worker and co-creating with many other light workers and way showers who can help amplify your gifts as you help amplify theirs. And here's the deal. We are offering a special soul family rate for 72 hours only from July 7th through July 9th. If you click on the link below, you will see this is a significant discount for our beautiful soul family, all the Lemurian starseeds who really want to make it there. Click on the link below, find out all the details and come co-create with us, channel with us, do grid work with us in Kauai in September. Cannot wait to see you there. Those were the days, my friend. I used to live on Kauai. <laughs> That's quite a place. <clears throat> that was the first landing par- party mission uh, onto the planet by the Pleiadians. Long, long ago in a galaxy not so far away, they came here uh, to anchor their energy from the stars on the planet. And um, that is on the on the inside of Kauai. It's the wettest part of the world, and they also take helicopter take you on a helicopter uh, to that place inside there, and it's pretty magical. It is you really recognize that you are in paradise. It's that gorgeous. It's that, uh, oh my goodness. So we'll just touch that a little bit. And this is another Tanya Gabrielle. Um, so I'm, this is for tomorrow. And Tanya says, mm. Sunday, it's already tomorrow in the Eastern time zone. Uh, it's already tomorrow here. It's uh, two minutes after midnight. Mm. So it's uh, here in the mountain time zone. So uh, as you're in the Pacific time zone, that's the only place that's a little bit different. But I'm going to just say Sunday brings the vibrant sun into a square with joyful Jupiter. A square in astrology captures your full attention and requires action. In this case, your attention is focused on joy and understanding, understanding, overstanding. Yet before your heart can feel joy, 
you must feel free. Specifically, free of conflict. Love is a total freedom and total acceptance. Love is your awareness every moment of your oneness with source in eternal joy. And in that space, there is no death. I'm not joking around. Joy, joy, joy. (laughs) To live in the reality that love is all, that love is each one of us, is to live in a constant state of peace and joy. Waiting for humanity to awaken can seem like an eternity. This square from the sun to Jupiter asks what is blocking you from feeling constant joy. As people focus a large part of their attention on drama, they are choosing to not comprehend their true nature, love, and block love from their conscious awareness. This choice gives them permission to condemn others with total justification. Well, in that state, love does not factor in. As love is engaged, love would say, let the person who is without sin cast that first stone, knowing full well that love never condemns or punishes. Blaming and judging others play no part in love. Instead of judgment, understanding, understanding, or and overstanding flows through you as you help others understand where their anger and resentment, which leads them to inflict aggression on others, comes from. You help others live from the knowledge that love is their future, true nature. You are lovingly giving your life in service to others. Your whole life is designed to help you release everything you have been attached to that does not resonate with love. This is the sole purpose we incarnated as human beings. That is an understatement. (laughs) Mm. The awareness that love is who you truly are and will always be leads to an understanding of the total absurdity of engaging in conflict. Oh my goodness. I think the world is ready for this. Seeing the clear results of conflict around the world to gain military, economic, political, religious, academic power is leading now to a more healing way to deal with disagreement. Jupiter is open-hearted open-minded, free, and open to learn. Jupiter square, square the sun, especially in the fixed signs of Taurus, which is Jupiter, and Leo, which is the sun, invites us to have an open discussion where all listen to honor each other rather 
than shouting down others who hold a different view. Jupiter embraces all, and there is room for all perspectives to be expressed so everyone feels heard. Love what appears. Love whom you encounter. Love what you discover. Then, positive outcomes are yours. As there is one planet aligned with fortunate shifts, abundance, and joyful outcomes, it is Jupiter, making this a wonderful time to discover your three Jupiter wealth zones. See how you are naturally designed to manifest abundance, inner fulfillment, and joy. All is revealed in your Jupiter Wealth Code. And then you can click there and see what you want to do about that. Blessings and love, Tanya Gabrielle. Jupiter's placement in your birth chart reveals your natural joy, your natural abundance magnifiers, and how to use them to manifest consistent opportunities. All right, so it is. That's the word. And... We have just a little bit here. Uh, uh, we'll read just a bit here of uh, Aurora Joy. This is for yesterday now, since we're, this is Sunday, but yesterday she says, this, the activation of our DNA codes is a vital step in spiritual evolution as it illuminates our consciousness and plants us firmly on the world stage. Mm. This process will continue to intensify as we begin to remember previously forgotten truths about our divine purpose. And so, the power of self-discovery, unleashing your hidden potential and achieving your dreams. The universe is a vast and wonderful, wondrous place full of infinite possibilities and hidden truths. The mysteries of the universe are like a puzzle waiting to be solved by those who are brave enough to seek the truth. Each piece of this puzzle is a clue leading us ever closer to the ultimate revelation. We are like detectives following the trail of breadcrumbs that have been scattered before us. Yet we must be careful not to lose our way, for the path is treacherous and filled with pitfalls. We must keep our eyes fixed on the prize and never lose sight of our goal. With each passing day, we grow stronger and more resilient, ready to face whatever challenges lie ahead. Every person has a unique path in life one that is determined before they even enter their physical body. As members of the family of light, we are renegades who have chosen to incarnate on this planet with a specific purpose in mind. We have come here to challenge ourselves and rise above the limitations that society has imposed upon us. Yet despite the many challenges that lie ahead, on our path, we need to remain optimistic. The fact is 
that in the midst of everything we have going on right now, there is something inside each and every one of us that is filled with hope and possibility. Each one of us has been given, each one of us has been given a gift. It is up to us to decide how we use that gift to light the way forward. At the core of our being, we are all connected to a higher power that guides us on our journey through life. We have each chosen a unique path that is filled with challenges, as well as obstacles that we must overcome. These challenges are not meant to hold us back, rather to help us awaken our true potential. Through our experiences, we are evolving and expanding our consciousness, even as we are not in this physical plane. As spiritual beings, we create events and experiences that will awaken our innermost truths and our memories. The events and the situations that we encounter are carefully designed to push us beyond our perceived boundaries so that we can become the super beings that we we were meant to be. Yet as we enter the physical realm, we often forget the blueprint that we have designed for ourselves. As we evolve and grow, we become more in tune with the divine plan that we are part of. As we journey through this cosmic expanse, we are guided by a divine force that leads us ever closer to our destiny. Our experiences become more intense, and we begin to unlock the memories and the codes that have been buried deep within us. Through this process, we become harmonic, defiant beings who are able to create positive change in this world around us. Our souls are like seeds planted in the fertile soil of creation, waiting to sprout and grow into the magnificent beings that we were meant to be. We are all connected like threads in a tapestry woven together by the fabric page woven together by the fabric of the universe itself our journey may be long and winding yet with each step we take we move closer to the truth that lies at the heart of all things I'm just bringing into mind Cheryl let's put her in the circle of support and Mm-hmm. Call on the angels of the throat chakra to uh, transform her vocal cords to what the well-being is that they came here to be with us and with her so that she can continue to do her mission and share the beautiful meditations and transformative um toning and insights that we always receive as we have been doing for 14 years now. It'll be 14 years, February, February 2nd, Groundhog Day, or February 1st, one of those two days mm-hmm. of next year. Okay. The journey of the soul is like a dance, a graceful, elegant movement through the currents of time and space. 
Our bodies are like vessels carrying us across the vast expanse of the universe. We are like stars shining brightly in the darkness, illuminating the path for others to follow. Our journey may be filled with twists and turns, yet we must never lose our rhythm, for dance is the essence of our being. We must flow like water and move like the wind, always adapting and changing with the world around us. For it is in the dance that we find our true selves and discover the beauty of the universe that surrounds us. It is only through the activation of our codes that we can remember our divine purpose and reconnect with our true identity. The process of unlocking these memories is becoming more intense as our DNA evolves and our chakras become more receptive to higher frequencies of information. The, why are we still watching that, Rama? The activation of our DNA codes is a vital step in spiritual evolution as it illuminates our consciousness and plants us firmly on the world stage. This process will continue to intensify as we begin to remember previously forgotten truths about our divine purpose. Once we remember these truths, however, we must then choose how we will act on them. As we want to positively affect the world around us, then each of us must do so in the best way that we can. For those sensitive individuals who care about such things, this means choosing a path that aligns with our highest truths and greatest good. We have come to the vortex that is at the center of all creation, in both inner and outer space. I realize that it's, it is an overwhelming experience for many of us. You are not ready for this two or four years ago. Yet what has been loosely called the shift has heated up your DNA and allowed you to accept much more energy. This first initiation process is open in a unique way to those who received the Galactic Federation's last call to activate their 12 strands of DNA. I hope that those of you interested in this information has found these notes to be helpful and enlightening. My aim is to help people understand and integrate the spiritual changes taking place on the planet and to feel that there is hope for a better future for all of us. It is a journey of great excitement and revelation. And it is clear that we are moving ever forward on our way to higher states of consciousness. The bottom line is that at some point in the very near future, our DNA will be reconnected with a vastly superior version of itself. In the meantime, It's necessary to live in accordance with what we already know, to be the truth and let life unfold as it may. Be open-minded, yet do not allow the programming of this 3D reality to direct your inner awareness toward darkness and negativity. This is an incredibly difficult task for many, who will begin to feel intense 
bouts of fear during the ascension process. You do what you can to ground. We're on the last page here. To do what you can to ground yourself and stay focused on your divine purpose. Remember who you truly are and why you are here. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. And I pass this talking stick to you, Rama. Mm. You got the Galactic uh, This is the Aurora. Aurora Ray. Another Aurora. Is that the same thing or is that something different? This is something different. All right. Here we go. We'll tell everybody what's this one. The resonance effect. How the shift is reshaping our vibrational reality. Okay. This is about the resonance effect. And how it's shifting our jo- our global reality. Here we go. Emerging horizons. shift is real and it's happening in our world. The way we perceive the world, ourselves and others will be radically different once we have fully made this shift. The shift is from duality to oneness, from ego to higher self, from fear to love. And most importantly, the false reality has been replaced by a new reality that is much more aligned with who we truly are as human beings living on this planet. A beautiful place where everyone can thrive. Part of the old reality is collapsing, but we should not be fooled by the illusion. We are living in a time of radical change. The old reality is collapsing, and we are watching it crumble before our eyes. The new world that is emerging from this collapse is based on love, connection, collaboration, and cooperation, instead of competition and separation. The illusion that people are not ready to move into this new world has been created by those who benefit from keeping things as they are. A wealthy elite, few who control most of the money and resources in our society, and perpetuated by many well-meaning individuals who believe that everyone needs to have more material things before we can enter into a state of peace and harmony with each other and nature. What we need more than anything else right now is clarity about what's happening around us so we can make informed decisions about how best to participate in creating a better future for ourselves and others while transitioning out of the old paradigm that no longer works for us or anyone else living here today. This new reality is based on freedom, unconditional love, individual expression, and oneness. The shift is happening in each of us within our own consciousness. It's changing the way we see ourselves and others on a global level. The shift is not just a personal process. It's also an internal revolution that has been going on for thousands of years and will continue until the end of time. The shift is happening in our world. More people are waking up to their true potential and stepping into their power as creators of reality with every breath they take. We are seeing more compassion towards others and the earth, more awareness about how connected everything truly is, less judgment towards others based on race, gender, or sexual orientation. 
there is so much goodness arising from this change. There's also another side to all this, though, which isn't so pleasant. It turns out that some people don't want change. They're scared because everything seems so new, and they've grown accustomed to their old ways by now, even though these ways don't serve them anymore. Because these folks don't want anything new coming into their lives. They resist evolution at any cost. They'll do whatever it takes to keep things exactly how they are now, even if it means causing harm to themselves and others around them. It's all about stepping into our own power and taking responsibility for everything that we create in our lives and experiences. Only from this state of pure being can we make a real shift within ourselves and shift reality around us. This doesn't mean that there are no more problems or challenges. It just means that life will become easier as we learn how to cope with them. Instead of being caught up in thoughts about what could go wrong or what has gone wrong in the past or worrying about your financial situation, you can focus on creating positive outcomes by taking action now. You can choose to act on an intention instead of reacting to something else that might not serve you at all. We tend to spend most of our time thinking about things that haven't happened yet, which leads us away from experiencing joy right now because we're too busy worrying, or worse, complaining. When we spend too much time thinking about what hasn't happened yet, whether it's positive or negative, then this becomes our reality because these thoughts will manifest themselves into physical reality through synchronicity. So be careful what kind of energy you put out there into existence before anything happens firsthand. The time has come for each one of us to follow our inner guidance and use our own gifts to help others raise the vibration of the planet. Your role is to be. Remember that you are a unique expression of source and that your contribution to the whole is unique, just as every other person's contribution is also unique. Each one of us has an important role to play in this shift, no matter how small or large our gifts may be. It is time for each person on this planet to follow their inner guidance and use their own gifts and talents for the benefit of all. Each one of us plays an important role in creating a better world. We can be more helpful by listening to our inner guidance, following it, and being fully present with what is happening at the moment. Each of us has unique gifts that can help the world. By following our true purpose, we can help to create a better future for everyone. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Rainbird is in her dream time right now. Yeah. And she's going to receive a group healing from the Kesh, Mr. Kesh, mm -hmm. at 6 a.m. in the morning. So she's getting her beauty rest right now. So, what do you have for the music for the end tonight? Um, spirit song. All right. Spirit song, everybody. Let's play that. What an amazing day. Mm -hmm. 
magic is afoot, goddesses alive, everyone. Thank you for celebrating my birthday this whole day. I thought it was quite amazing. And yes, Ascension, we are in a pot, is upon us. And inshallah, Satnam. Satnam G. 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, no evil. And let's live long and prosper until we meet again, everyone. Namaste, aloha. Aloha. Aloha.